0: Consequence Podcast Network.
1: My friendship to all of you precludes my involvement with any one of you. But if you want
2: to make love, then I do too, and I'll be right there behind you. All in the name of oh, all in the name of oh, all
3: in the name of oh. Monsters, stay out of this room. You have no business here. No monsters under Tad's bed. You can't fit under there. No monsters hiding in Tad's closet. It's too small in there. No monsters outside of Tad's window. You can't hold on out there. No vampires, no werewolves, no things that bite. You have no business here. Nothing will touch Tad or hurt Tad all this night. You have no business here. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Thank you very much. Welcome to the Losers Club podcast, A- I really botched up. We're going to keep it going, though. Welcome to the Losers Club, a Stephen King podcast presented by Consequence of Sound. For this episode, if you haven't guessed already, we are not talking about Gerald's Game. We are not talking about Nightmares and Dreamscapes. We are talking about a little book about a good doggy on baddie, thanks to bats. His name is Cujo, and that is also the title of the book, 1983's Cujo by Stephen King. I am a senior writer at Consequence of Sound, and one of your hosts, my name is Justin Gerber, and in front of me is my my little brother, little Tad himself.
0: Mackenzie Tad Gerber here, a uh, constant contributor to Consequence of Sound and uh, avid dog lover. Wow. And uh, to your left?
4: This would be editor-in-chief Michael Rothman. Um, I guess you could call me uh, Gary
3: Perver, or whatever his name is. <laughs> Uh, you, was, do love, you do love going to the Red Sox games and getting drunk and hey, working look, pension. Honeysuckle. I, I love... Honeysuckle honey's Yeah, Yeah.
4: And, <laughs> right. I, and, and I love my screwdrivers in the morning so mm. and in the evening and at supper
3: time. Ooh. And in front of you and to my right...
5: Uh, Mel Castle, uh, also an animal lover, work at an animal hospital, deal with St. Bernard's on a semi-regular basis. Oh, um, so I'm coming at this from a very scientific, very experienced...
3: Mm all right <laughs> mel is being modest she specifically works with rabid dogs so um we're looking forward to hearing more insight on, that, on that front do you have to uh, sever
4: the dog's head oh off my god, god. You know, okay
5: i it's it is that is still what happens i don't yeah. have to do the severing but we did have someone from cook county animal control show up very recently say i have a specimen to collect can mm. someone go get it and we brought out a big old box
3: were you And there was, a, it? there was a head in there oh I didn't God. see the head,
5: but oh. that's what was in the box Whoa.
3: So that is a real thing then Oh yeah, well as somebody who works at work at I'm a hospital now, could you see yourself doing that? Is this something you would have to do necessarily? Or is it up to somebody else?
5: Cut, cut off the head? Yeah Oh, um, I don't think I would have to do it I could do it mm-hmm. I've skinned a dead badger before I could probably cut off a dog's head
0: Yeah, I'd that's say a, you could probably oh do that God. after doing something like that
3: <laughs> Yeah, you know, you give me enough drinks, I could probably cut off a, cut off a dog's head <laughs> Enough um, drinks or enough money. Well, before we start diving into the, the bones of this book, let's um, go around the room and talk about the first time we either heard about Cujo or even read Cujo. I, I will once again go off to a little tad himself, my little brother, Mackenzie Gerber.
0: Uh, my first experience with Cujo, again, uh, was not the book. I had mm-hmm. not read any of these books. Uh, <laughs> uh, probably saw bits and pieces of the of it like on USA or something, you know, growing up, Um I didn't really. I didn't watch the film until last year, and uh, this was my first experience with the book. And I read the um, the Signet edition, and uh, it was very, very interesting. Um, a very interesting read because mm. this is when King is, it, is. this when King's coked 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 out? Or uh, this is the
3: uh, a mixture of uh, this is maybe his alcohol period. He, he says oh. he can't remember writing this book. Yeah.
0: Yeah, okay. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll get into that too. It's pretty fun. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah, exciting, exciting read, and um, I'm, I'm excited to share my thoughts.
3: And that copy you've got is probably my favorite um, paperback series that King had back in the '90s. That little minimalist artwork with just a little yeah. pause in the claws. I like it. Our versions that Mike and Mel and I have are not too good. But Mike, no. what about you, buddy? What do you think? Uh, is actually oh, yeah. one of the earliest
4: Stephen King films I remember watching. Uh, I was a huge fan of dogs growing up. Still am. Um, Not Pipples or uh, Dobermans. um, Or, uh, no, those two are the only ones I get terrified around. But either way, love dogs. And I loved Cujo as a kid because I thought it was very relatable. You know, everyone has a dog, um, or for the most part, Mm -hmm. knows a dog. And uh, they're usually friendly and they're really nice. And the idea that that could be corrupted uh, terrified me. So um, I have great memories of this being one of my favorite sleepover
3: films. Like, you know, that's a good way of looking at that, too. You know, it's cool. Mel, initial uh, or just memories of Cujo.
5: I hadn't read it until this month. Uh Um, And I also I still haven't seen the film, um, but I will get right on that. Sorry, guys. Um, The book I.
3: Shut it down. (laughs) Shut it down. Yes,
5: we have to hold off. Um. (laughs) The book I avoided, I knew about it. It's one of his more famous ones. Um, but I thought, you know, having read Pet Cemetery, this is going to be a step back in terms of intensity. And I also had the wrong idea about the book, like, the, this whole time. I thought it was my picture was like people battening down the hatches in Castle Rock like everyone shut down the shops because oh. Cujo's coming uh, like he's going to terrorize oh, the whole town for an extended period of time and we'll get into it but that's not how the book is structured Ooh, that's like oh. the
0: movie that would have been made today that's,
4: yeah, that's exactly. the inevitable
3: remake after this it's success yeah. we'll it's think. actually Cujo too. Job's War uh, Job's War, <laughs> Job's war. <laughs> beyond Beyond the Camber's garage yeah um oh oh i guess i should talk about me before yeah, I go yeah. uh yeah n- n- i definitely uh, saw the film first and i recognized, you know Dee wallace is in it and i recognized her as the mom from et mm-hmm. and as a kid it yeah definitely really affected me um liked it a lot as a kid have hadn't really watched it in a lot of years until recently and i read i've read the book a couple times and uh, i always enjoyed the book but this time i definitely approached it at a different angle and i'm sure um Oh, I'm quite positive I'll be talking about that in this episode. Well, so, you know what? I'm not even going to talk about that. Let's just talk about the, the bare bones of it all. Um, but yeah, that's, those were my uh, earliest memories of of Cujo, and they were really enthralling, I'm sure. You know it's weird, though? And, mm. and I don't want to jump ahead too much with my deeper thoughts
4: about the book itself. But for the longest time, um, and no, that's not a Billy Joel reference oh, I'm doing there. Um, i harmonizing. No, I, I had this for some reason I've always tied this to Spielberg Hmm. and I know that's because D Wallace is is also an ET, but I also think just the premise itself is very Spielbergian. Like, I mean, it basically reminds me so much of Jaws. I mean, it's like, it feels like it's Jaws with a dog, but for some reason growing up, I always thought like Spielberg was involved with this somehow. Hmm. And reading this, the book has actually gave me some answers to as to why I think that, because I just think there's a lot of like motifs in this that are just blatant Spielberg. And, um, for me, and maybe this—I don't know—maybe it is a good segue to go into. That. I, I just think that this might be King's first book where he was self-aware about himself, mm-hmm. like about his his own like like um, power across yeah. storytelling, in, in in both like the novel medium and also the film medium. Like for me, like reading this book kind of confirmed those feelings because it almost reads like a screenplay for yeah. me. Oh, I can um, see that. Definitely. And and like I feel like he's almost writing certain sections. Like this is a horror movie, mm. um, uh, you know, and so that was interesting just going into the first read for this. But, you know,
3: yeah, I think um, we can definitely there's actually a moment in the book where um, she looks at the Cujo and says, like a scene out of a horror movie. Yeah. Cujo, like, you know, jumped up. and no, there head. is, like, you know, transcribing the jump scares right there. Yeah. Um, something I found interesting, we can go right into our first segment here, then, I guess, which is the uh, kind of the hook and the structure mm. and the format yeah. of Cujo. Ah, oh. yes. Don't you see? Don't you see how clear it all is? Not only can you see the future, you can... I can change it. You can change it exactly. And something right off the bat that I noticed was the fact that this is the first time there are no chapters.
4: Mm-mm.
3: There are no sections in this novel. It just starts off, and it starts off with once upon a time. So why do you think he decided to structure it that way? Any, any thoughts on that? Um, I think it has a, a little, little to do with uh, you know the bottle speaking. As a matter of fact, Mike thanks uh. for bringing it
4: up. Uh, I think he was just like, well, you
3: know, I think, he hey, just-
4: I'm at my I'm at my my desk and I'm writing this book. Here's something, Abby. Yeah,
3: I'm here. gonna keep writing. As a matter of fact, Mike, yeah, why don't you read this section? Well, I'll, I'll let you read the other section. saying we'll, yeah, read yeah. The show. yeah, but from his um his unwriting book, he writes. There's one novel Cujo that I barely remember writing at all. I don't say that with pride or shame only with a vague sense of sorrow and loss. I like that book. I wish I could remember enjoying the good parts that put them down on the page. So yeah, def- this is definitely during his um, his high times, to say the very least, um, which lasted probably, I think, into- actually, yeah, I know, it lasted until about the Tommyknockers, and that's when he said enough's enough because he hates the Tommyknockers, Aww. which is good because I don't... Uh... Care for that book at all? Yeah, so that's such a
5: ride, though. Yeah, that's a ride.
3: It's it's a yeah, it's a ride. All right, but that's like that's, that's a good seven year period. But the thing is, he wrote some incredible yeah, books that's a, during like, that seven year period. You, you
4: got to wonder if he went back to those vices yeah. now. Um, what books would he come up with? Oh my god! Well,
0: I think that like he's unfortunately. I mean, obviously, I don't wish that kind of lifestyle on anyone. Mm. Um, but I think after coming off the success of all these other books. Um, had he not been, you know, using and drinking, I don't know what he would, I think he may have, might have been too self-aware or the books might not have been as Intense, as good. Weird. And I, I'm not, it sounds like I'm condoning the use of drugs, but you know, we, we joke around about this all the time about musicians and things, you know, we're like, Oh, you know, I wish, you know, Ryan Adams would get back on drugs or something, you know, because you know, I feel like a lot of his stuff lately isn't <laughs> that as good, but Know, but, but, is... but this this is a different situation because king has obviously gone on and written many great novels since since all this so mm-hmm. it's it since really has no out, bearing yeah. on it but but I'm I'm curious because we just said like he is very self-aware of like his grasp uh, over the the horror genre and, and his um uh his effect I guess uh across the board and uh yeah I I don't know I'm I'm interested in seeing um I lost my train of thought. You're interested in seeing him uh, go been back drinking, Max the well. Max been <laughs> drinking as well. Max
3: drinking as well. Well, I think that's the difference between because he says that, you know, he wrote um, like it and Tommy Knockers during his more uh, coke-infused days, but this was much more during his just he's drinking too much. And so, you know, you don't necessarily forget things when you're coked out. You're just working at hyperspeed and you're, you know, writing 1200-page books called it and 800-page books called the Tommy Knocker. <laughs> so you don't know when the hell to stop. In certain points, you should have stopped at certain points. I mean, knowing that is pretty impressive, though, because it is just a really multifaceted, like, crazy-layered book. Every, everything is I in mean, that book, yeah. That's, I wish – um but I wonder – maybe I should just start doing a lot of drugs and drinking a lot, and I'll, I'll be able to pop out this stuff. Well,
4: I I was wondering, like – you know, we, there's, like, that whole debate about, you know, bands that are on mm. drugs and how their albums are better. Like, I mean, there's always the Aerosmith thing, like, how they've had their periods of just being, like, totally blown away on drugs and, and how and their albums And they do, like Honking on better. the Bobo or whatever. It's and then they Bobo. get off, and then they do the Honking on the Bobo and, like, you know, uh, Just Push Play and all those other Ugh. garbage albums. But... And there's a lot of instances with that with any other rock bands and not just Aerosmith. But um, let's keep it at Aerosmith because that's a New England band, mm-hmm. and uh, we're talking about a New England author. So, um, very but true, Mike. no, I I I do wonder if that that applies to authors. And King, I think, is the best example of that because look at the stretch that
3: he has when he is on drugs. Uh, it's pretty amazing. Well, I think the thing that's the old great art comes out of madness sometimes. You yeah. know, and it's about trying to find a way to find that great art without you know resorting to. You know the bad drugs. Hey, it's a mad, 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 mad,
4: mad, mad, mad world. Bad. Yeah, yeah, it's true. So. But
5: also, the I mean, the '70s stuff when he wasn't as into it or into it as all at all. Like, we'll get into this, but this is such a bleak book.
2: Mm-hmm. It's so
5: bleak. It's so tragic. And if you compare that to the Dead Zone, which is directly referenced, or The Stand, which all they're very moralizing. They're very. They get into. Oh, yeah good and evil and, and all the stuff behind that, this one, I mean, if you want to talk about going down a well or a hole with drugs, like, I mean,
2: yeah, this it's... is just
5: so deep in there and it, it's really affecting. It's really powerful from that perspective. But I do miss, the, I miss the, the moralizing of the stand. <laughs> yeah. I miss the, yeah. just the end is a gut punch.
3: I think there's a lot of book. things with the deeper themes of that, 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 Which, you know, kind of explains why the book ends in such a way as it does. But it's funny because you read this. It goes back to what Mike was saying about Spielberg for me where when you read it, you feel yourself, oh, he doesn't have a kid or he wouldn't have written that ending. Mm -hmm. But he's had like three kids at this point. Because, you know, Spielberg always says he regrets in Close Encounters. It's a great movie. But as an, he wasn't a parent yet. And so we can't imagine doing that movie now and having the father leave. Well, that, movie, year, that movie is so obvious that he wasn't a parent yet at that point. Yeah, Because exactly. the father is just but, like. the to me felt like that. I'm but like, no, he's like, no, I no. Yeah. <laughs> he's like a 10-year-old at this you point.
4: You know, I'm, I
0: mean, I love my family. But I think that if I met aliens, that I would absolutely go with them. Yeah, but you don't have Maybe any children. Bigger, it's that's important. Bigger than, that's the universe. That it is, means is something. It's bigger than my family. You know what I mean? I, yeah, I'm
3: talking about <laughs> leaving your children and, like, wife behind.
0: I mean, about leaving, Ter- like, your Terry is going to be a good single mom, okay? <laughs> like, we, we don't have to worry about her. She went back to work at Mr. Mom, so Michael Keaton could work at home. Remember that?
5: <laughs> <laughs> I Michael 80s? has something he's to say 70s. about Cujo. Oh, wait. Well,
3: no, about the, <laughs> well, the, the, I want to uh, talk more about <laughs> 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 Tootsie, and I want to talk more about <laughs> Mr. Mom and Young Frankenstein. Hey,
4: I love Michael Keaton Mr. Mom. I think he's great. He's great, but I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Michael. Um, no, but uh, the the bleakness of this book... Mm. It's interesting cuz yeah you're right cuz like Pet Cemetery is also a really bleak book. That's mm. might be his bleakest book and that's very similar in and it is part of this era and yeah it's I never thought about that though about how the, like his books did become really bleak during this t- this time period. Yeah. Um because I I, don't, I actually don't – I haven't read Christine, so I, I can't imagine mm. like – I don't know what the – I mean the well, ending
3: for that is pretty bleak also though, right? I, I was thinking about this because, yeah, like you said, it's so bleak at the end of this with Tad and even like your supposed hero, Bannerman, who returns yeah. from Dead Zone. Yeah. Dies unceremoniously, yeah. you know. But for me, when you when you compare this to something like Pet Cemetery or you compare it to something like even Salem's Lot, the entire book you're set up to believe this is a fantasy world with vampires or with cats and people coming back from the dead. And that's what he's kind of doing in this is is you, you're kind of left uneasy. Is this, is this a fantasy book or is this just kind of based in a reality? And by the time the book ends for me, and I think he kind of makes it clear at the very, very end of the book, it is reality-based. Mm-hmm. So when, like, for instance, the Glick brothers get killed in Salem's Lot, it's just you're taken out of it a little bit because it's reality. But when a little boy just dies because he gets seizures and... Dehydrates. It's just it's more right. realistic. You compare it to it's, that. I think it's
5: such a good trick that he plays, yeah. and he even he even shows his hand at the very beginning, like the first page of the book. He says there was a monster named Frank Dodd. Mm-hmm. He was not really a monster. He was a man with mental and sexual problems. This is going to be much the same. And you don't believe him because you know Frank Dodd's in the dead zone. Exactly. There's magic I mean, in that
0: book. He even mentions Johnny Smith in the first like page. Yeah. So you're immediately thinking, okay, we're in this universe, and it's 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 going to be an otherworldly thing. And or just the entire theme of, the, of monsters in this, you know, and then mm-hmm. and the exploration of that, uh, and and I, I do I do love how bleak this book is because I feel like it's it's weird. It's one of the only it's one of the Stephen King, only Stephen King books so far that feels to me like a Bachman book almost because it's mm-hmm. not set in the supernatural realm and it is very realistic. And I I buy the ending and I buy what happens to all the characters and and you know. I don't know. I just thought that it was very real, uh, as opposed to you know some of the other books we've been reading. And yeah, it's,
5: it's even bleaker than that because there is a little bit of the supernatural, but it's not enough. We get premonitions of the yeah. monster. We get the closet. Yeah, and it's it's just an omen, and that's it.
3: And some of that, I feel, I feel like so much of that is also just suggestible. I, I don't want to speak for Randall, but Randall's telling us a story about how I'll keep this really brief. He went home one night and he was convinced that he saw like a ghost or something in his window Mm -hmm. and did not want to go home that night and left. Now, as we are all adults, and even looking back, there probably wasn't anything there. But the suggestion alone was powerful enough to make him him feel that way. And so when I'm looking at the whole monster in the closet angle, I don't think there was a monster in the closet necessarily. I think that a little boy saw it and then bad things start to happen. And you couple that with the fact... That this town was so normal in your everyday small town for God knows how long, and then this Frank Dodd thing happens, and I think something like that when you're living in such a close knit community changes everything. Forever. No, totally. And, it, and it, everybody in this book who lives in Castle Rock is still referring to Frank Dodd in this, and they always will. You know. Yeah. And I think that runs. Rampant as rampant as the rabies through Cujo's brain throughout this entire book. <laughs> well, one one of the things I
4: really love about the supernatural element in this mm. book is mm. that it really allows for all the coincidences and foreshadowing uh, to come into play. Yeah, um, because that is probably my biggest criticism with this book is that. There is so much foreshadowing to the point where you see this nice little St. Bernard at the beginning and they're like, oh, you know, there's kind of something eerie about this dog. And it's like, no, there's nothing eerie about this no, dog. It's a, a nice St. Bernard to the family. Yeah. There there should be no foreshadowing whatsoever yet. The bat hasn't come into play. Mm-hmm. You haven't had this like crazy element to danger that's been introduced. Yeah. That So that there's a lot of that. And then there's, you know, all this stuff that like... Like oh wow, like Vic has a dream about a monster like in a cave with his kids and you know, or the kid and the and Donna, and it's just like. It, I think that was more it like you know, there's something.
3: There's something wrong, and that was like his dreams way. Of well, saying
4: and that's and wrong. it goes back to the the woman in the room with like night. I thought about that a lot. Like mm-hmm. how that was my criticism in Night Shift was that you know I I love that short story, but at the same time, the minute they introduced the word boogeyman under the bed, my thing is okay. Well, we've read this book yeah. that literally has like 12 short stories dealing with the supernatural, and then you're going to do a really serious story. And you, I mean, you can't throw those words in there because we're, there's this presumption that there is the actual boogeyman. Like you've already made this sort of situation or scenario where I'm going to believe what you're putting out there in terms of any sort yeah. of supernatural element. Like that's that is you now. Like and it's not just because you're writing like genre fiction, but it's just that is the, the, the stories that you have. Yeah. So when, you know, you have this like monster, you know, you have a book that's, that's named Cujo that's that's about a killer dog. That obviously at this point, we, we know that like Stephen King was already kind of creating these sort of genre stories that were based around certain elements, like whether it was like the car or like, you know, or not the car, but, um, you know, like, uh, the psychic visions or the haunted hotel or, uh, the plague or vamp- vampires, like this is going to be evil dogs. So like when they start talking about the monsters in the closet, I get it on a metaphorical level, mm-hmm. but I'm also in my head thing saying, oh, there probably is a monster in the closet because this is Stephen King. And, you know, that's, yeah. just, and that's just how it is. Like I, and that's, my, that's always been some of my problems with at least just going and revisiting these books mm-hmm. is that he tries to do these serious things
3: but he still kind of he can't help himself from indulging yeah. in that well, supernatural. Well, think, that, you know? My thing, though, with Mike, I actually like that yeah. in this, though, is I think the entire book is based on him playing with your expectations. Yeah. yeah. And even um, there's moments where Donna is literally like one page saying, oh, my God, this dog is is literally trying to kill me. There's something literally like supernatural about this dog and it's trying to kill me. It's trying to get back at me for cheating on my husband. It's trying to get back at me for this and that. But then the next page, she's like, no, this is just, a rabid dog, and this is just an awful confluence of fence and series of coincidences. Well, was Very self-aware well. about about well, what Stephen King is. Well, and, yeah, at that point, but, and yeah. I think there
5: is. I I don't know if I disagree with you. You were saying that you think the closet wasn't actually there wasn't anything going on there supernaturally. I think, I think there totally is. Yeah, well, I think and totally, I think Joe is supernaturally intelligent for a rabid dog. Like when he's like,
2: Oh,
3: well, we oh get, no, we I get have his... to
5: wait until she gets out of the car because she's got to get close enough. And like, no, <laughs>
3: I <yeah. laughs> I think okay, the the closet thing I think is more about. It's like a way of King's way of inserting um like warnings in a way. Because he dreams about at one point, I don't know if Tad dreams about the baseball bat. But I don't know if it's necessarily a warning about like do this and you'll save yourself, or this is just what's going to happen and that's it. That's what I got from the closet thing. Or you could add Donna, Tad, Vic, and
4: maybe even Joe to the long list of names that might have the shine <laughs> in the Stephen King universe which is shine, which oh, like, yeah just every every it seems like every character at this point has the shine like <laughs> oh. it's, it's like Danny's in, even 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 a, you're special a kid
5: sh- you're shining
4: exactly yeah that was the thing i, I just i i cuz i like it more as, on a metaphorical level mm-hmm. um but there's just so many coincidences that happen that it just it does make me think like it was actually supposed to be like a
3: supernatural thing i, I don't know It's just a it's weird. Um. Yeah. I didn't get the thing with the dog. I, th- I thought the point of view from the dog was didn't make it seem supernatural to me, though. I thought that was just like, that really tied to that it wasn't supernatural. But Mel, you're in the opposite on that. You think it absolutely is because of the dog's perspective and I the th- way the dog acted.
5: I just think there are certain points where he references it when we're from the dog's mm-hmm. point of view. And yeah. the dog is like, some instinct told him that she wasn't going to come all the way yet. And he needed to lay low until she actually approached I, because he knows she's faking him out. Yeah. And like, I that's that not was from
3: the rabbit part of his brain that drives like dogs crazy
0: though.
5: But he's right. But he's totally spot on. Yeah, that yeah. is
0: interesting too, because even, even when like when Bannerman first shows up, he yeah. says for some reason, he's like, this is the man who's a Every time he all he my sees pain. Somebody, he feels that. Yeah. And it's like, Oh, that's creepy. If this is actually supposed to be Dodd, you know, kind of possessing this dog or something or some kind of evil. So, yeah, yeah. Interesting points of view. Well, that's good.
3: Well, this is going to be a good. Episode. Either way, the hook is uh, Jaws with a dog. Um, <laughs>
4: um, I've got Jaws. It's actually Jaws here, two um, with a dog because you have all the kids that are stranded. Oh, well, I guess it's Jaws with a dog because they're stranded on a boat and, Jaws and being, dog, yeah. yeah,
3: I've got um. It's well, there's a bunch of themes going here, uh, uh, putting things off obviously. Um, which leads us into the nope, nothing wrong here um, uh, ad campaign. Um, Evasion, avoidance, rejection, fatalism versus fantasy. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. When you think about like Firestarter, which is literally just about protecting your daughter who has got the ability to set things on fire and there's like no other message there. I do think there's a lot more going on in Cujo than... And just like the base yeah. sort of uh, a fire starter.
5: A, this is the first book I've read for the podcast, like mm-hmm. going in order for the podcast, where I felt like, okay, he's going to deal with women in this book. Oh. He's going to talk about being a wife and a mother from a place that's actually a little bit more <laughs> uh, informed mm-hmm. and the protector uh, and everything too. Yeah. And their responsibilities towards themselves versus their responsibilities toward their families. Like I thought I was very pleased. I mean, obviously there are points where he dips again and we'll get into that, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. I was very pleased with the development of
0: the female characters in this book. Totally. Yeah. I think that also, you know, I think, and, and granted, you know, again, like, you know, I mean, he was drinking a lot during this, I guess, but, mm-hmm. but I think that it's also why there's like from Firestar to this, there, there are a lot of like themes and a lot of, and like he is trying to say a lot of things with this. Um, there's a lot in there in this book. And I feel like. You know, I feel like he's been, he kind of holds back in the, in the prior books mm-hmm. of, about, like, well, this, I'm not trying to say something with this. it This is just a scary story kind of mm-hmm. thing. Whereas in this, I feel like he didn't, like, his inhibitions were like, like he was just, you know, really trying to l- thickly layer this with, you know, themes and subtext. Yeah. Yeah. I, I
4: think there's a lot of ways to take this book because I've read some things we talked about how, like, the dog's supposed to represent his addiction mm. and, and the, the, you know, the pitfalls that come with addiction and what it does to family, uh, which I definitely think is, is a really spot on, on take. But I also thought it was interesting that like he takes the dog, which I had mentioned before is like a man's best friend. It's like everyone, it's the family treasure. It's the, Mm -hmm. um, you know, everyone loves the dog, but he takes the dog and he basically uses the dog to embellish like each family's worst kept secrets, their feelings, their demons, and what that does when they're all out in the open. And how it, how it changes families for the worst, Mm -hmm. a lot of the times, and maybe, maybe even sometimes for the better, but mostly in this case, as we see in the ending, the worst. Um, and I thought that was interesting. Um, in the, in the way, like, like, I, I do think it's, it's, it's weird because when you look at both sides, you have charity and you have Donna Mm -hmm. and they both are trying to they're just not, ha- they're not happy with their situation in mm-hmm. life, you know, and especially Charity, who's trying to get out. And I actually, I actually started getting angry at Brett also. I was just like, Ugh. fuck you. Just, your situation sucks. Your mom is like, like being screwed over. Like, wake up. He's like, like a daddy my so them. cool. Yeah. yeah like, it was the driving. ultimate, like, I look up my dad's God. That type yeah, of thing. you know? can
5: fix a drive shaft.
4: Oh my gosh. He was driving me nuts. So I was that just that like, I was, garage. like I, just, I, I was just like, enough <laughs> of the dog. Like, he's fine. You know, um, he wasn't I, fine, gotcha. he wasn't fine, he wasn't fine, but I was just like, Look, that's the whole other thing with your avoidance. mom. Your mom is finally out of the yeah. household in hellhole, anyway. So, I get, but then there's also Donna who is she had this other life, and then they go to Castle Rock, and it's not really her life, and it becomes like she doesn't really want to be in these that this sort of like lifestyle, the small yeah. town lifestyle per se, and. And it's, I feel like it's interesting that he uses these two women to talk about how they want to change their own life and what the disastrous effects that come mm-hmm. from that. And I don't know. I just – I don't know what he's trying to comment on that per se. I, it, I, oh, go ahead, I, I
5: definitely don't want to look at this book as like Cujo is a punishment for Donna's infidelity. Yeah. No, I don't that's think That's it a knows. very uncharitable reading. No. But I yeah, definitely don't want to do that. But I do like – for me, it's about – Communication, like Mm -hmm. the communication breakdown is how the marriages don't really work out, and it's how the Rube Goldbergian machine of coincidences leads everybody to be uh, unaware that Cujo is on the rampage. Like just as simple as like erasing the note, like when Steve erases the note that Donna left about where she's going, like nobody can communicate clearly Mm -hmm. and get anything across or talk about how they're feeling until it's way too late. Let's talk
3: about, can we talk about that? Because that's the huge part of this for me because, um, oh my God, his name escapes me right now. We'll we'll give him some credit later on. The author of that, um, the book about the making of the movie. It's called Nope, nothing wrong here. The making of Cujo, and I didn't understand what that was a reference to because I hadn't read the book in so long. But as I read this book, I realized, oh my god, avoidance is all over this. And if just one person had done something differently, none of this would have happened. Well, it goes into ignorance is bliss. Like yes, even with like the definitely. sheriff, like he's he,
4: they they have so much, so many instances of this. And even towards the very end, after everything is settled, and Holly's watching uh, her sister mm-hmm. uh, get the news yeah. uh, about um, Joe and. You, she recalls all the incidences where they just kind of couch all these bad things that have ever happened to them. I and mean, with their father, with their, mm-hmm. their friends around the town and how they just, it's like, these were good times, but we're also not remembering the fact that her father like was abusive. Yeah. And now they, you know, he, she also cherry finds herself in another abusive relationship and she's trying to get out. And like, and so I, I, and I saw that her admission of like what had happened, with joe is a way of breaking that in mm-hmm. a way of like being like no i'm gonna put the bad stuff on this table i'm not hiding this away um yeah. and i and i thought that that was kind of interesting that at the end both respective parties all their skeletons all their demons are on the table and they have to sort through them yeah. and there is communication that's going to be on there like i didn't really see it, like i yeah i didn't see it as a condemnation of like of what those those two were doing i thought mm-hmm. it was because I, I mean, that would be ridiculous. It's yeah. this like cautionary tale. It's like if yeah, you, and you and shouldn't like, cheat and you you should, on your should, husband. It's like a rest of
3: Development. Like no. and that's why you don't cheat on your husband. No, no, no. Because no, no, I, no. I,
4: I, I, I mean, I come from a family of where my I mean, my dad was cheating and my mom was cheating. Like so, I, but I, growing up, you understand there's a reason for that. It's not just because this like you know you're trying to get at somebody. There's there's a reason for why that happens. And I think there's a lot of interesting meditations here about what those reasons are. And I, yeah, I, I think it does come back to communication for sure. Is the fact that like. Nobody, yeah, this this sort of ignorance thing. It's like as if as as, as long as the goodness, the, this good thing is happening, I can kind of just keep putting away these demons mm-hmm. until it just boils up, and then you have a rabid dog that are killing.
0: From this, a killing practical people perspective, yeah. I,
5: was anyone else just constantly thinking like, "God, cell phones were not a thing." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like-
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, we we had this conversation yesterday, uh, or we we watched some horror movies the other night, and we just thought, God. It's, you just can't make a horror film today because of cell phones. But well, you know, what like, I heard though in tough. Castle
3: Rock for cell phones, it's a it's a total dead zone. <laughs> Oh wow! 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 <laughs> Mike Roffin just had a yeah, stroke. He... <laughs> <laughs> His jaw just dropped. Like that was incredible. that was great. Such a morning suit DJ bullshit. Line that, that,
4: that's not to go on a tangent too much on the cell phone thing, but yeah. like you know, like it just made it a shitload of money at the box yeah. office. Yeah. Not to time stamp this episode because I have no idea. Well, we should tell people
3: we're recording this way before we're going to be um, broadcasting this episode <laughs> out yeah, there. We're posting it. We but, got a big um,
4: big king month. Uh, yeah, definitely. For, of stuff yeah. to do, but. I don't think any of the King adaptations should be set in modern no. times.
3: No, yeah. I, like, for that reason, most horror movies, <laughs> most horror movies shouldn't be set. In my, well, you know what? What if they did *Cell* set in 1952? Nah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the one movie you have to set the rotary phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Don't touch that landline. <laughs> Nobody pick up your phone at your home. Gill outside. You have a bunch of people in like the Boston common area just holding these landlines. <laughs> like, uh, but I've got. I do want to talk more about this uh, avoidance and putting things off and everything that we'll be talking about because I've got a lot of instances here. Feel free to chime in. And they don't come across as a final destination thing either. They just come across as decisions that everybody would make at some point in their life, and you just think it's no big deal. It's the whole nope, nothing wrong here um, advertising campaign that Vic and and Roger are going on. Um, Feel free to interject because I've got a lot here, please. Um, An early instance is uh, about Brett. And he tells Charity that there's something wrong with Cujo. But she is so determined to get out of there. And she feels like if if they tell Joe anything, he's going to convince Brett he needs to stay. And so that's one example of Charity should have said something. You know, if she had said something, if she had told Joe or if she had done something herself... They would animal control would have come out said up oh, dogs got rabies sorry we gotta get Mel over here to chop off its uh its head and um, gladly glad, gladly it's
5: it's the, the blinders right like it's, this yeah. brought up to me the whole like he's so sure it's Kemp no one ever considers any possibility outside yeah. their selfish
3: considerations it's it's gotta be Kemp it's no there's no question about
0: it. Um, I had one yeah. where um, Ronnie Dube and Joe Magruder don't tell Joe that something's wrong with Cujo either.
3: Yeah, they just they,
0: they just, don't hear about it in the newspaper. They're like, yeah, yeah, and then it says that that great punches. And neither of them thought about Kudjo again until they read about him in the paper. Yeah, um, I've got
3: uh, if Vic had called ahead to Joe regarding the car ne- the car needing repair, Joe would have called him to cancel before going on his trip. Because remember, Joe before he goes on his trip, to, his planned trip to Boston, he calls everybody he's got an appointment with to tell them mm-hmm. that he's going to be leaving town. Mm-hmm. I got a really deep one. Um, ooh, ooh. If um, the the coloring dye would have said that their
4: up their you know their dye was actually kind of hazardous to kids, then they, you know none of this would have happened. And uh, Vic well, would have I, think, home I think if they knew it was
3: that they to be puking and shitting up red dye, they wouldn't have put that in the box. They would not have
1: distributed.
3: It out. Yeah, like, yeah,
4: there's a kids, slight chance. There's a slight <laughs> chance your kids are
3: going to vomit up yeah.
4: gross red dye. But you know it, it is interesting that they they have this. At the end, I, I was starting to joke around and saying, like, what is, is maybe this was like King's way of like, be, like being like, fuck you, you marketing scumbags. It's <laughs> like this is this is this, the false lies that you sell to, you know, these kids. And this is what happens. Uh, you know, it's just this idea that um, these falsities that we tell ourselves yeah. is the sa- is like mirroring the, Im- the advertising industry. Also, like I was. Well, I don't you know. if you remember
3: this around like 81, this is after Firestarter, um, King had made a deal with Kellogg's. And they were going to do Cujo's Cookie Crunch. <laughs> and this is going to be a $5 million deal. Now, $5 million in 1981 is a lot of money. You know, I and was so at the last second, they pulled the deal. And he said, I'm going to get my revenge on these fucking uh, cereal I was just about to
0: say, there's, that's the reason why we've never seen a Stephen King you know, cereal.
3: That's right, because they thought they were uh, poking fun at them. Um, some more <laughs> of the nope, nothing wrong here. I've got a part here with... Uh, ba, 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 ba. Oh, after Vic dreams of his family in peril, he lays back down in bed and has a sudden irrational urge to call home. And he says, no, I'll just call them in the morning. And then it's written here. Uh, and when the wake-up call came on Tuesday, he had forgotten all about the dream of the beasts in the clearing. He had only the vaguest recollection of having gotten up in the middle of the night at all. Vic did not call home that day. So it's just there's, a bunch of stuff like if you just yeah. called and and then once again, yeah. you're really worried. Because at, at 3 o'clock in the morning, there's no excuse why would your... Wife and shall be out three o'clock. Even in the
0: Steve Kemp, he keeps coming and going, coming and going, and not yeah. really fit. You know, he tries to confront it and then no one's there. And then you know, he just does a bunch of shit and then leaves. And then it's just, yeah.
5: Or Donna and the Pinto, she's like, mm-hmm. maybe it'll be fine this time. Yeah. The car is like it clearly won't yeah. run. You're gonna put your child in it for that like miles long ride yeah, up into yeah. the middle of nowhere. Because she even like
3: says something line. like, "Well, what you know, honey? Don't come with me, honey, because if something goes wrong. It's a long walk to get back to where we're going, you know." And it's like, "Just don't, just don't fucking go, you know, don't go." Um, I've got um, oh after charity witnesses Brett's sleepwalking the, the, the whole Cujo's not hungry anymore that whole thing and um, she, once again she went back to her room lay there and the sun came back up. Brett seemed fine in the morning, so why mention it? You know, He did not mention Cujo. He apparently forgot about calling home, at least for the time being. And Charity decides to just let the matter rest there. Like, who cares? Okay, well, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with my son. It's just he has a, just had a nightmare. We, we mentioned the Bannerman thing,
4: right, about how he refused? Oh, well,
3: yeah, that's... that's
4: I mean, that's a little that's later bad. on, but, that's like... That's huge. That's a huge one. The fact um, that he refuses, to, he didn't call it in, and he had that. Well, you kind of summarized it perfectly yesterday.
3: It was the whole thing where... Once again, this is the first Bannerman. We'll talk about Bannerman a little bit more. But Bannerman was the first instance of a, a returning character to a Stephen mm-hmm. King book, you know. And he's kind of like the, t- the good, the do good cop who kind of goes out of his way, maybe a little bit off the book, you know, Ugh. to call Johnny Smith in, the psychic investigator, you know, to, uh, to figure out what's going on. Johnny's on there. And anymore, so yeah. once again, though, he goes, <laughs> he goes of off, off script yeah. instead of calling in immediately that the pinto's there. He figures he'll do it later on, and like his dying words or something like for like um, reasons that he, he reasons like, well, if if I if I had done that, then Frank Dodd would maybe still be out there killing people. Yeah, but that's not the Cause way it he works. went off script for you know to try to find Frank yeah. Dodd, but yeah, unconventional methods, But did
5: you guys get fooled by the the fake out where he's like, and he went back to his car and he called it in, and everybody rescued him for a, a split second. Day. It was <laughs> so
3: quick, so I thought. I don't remember this happening in the book, and then it's like no. no, no. I, that's like the that's like the, the our, fake out happy ending right there. Too. Well, it's the
4: currents at Owl Creek Bridge thing that I always, oh, I always yeah, you, in your head. I love that. I'd like I, I love that because yeah. I, I look. I've uh, I've never almost died, but I imagine like you do see like the, the kind outcome. of solutions. I, I, there's a lot of that in this book. Um, Like I love when Donna's trapped in the car. And she starts thinking of items that are in the house. And she's like, oh, God, if I could just be the next to those right. items. It's like this it's weird. just
5: sitting there doing yeah. nothing. I can see it. That, yeah.
4: that is such a real human thought. I've, yeah. I, I mean, I used to think about that in high school all the time when I'd be sitting in boring classes and just be like, oh, I wonder what my pillows are doing on my bed right now. <laughs> it's probably laying there. I wish I could do that. Like, you know, just imagining things that are just sitting on in your house and just be like, oh, God, if I could just get there, like, you know, that'd be great.
3: I, um, I get paranoid in my yeah. own life. Um, <laughs> I just lost my train of thought there, and I'm getting really depressed. No, uh, I, uh, there's, there's some more. I'll run through these real quick, but it, just, it gets to the point where you're like, God damn it, just do something. Um, Vic almost tells Roger about his situation at home, but then room service shows up, and he's like, why am I even going to bring this up? Just decides not to yeah, talk Yeah, but I about wonder, I wonder how, what that would have done, though. I feel like maybe Roger would have been like, you know what? Yeah, follow up on this a little bit more. Maybe he would have talked him into mm. it. It's about people not wanting to be told that they're doing something necessarily wrong. That's whole yeah. thing, especially with um, when Holly's talking to charity. And it says there's nothing going on. Everything okay at home? And and Charity just goes, oh, you know, Brett's just a little worried about Cujo. Not really laying into the fact that oh yeah, Cujo looked really really sick, and I can't get in touch with our with his fucking father.
4: When you were reading this and you heard the name Charity,
3: yeah,
4: uh, was a, a you know just a part of you like really deep in your head, just thinking like hearing the Jim Blossoms and like, hey Charity.
3: Oh yes, the old classic <laughs> "Hey Charity" by
4: <laughs> Jim Blossoms. <laughs> yeah, I, I could not stop thinking about or, that. Or uh,
3: "Charity Road" by uh, Jim Blossoms.
0: Uh, that actually no, yeah. I was going to say isn't hey, it "Hey Jealousy." yeah
4: no it is that examples. yeah good job, man. oh
0: God. <laughs> another explaining of jokes <laughs> That's right. we
3: I feel like you have to explain the joke to really to really null on the point um, <laughs> uh, later on the old um bah, 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 we got after the nightmare vic sits to the pinto that' near the end of the book, and he just literally says why 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 can something like this happen mm-hmm how many things have to happen for this to happen. And that's literally just life.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: You know, we're all sitting here because a billion things have happened over the last billion years, and we're all sitting here. I'm getting very deep here. I know, I <laughs> you know. It's know. like, it's like hunting. That's just life, and you know? It's just um, life.
4: Uh... Well, it reminds me of, like, that part in Blue Velvet when uh, Jeffrey... Uh, or Kyle McLaughlin's talking to Laura Dern and he's like why do bad people like Frank exist? And yeah, it's like it's this just... person that's first ex- you know experiencing this like pain and turmoil in the world.
3: It's another Frank. Yeah. It's another Frank just interloving mm-hmm. this, this uh, interceding this and nice he, small town. Uh, you know? He
5: does so much work to ensure that these coincidences happen though. Like yeah. it's pretty it's it's mm. I think he does the right amount of work. Like it's pretty believable to me given how effed up these people are and how bad they're communicating and then there are a couple out of the way circumstances like Steve Kemp coming in. <laughs> yeah. Um
3: force of nature. It right? reminded
5: me of of After Hours.
3: Yes. <laughs> yes.
5: he like can't get home. Yeah. Oh my god. What did like, we
3: see recently I, that reminded us of After Hours? What was it? it was a good time almost. It was, right? good like, time, was kept a, like a good time. Oh, it was a good time I I was thinking about that a lot because
4: it's it's really not that unbelievable of a situation. That's what and I liked like, about the coincidences; they're but, just coincidences. But the thing know? is that 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 I was thinking is like going out there and your car breaking down. It's the 80s, early 80s. Yeah, it's totally a reasonable situation. But yeah, he makes this spider web of all these things that could possibly go wrong, like mm-hmm. layer after layer after layer after layer. Which made it even more astounding that this was written when he was just, like, absolutely blown yeah, out the of his thing. fucking Yeah, that's the thing. That's think about, like, he doesn't like, remember
3: writing
1: this? Are you crazy? This is, like, this is like
4: it's, the, it's wire, the wire detailed <laughs> level in yeah. terms of lay, like, layering the story. Like, I imagine, like, King, like, King just being, like, you know, having, like, the, the, the post-it notes and, and all this. Like, well, I got Kemp here. And then I got, uh, you know, Vic and
3: Roger that are back in. I got the delivery boys who yeah. are not going to talk about Cujo. There's Alba's wife
5: who can't yeah. keep her days of the week straight, which yes. is really going to help me out. That's
3: oh, the like- thing. Like, And then that all, the whole thing we'll, we'll talk about here it goes all the way back to Aunt Evie, who says some things and then she's dead. You're like, well, what the fuck was the point well, of that? She's the but John
4: Larroquette of this Texas Chainsaw Massacre. She really is because
3: um, <laughs> in the very, very beginning. She says, and i seen heat lightning last night. Bad sign, Mira. Every heat's a bad sign. People, people die of heat this summer. It's going to be a bad one. And so the book goes on. You figure, oh, she's just alluding to the fact that it's going to be so hot in the summertime. You know what I mean? But at the end of the day, you miss the part where she says that, you know, people can die of the heat this <laughs> summer. And they talk about the very variant. They say, um, it's a really nice little part here. They go um, in the – it's almost a part of our later section of – um. Uh, word processor of the god But we'll, we'll jump to this part um, In the driveway The somnolent Summer Flies Had found the corpse of Cujo And that of Sheriff Bannerman Husband of Victoria Father of Katrina They had no preference Between the dog and the man They were Democratic flies The sun blared triumphantly down It was ten minutes of one now And the field shimmered And danced with silent summer The sky was faded blue denim Aunt Evie's prediction Had come true But on both counts It came true Because it was a scorcher And people died How did you read That Tad died?
5: You mean, like, technically? How did yeah. he die? He died oh, of heat. It was like heat. heat, heat, in the heat car. He the like severe heat stroke. And, yeah.
4: Because he does, he dies right when she gets out of the car, right? Or is we it when Sheriff? Long he's we don't been know. Dead. Yeah. He's been having yeah. those convulsions. It's possible
0: like, he was dead for a while and yeah. she just thinked herself or was just too out of it to realize that he was actually dead. Yeah. Do you think he died
4: when she was pulling his tongue? And no, because I think no. he lives after that. Oh, right.
3: yeah, okay. He, he lives after he that. He that's, that's, his that's pulse one at one instances. point, like, yeah.
5: before she gets out to fight Cujo for the final battle, and okay. it's, like, weak and thready or something. And
3: yeah. But he's yeah. still alive, I think, or who knows. At that point, though, she's also becoming a little disoriented because she got bit by a rabid dog. Yeah, too, that's so. true. Or was Louis Pasteur, when you needed him, he invented the cure to rabies. Did, yeah.
5: This is, like, such a tangent, just so no. quickly. Just coming off of Dance Macabre, did you guys yeah. notice... All the monster talk, of course, with the monster oh, words. Absolutely. and like he's constantly dropping, like on the first page, he says about Frank Dot, he was not a werewolf, vampire, ghoul, or unnameable creature from the Enchanted Forest or from the Snowy Wastes. And I was like, did you just love talking about monsters so much in Dance Macabre <laughs> that you like, like, wanted to stick a lot of that in here? I feel
3: like he was writing Dance Macabre. He's like, I'm going to use this a little bit here for the beginning of my next book.
4: Well, open? to go back to the advertising thing for a second, yeah. uh, the, I thought that the, the monster words and the fact that Vic happened to be, or he writes you know, advertising editorials. I mean, he, Mm -hmm. he rates copy for advertising and marketing and a lot of it is to dissuade or not to dissuade is to, to kind of like pull a fast one over people. I mean, he wants to actually be like honorable and and try to like be as truthful as possible. But in, you know, this whole apology with the professor serial thing, Mm -hmm. um, I thought that there was a parallel between the monster words and the fact that like, he has to live with the fact that like he gave these monster words to his kid and then the monster in, in, in the end actually like, killed him. And I wonder if like, that's supposed to be again, like his commentary on marketing and just like the truth this, like, in advertisement. The, but what
3: is the truth in advertising? Well, yeah.
4: Like, and just like how much, how much we're like given, like how much bullshit we're given on a daily basis, you know, not only from our parents, but from the people around us and how much we live on a bed of lies and, I, I that's why I, I I felt like the monster word had to be tied to his advertising thing for I mean he just felt too I mean
5: I, I did not buy the breakthrough being like oh we have to be honest and apologize that will sell that will get yeah. us back in the <laughs> oh, in no, the no.
4: black like, like no. this is America you you'll get forgiven for this you, stuff. you know what would happen if they pitch that the the same thing that Larry Miller uh, tells Christopher Guest in Waiting for Godot <laughs> it's like um are, are, are you are, what's wrong with you are you are, are, are you insane like you know. <laughs> There's no way. Because you it know, would I never because fly.
3: I got the irrational feelings of of the um the, the bosses of the Sharp company being mad at the admin who literally had nothing to do with what went wrong and they had this ad campaign going on for forever before the fucking red dye incident but they're placing the blame on them. I absolutely got that. You know, like you, you, you the top the people at the top always remain safe. It's the people at the bottom that get the axe, you know. Yeah. But yeah, Look like, at our said, like right now. this yeah, there you go. <laughs> but like yeah, this idea of the nation will forgive us. I'm like, this guy must be one hell of an actor to sell this I just love you know?
5: Stephen King trying to convincingly be like, Vic is an advertising genius. Here's a sampling of some of the ads they've done yeah. in the yeah. past. Yeah. And I'm like, these are insane. Yes. <laughs> I'm like,
3: how drunk are you? Oh, okay. That makes no more sense now.
4: I think, um, uh, I, I think I wrote like on page 39. I've heard of Don Draper, even Don King, but Stephen King? It'd be right. Mad Men, but literally madman. He's like writing. Yeah, that, that is so that it totally, it's, like, it's, like, it's like he's actually going to try to write ad copy or something, like, which is ridiculous, but...
3: Um uh, but we should talk about some of the uh the foreshadowing. Some of the foreshadowing I actually did like, but some of it was a little because I know Mike just hates all foreshadowing. No, I don't hate all foreshadowing. I like really good foreshadowing. Like I like you but, know, because I liked the neither of them it. thought about Cujo again until they read about him in the paper. Because that's pretty vague. That's vague. Those yeah. stingers are great. But um I wish the scene of Tad having the dream about the baseball bat wasn't there. Because I think that goes back to it. it's all the whole supernatural thing becomes a little more skewed. Is that yeah, the, is that know. the
0: dream where he has where he's And then Frank Todd like, like, appears. He, but then is the end that end also the dream. the dream where he's like, Oh, then he was looking at his older self. Yeah, 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 yeah. And that's very like the shine. That's very good. Yeah. I don't yeah. like
5: if Tad is gonna be having these prophetic dreams and then he's so insistent on going with his mother and that breaking down Pinto to Joe Cambridge's place. It's like yeah. Right, so you're psychic, but only when yeah, <laughs> your like, life exact, isn't yeah. in danger. I he's like, as well, like, like like a
0: four-year-old,
3: like probably like, oh shiny sun or
0: something. You know, but I, four I years feel are stupid, like apparently. he's probably more <laughs> frightened of staying home where the closet is and, uh, and then going yeah. out That's with his true. mother. And it, you know what it I mean? contributes
5: yeah. to the bleakness of like, it's not enough. It's not enough to have prophetic dreams all the time. <laughs>
3: it's not. Well, okay, here's a, good, here's a good one. I want everybody's opinion on this. Um, near the end, one of the uh, sections and not chapters, obviously, but um, it's twelve thirty when Donna Trent stepped out of her Pinto for the last time. Now, when you read that, what did you think that meant? That she was going to die in that
0: part? Well, you didn't know, but I—I yeah. I, I mean, she's she's pretty banged up by that point. Yeah. But with everybody with like Vic on the way, is that we know Vic's already on the way out there, right? I think so. At That, at that point. point. So yeah. we're you know you're kind of like I don't know maybe she's gonna. But again, that's like that's like a good a good piece of.
3: Being light on the foreshadowing, it's not saying next time she got out of her car she'd be dead. You know that. I type like it of thing. too
5: because as readers, we're like, we can't be in this car for much longer.
3: Yeah, we gotta yeah. get out. of The claustrophobia of the car. We
0: also like up into this point. I mean, most Stephen King books. I mean, even though there are some dour endings, there's usually like a hero or someone that lives and someone that usually something good or, or someone good kind of gets out or gets away or something. So you're kind of still like. Well, well, one of them is uh, maybe. And like, I think that again, the, the reason why this is so bleak and it, or it just feels so real is that, a, you know, Tad does die yeah, and they have to move on. Like it's, it's, yeah.
3: And I think though, to that though, in terms of the, the quote unquote happy ending, I mean, at the end of the day, because of all these things that happened, I do think that <laughs> charity and Brett's lives are going to be better. Totally. You know, and that's I also, that's why I do like the inclusion of the whole charity thing. I think the, the payoff for that really works for me, it, it, because there's definitely times, like we were talking about how early in the book, like these intense things are happening, and then you jump to like charity having ice cream with Brett. Yeah, like, what the fuck's going on here? You know, like well, when Donna like, steps out of her car. Yeah, it's like,
4: Mom, Dad's not answering the phone. Let's cut to you ten know? pages of charity. And Brett, and then also Vic and Roger eating like pastrami on a rye. I'm like, are you fucking nuts? Go back
3: to the car. But that's why, but again, like when all was said and done, I get why that was there. It's also just to show that awful things happen all the time. This is obviously an awful instance, but the world, there's still things happening everywhere else in the world. People eating ice cream with their kids, people eating with their co workers, you know?
5: The senselessness is so well done, I think, because mm-hmm. especially because he starts the book with once upon a time setting you up to think, oh, it's a fable. There's going to be a moral at the end. And then even beyond Tad dying, which is awful, and I did not expect it to happen. I thought, like Max said, the kid was gonna be fine. Um, he's 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 like, it's not enough. I have to tell you what happened to the rabbit. Um the rabbit died a slow and painful death, mm-hmm. it starved. Um the bats moved on. I don't know where they went, but um <laughs> <I love> that <laughs> yeah. The, the rabbit definitely did not get away. Thank you and good night. Like yeah, <laughs> there's that just... once upon a time thing. Forget it. Like the moral is that if you fall into a hole, you starve. Um, Sorry.
4: Maybe it is about the bunny. Ooh, that's a deep uh, Twin Peaks reference right there. But uh, I, I thought it was so, I loved seeing the rabbit come back mm-hmm. at the same time. But it, this, it was like. Oh, yeah, I remember that. No, that's a nice little bookend. It's like if
3: the whole point of the book is there's no Johnny Smith isn't out there to save the day in real life. It's just that people live and people die. And, and Cujo was actually a good dog. And that's a wrap, you know, like I I have to in terms of look, I love a lot of King foreshadowing.
4: I yeah. got to gotta oh, clarify I get, this. Yeah. I got to clarify I this because I, I, I do think he's great at foreshadowing. I mean, some of the foreshadowing in The, in the Shining is some of my favorite pieces of writing from him.
3: <laughs> and, um, Mike but, just tried to bite my but, uh, brother, reaching over for the. Of hey, <laughs>
4: I, you know, I was Donna at the end. Um, That's right, just biting the paramedics. But uh, I, I there, there's gluttonous like foreshadowing in this. Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. th- there oh, is yeah. no need for Vic to have these dreams.
3: That's what I'm saying. I, like, I don't like the Tad dream, and I don't like the uh, like the Vic dream because like, it it's kind of like, well, what, what is this, what are we trying to I mean, tell look, here? What's look, look how, how
4: specific this dream gets for for Vic, and this yeah. is where I I just. Started to lose it. Like is, I, I threw the book even like where
0: the supernatural might come in, but go ahead. Yeah.
4: It could be. It could yeah. be the supernatural yeah. But like on page uh two eighty three of the uh pocketbooks edition, uh th- this is a long chapter about this sprawling dream, probably wedged between like something that's really interesting it's happening with uh, Donna and, and Tad, but um he he writes, uh the monster in his dream hadn't been a giant ape though, because he likens it to King Kong and Fay Ray and everything. Um it had been a, a what? Dragon? No, nothing like that. Not a dragon. Not a dinosaur. Not a troll. Uh, he couldn't get it. Wherever, whatever it was, it couldn't quite get in and get Donna and Tad. So it was merely waiting outside their bolt hole, like a cat waiting with dreadful uh, patience for a mouse. Or. The exact Saint Bernard
3: that is waiting literally outside their door right now. Not a at dragon, this very not meta. a dinosaur,
5: some other D word.
4: <laughs> like a
3: like SB <laughs> comes to mind, a Saint Saint something.
4: Like <laughs> th- th- like you know, th- you go read that, but then you go back like a few books and you read that scene with Jack Torrance and his family at the hotel when everyone's about to leave, and you see this really gorgeous way of for- building kind of subtle foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, that's great. That's prestige foreshadowing. Mm. And this is like USA Network foreshadowing that is just blah. Like, what are you doing? Like, come on, just you don't need this. You've already you've already done so much to kind of let us know that there is something bad happening. And 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 again, it just goes back to what I was saying before. Is like you. And even, even Mel had just pointed out, like there, there are so many details that are we- that are kind of welded together to make this situation happen, and to convince you that this situation could happen. That any other any other foreshadowing just feels like you're eating this like cake that someone comes by and goes, oh hey, here's some more icing to put on top of your cake or whatever. You're just yeah, like I don't creepy. need it. I
3: don't need it. Yeah, I so agree. I those just, are the those are the two parts easily. Again, I feel like that kind of comes into the whole. You know, if you are listen you know if you're drinking a lot you know you tend to lose focus a little bit and that might have been a little bit of a, a little part of that i don't know if that would have necessarily been in there if he was totally thinking about everything else he's been writing throughout the entire book and now you are going to throw in these kind of well maybe this is definitely a supernatural. well because like especially with vic yeah. th- this whole monster dream is supposed to kind of go all lead up to
4: this whole revelation he has when he goes into tad's room and sees mm-hmm. the, mon- the the closet and he's like and then he sees the bear and he's like bear bear closet and it's I mean, it's, it's literally just like an independence day when Je- Jeff Goldblum's like, uh, uh, uh he's like sitting on the floor and then his dad's like, Oh, you gotta get up. You're going to get a cold. Wait, what'd you say? Cold? Like, Oh my, Oh my gosh. The aliens, cold virus. Cold, I virus. could kill him. Like, <laughs> you don't, you don't God, need, I hate that movie. It, it's, <laughs> that, but then that's <laughs> that really one of those reasons it. why And like yeah, South yeah, Park yeah. makes fun of it all the time. But I, in that situation, it was so unnecessary too, because literally like one scene before that he had found out that like. Yeah, you know, uh, we, uh, we sent Bannerman over there, you know, the sheriff. Yeah. Uh, we haven't heard back from him. He's probably just drinking coffee somewhere. And he's just like, okay. But the, 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 first off, this detective was really de- into the details just before, but now he's just going to gloss over that. And then that was enough for Vic to go, well, no, I'm, I'm actually going to check over the camber thing. But no, we, instead, the king goes upstairs, has this whole closet thing to bring yeah. all this,
3: this pointless – for Well, as, as, a father myself, I, I as a father myself of Uh-oh. three children, three beautiful young boys. Um, I'm, I'm lying. I'm not a father. I say, I was, <laughs> but I, like, I, I felt I, like at that point, I, I kind of think that after you get off the phone in that intensive situation, I thought that he felt just totally powerless and mm-hmm. was kind of looking to get as close to his family as possible. So he goes to his son's room. I do agree with you, though, Mike. Everything happens after that. It gets very confusing as to what's trying to be said here. Because there's even times during that, especially after he dreams, where he doesn't quite see the bear. He convinces himself it's not real. It's really just a way of him saying there's something going on. And the closet door thing never bothered me either. And they do a good point of a good point of pointing this out in the film where he tries to close the closet door and it opens up again. And he closes it again, opens it up again. That's just a case of a, an older house. And doors going out of line. You know that's that's all that was to me when the doors were. Would you would are open gonna die up. in
5: a haunted house, my friend. <laughs>
3: <I'm good. laughs> yeah. I'll be the last person I'll be the person that reasons and then their ghost pops up behind me and everybody's like no it's and then I get my head chopped off. Bojeman is going to get Beaumont. You Auguman,
0: yeah, Can you get me? Beaumont Ogeman comes in into this book big time. That's the that's, whole that's, that's a King's aspect. Dominion oh, uh, aspect for sure.
4: Well, I guess like structurally, because we are, I guess we're still ta- we're talking about structure and format. I, yeah. sure. Did you did you like that ba- the way it bounced? I mean, I, I get that he had to have these other side stories to kind of separate the tension. I mean, mm-hmm. you have to go somewhere. I mean, if it was just the car. That would be insane.
3: Well, he does I mean, a good job, of, from what I've heard, like, like with Gerald's Game, where it is literally in just one setting. Yeah. But to that, let me ask you this, Mike. And I'll ask you, Mel, I'll ask you this question, and Mac, I'll ask you this question. Oh, I was say. Do you feel that both the title of the book and the description on the back of not only this copy, but other copies that we've had over the last... 30-something years, do a disservice to the actual novel.
0: Well, why don't we read those descriptions?
3: Oh, yeah, because we usually do. All right, well, Mm. we're in the section. Let's read it real quick. (laughs) I'll read um, mine real quick here. This is the one that um, Mel, Mike, and myself have, which is just these Simon & Schuster paperback editions, which are just abominations to art. Um, It says, Cujo used to be a big, friendly dog, lovable and loyal to his trinity, the man, the woman, the boy, and everyone around him, and always did his best not to be a bad dog, all in caps. But that all ends on this day, the nearly 200-pound St. Bernard makes the mistake of chasing a rabbit into a hidden underground cave, setting off a tragic chain of events. Now Cujo is no longer himself as he is slowly overcome by growing sickness, one that consumes his mind even as his once affable thoughts turn uncontrollably and inexorably to hatred and murder. Cujo is about to become the center of a horrifying vortex that will inescapably draw in everyone around him, a relentless reign of terror, fury, and madness from which no one at Castle Rock will truly be safe. That's such bullshit. At the end, by the way. That's like you said, man. Like this. Everybody's fine except for the people that go to the fucking garage, you know. Oh wait, that, that wait. goes
4: into what you were saying before, though. Um, and, and I can't remember if we've recorded that if it was if it was, if it was something when we were talking before. But oh. you are saying like, when you thought that this is like, the dog's gonna be wandering around the streets. No, that's
5: yeah, what you no, said. Say, yeah. yeah, that's like, my my first impression was totally wrong. And I feel that. like <laughs>
3: that there's such a disservice there because there's just a lot of other well, things going on. What else going are they on. gonna
5: write? Like there <laughs> are <laughs> deep themes about <laughs> dysfunctional marriage, but that's in the thing because and also a rabid
3: dog. And that is the thing. I feel like the king was so pigeonholed at the time, though, as to being just a strict. Horror writer, so of course you got to sell the book, and this has got to be the only way to describe it. Because yeah, if you like call Gold it War. something like an event at the Cambers Garage, or Professor Serial yeah. yeah. in the Currents at Cambers Garage, oh, then it's, it's all different story I wish you know? it was the called Singers. Yeah. <laughs> the description, from the description for Red Singers,
0: the uh, Signet book edition um, is, is is a little bit more concise, but it's still ridiculous. Uh, it says his bite is worse than his bark. Oh, Cujo. It happens innocently enough, but doesn't it always? A big, friendly dog chases a rabbit into a hidden underground cave and stirs a sleeping evil crueler than death itself. A terrified four-year-old boy sees his bedroom closet door swing open untouched by human hands and screams Uh at the unholy red eyes gleaming in the darkness. The little main yeah. town of Castle Rock is about to be invaded by the most hideous menace ever to <laughs> right. savage this the flesh is, and devour insane. the mind. This is now, ridiculous. I mean, Super obviously, misleading. you read oh that God. and then, I mean, this even this last line though says the most hideous menace ever to savage the flesh and devour the mind. I mean, obviously, you're talking about rabies, but like you think it's this yeah. is totally like trying now again, they're trying to hook Stephen King readers who know him for that stuff. So, like, that's I, I feel like. That was—I feel like he's absolutely aware, like you were saying, Justin, about, you know— Or it wasn't
3: necessarily Hammett's publishers.
0: Yeah, but Hammett's I think stuff. that I think that this book is absolutely—he was totally aware that they're going to be thinking that it's a supernatural story the whole time. Yeah. And that he was definitely playing with them the entire book. And Cooge is on the prowl. And he even he says right in the beginning, that first page, that, like, Frank Dodd is not a monster. I mean, he's a monster, but of a different kind. Yeah. And we just choose to just keep thinking, okay, well, there's still gonna be something supernatural here. But at the end, you know, he wraps it up and brings it home. I mean, I love that, that ending though, just like where he talks to, goes back and talked about yeah. the yeah. rabbit and the I hole. I will to cover that yeah. in, in yeah. greater detail too. Yeah, but totally. Mike, do you
4: have something here? Well, I have an interesting comparison since I really keep driving this point home. is uh, oh. <laughs> uh, Here is the description for Jaws. Uh, the 1970s. Oh, here we go. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> uh, Jaws is a 1974 novel by American writer Peter Benchley. It tells the story of a great white shark that preys upon a small resort town and the voyage of three men <laughs> trying to kill it. Look how simple that is yeah. compared to literally everything that was in the Cujo exactly, book. Exactly, yeah. Here's, you, you rewrite it. Cujo is a 1981 novel by American writer Stephen King. It tells the story of a great St. Bernard that preys upon a small resort town and the, the the voyage of a mother and a child mm-hmm. uh, who is preyed upon it. Or is we preyed upon. Or is preyed it by we're it. upon, preyed upon. Yeah. I, so, preyed I to, love the Jaws
5: comparison now, especially since Donna's <laughs> going to try and find her place and no one's a real new englander unless you were born in maine and she's never felt yeah, at home in like maine yeah that's like the whole and now she's yeah.
4: like yeah and that's, <laughs> that's the a good sheriff point
3: thing. that's a good point you know what I,
4: <laughs> here, this is this is here this is uh, to to go i actually took a photo of this cuz i read an, an editorial last night about this so this is uh i i think this is on stephenking.com um or one of his sites one of the fan sites uh kind of goes into this A little bit. Um, In the spring of 1977, Stephen King took his motorcycle to a mechanic who lived outside of Bridgeton. Oh, this is from
3: StephenKing.com. I've got the
4: same thing. In the middle of nowhere. I I took the bike out there, (laughs) and I just barely made it. And this huge St. Bernard came out of the barn, growling. Then this guy came out, and I mean, he was Joe Camber. He looked almost like those guys out of Deliverance. And I was retreating. And wishing that I was not on my motorcycle when the guy said, don't worry, he don't bite. And so I reached out to pet him and the dog started to go for me. And the guy walked over and said, down, Gonzo, or whatever the dog's name was, and gave his huge whack on the, on the rump. And the dog yelped and he sat down. <laughs> the guy said, Gonzo never done that before. I guess he don't like your face. And that became the central situation of the book mixed with those old movies of the week, Uh the made-for-television movies that they used to have on ABC. I thought to myself, what if you could have a situation that was an extension of one scene? It would be the ultimate TV movie. There would be one set. There would be one room. You'd never even have to change the camera angle. So there's that one very small place, and it became Donna's Pinto, and everything just flowed from that situation. The big dog and the Pinto. I, I just like when I read Gordon that. Gordon
3: Cole, ladies and gentlemen, that yeah, was Gordon Cole, amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But
4: I, I, reading that and knowing that, like he drew influences from these old TV movies. And who was one of the biggest TV movies at the time? Like one of the filmmakers that made one was Duel. Stephen King. I mean, not Stephen King, Stephen <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> <man>. <laughs> Stephen, wrong Stephen. Steven Spielberg, <laughs> yeah. who with with Duel, which was you know very, this, this, a very similar encapsulation of with yeah. genre stories. Um, and then you also, I mean, it just the fact that this came out of that that Hollywood medium for him. Tied, it, 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 I, th- I think it speaks to that sort of self-awareness of like him wanting to like, oh, well, you know, people know me as this guy that comes up with certain tales based on, you know, various subjects or whatever, like, you know.
3: And it's like you said, you, you mentioned that they're just, you could just have like the one camera on mm-hmm. the car the entire time. So I think that was definitely the basis of the plot. But then obviously, you know, you have to flesh it out unless you want to just keep it, like you said, in just yeah. that car. You had this really great months. idea about Vic and Raj and the ad business. <laughs> yeah. What if you said like I saw that dog come out and I thought about this campaign this 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 <laughs> company called AdWorks with,
0: with a Roger and a Vic and there's a and there's a serial and it's You know out. what it was? I bet you I bet you he was writing a Richard Bachman book about Vic and Raj. And then it was like in, in his in his in his deep alcoholic depression was like just accidentally started writing the next chapter of Cujo on the same document as uh, you know, uh, AdWorks.
5: There was just no room for them in roadwork, so yeah. they had to go here.
4: You know, they you feel just right, right out of, of roadwork. Roadwork was
3: such a tight <laughs> novel; you couldn't insert anything else in there. <laughs> yeah. Mike, you still haven't read Roadwork, right? I got about. Speaking 60 of avoidance, <laughs> you, you you mercifully avoided that.
4: I got sixty pages in, and then I uh, I texted everyone. And was, I was like, I'm out. <laughs>
3: you were never going to do the episode, but you were just trying to read it. No, but then yeah. it's like you're like I'm, I can't even no. like keep up with everybody. else. Then I skipped Forget over it. to Cujo. <laughs> I just read the uh, the Cliff Notes version of Cujo. Mm-hmm. Should we oh talk about characters God. Let's, uh, <sighs> yeah Let's, let's th- talk
4: about the characters of Cujo. You mean the zeros and villains? You got
3: it, brother.
5: I'm going to have to kill this fucking clown. Welcome to the Losers Club, asshole! Ah! Well,
3: let's kick things off talking about that, that old rascally dog, the old rabid dog himself, the good boy at the end of the day, Cujo. I have a little bit of a history about what? the name Cujo, and they mention it in the book. Um, let's go even further back. In the mid-70s, I think we talked about this on an episode, King was talking about writing a fictionalized version of the Patty Hearst story. She's the Hearst Harris that was kidnapped, um, essentially brainwashed, and became allegedly became part of this um, kind of terrorist organization, the SLA. Right. And they mentioned offhand how Cujo is the dog. The name comes from a nickname of one of those people in the SLA. Now, here's a little history I did after reading the book. You ready for this? Mm-hmm. You ready for your minds to be blown? Are you ready for your minds to be blown? Oh, yeah. 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 So yeah. Just didn't go. Thank you very much. Yeah. Okay. The, so the nickname, the person who had the nickname Cujo, his real name was Willie Wolf. What does Brett name the new dog at the end Willy. of the
5: book?
3: Willie. And, and um, Patty Hearst, as her Tanya brainwashed persona, says, Cujo was the gentlest, most beautiful man I have ever known. Neither Cujo or I had ever loved an individual the way we loved each other. I just felt there was a little bit of like the bread, and like he's like he was the best dog I'll ever know. Yeah. And, and he's we big loved and each other.
5: On the onset. Yeah. I got a
3: little choked. I'm getting choked up now thinking about that because I, too,
0: we were not really talked about this in great detail, all of us, but like I really love dogs. Well, them. You know, love dogs. Must love dogs. I just remember this they one time when Justin was looking at our dog. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> And good. he was just like, you know, petting her and were sitting in the living room and everybody's quiet watching TV. And he just said, he just looked up and he said, you know, if if she really wanted to In the middle of the night She could just tear our throats out And he said it in such a sweet way Like he was still petting her Like, you know, she could just tear our throats out If she wanted to in the middle of the night Because she's a beast living in our house Shout and out to Dixie Belle
3: A cute, most adorable like, little uh, Carolina dog She had a little fused broken leg So she kind of hopped around, you know Dixie. Never barked Nicest dog alive But guess what? Those teeth... <laughs> They're real. They're real, baby. <laughs> oh, but I, I've thought about that
4: multiple times when yeah. I, I watch Sammy's dog. Sometimes uh, it's, a, it's especially a pit a, bull. It's a pit bull, and yeah. he would sit there and just right next to me and just stare at me. Um, and his dog's very like human-like, and uh, and his his, Kevin. His name's Kevin. For God's his name's name Kevin. It's a human um, name. And he just would just sit there and stare at me, right, right, right next, sitting right next to me. And it did it, like that same thought did occur to me. I was like. This dog absolutely has the power and strength to just rip my fucking head off. And, I like, can I can't do anything about it if he wants to do that. And, and it is kind of scary. I mean... Well, we, at the end of
3: the day, I mean, dogs are just beasts. <laughs> they, well, you that, know, that's what makes it, it such a, a brilliant well, subversion is that, like... Except for Dixie Bell, man. Something know, that we dog.
4: reliably... You know lean upon as a friend and a source of like goodness and 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 like hope even sometimes mm-hmm. and and just like we put all our like bad like omens on like oh, uh, we shed them aside when we were with dogs and we just like hug them and we like we love them and we, we we just feel good and for him to take that away and make it is yeah. it turns the tables and then they're gonna <laughs> actually going to prey upon you on 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 literal and metaphorical level mm-hmm. um is genius I mean it, it's it's kind of like I'm trying to think of another book that is this accessible and relatable that, I mean, everyone... I mean, especially in the American family, the dogs are such Well, a that's the difference person. between yeah. this
3: and Jaws, obviously, because great whites are... <laughs> Our predators, and we don't. Yeah. I, I never well, had a shark as a pet, but know. I love beaches.
0: And, and not beaches everybody, are fun. not everybody loves dogs. But I think he, he, then, trust those he people, wrote, first of all, then he wrote, the right but then bed. he wrote Pet Cemetery, and we had church. So that's right. Know, mm. Church. Mm. And everybody, cat. everybody gets a little.
5: Well, everyone knows that if a cat was the size of a Saint Bernard, we would all be dead. Yeah, yes.
0: Abs- no question. Yes. Ooh, like Martin, no.
3: Que- I tell people all the time. You know, your cats would literally murder you the moment they could. You
5: know, well, hundred percent.
3: But, You know, well, we have a cat's
0: eye, they can't you know, so high. <laughs> we have the cat, you know, sitting on, on the chest, you know, taking in the breath of the, the its oh, victim. Oh, well, so the parents thought in cat's eye, <laughs> yeah,
5: yeah. Um, but he, he's constantly giving us Cujo's specs in this book. It's a 200 pound
2: <laughs>
3: oh, God. Saint
5: Bernard, and even when those are friendly, if you're walking one and it wants to go somewhere, whether or not yeah. it's vicious, it's yeah. taking you there. It's very
0: scary. And that's why I felt like when they first met Cujo, you know, like there was that foreshadowing. There, like, oh, uh, something's scary about this dog. It's just because it's huge. Yeah, that's all that <laughs> you was. You know, yeah. I, I don't think. I mean, like, like yeah, you could take it as foreshadowing, and you because you know that the story is about a dog that goes rabbit or whatever. But no, the description think, in the back uh, of the book didn't make it seem like that.
3: that
0: <laughs> but <laughs> yeah. yeah, so I, I just uh, yeah, this dog is huge. It's 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 even as gentle as it might be. It's still like at the end of the day, you're like, this thing could just eat me whole.
3: It's in the movie it's really shown how huge that dog is next to little Danny Pintaro. Yeah, yeah. Um so this is also I know in the stand, um Kojak, the dog does get a little chapter of his own where we kind of see things through his eyes, mm-hmm. but is this the this is got kind of, this is only the second instance of that being of, of a non human we're following a non human around, right? Oh, you you're talking about uh, King becoming a dog? Yeah, yeah, but King becoming a dog, a real <laughs> yeah. dog. And this, so my question is to you. Well, I'll say it right off the bat, I thought it actually worked because for me, but again, Mel, you you felt differently about this. For me, the the Cujo POV chapters for me. I keep saying for me, for me. By the way, this is my perspective.
5: Not for me. Not now, I don't we'll speak up behalf of everybody. Later. But that, this is for me. That
3: would be Justin. That made it feel like, oh, this is absolutely just a dog on rabbit and what might happen when a dog goes rabbit What the what the quote unquote thought processes of a dog losing its mind? Um, so for I, I I enjoyed the Cujo POV chapters. I didn't feel that because I, that easily for me could have been really stupid. Mm-hmm. But I thought it kind of worked, and, and especially early on, you kind of fall for this dog. Which is pretty easy to do because it's a dog to begin with, and we all love dogs. Mm. Um, how do everybody else feel about the the Cujo chapters? Though? Oh,
5: I I I don't think we completely disagree. Yeah. All, all I think is that there's something about the disease that is a little bit more intelligent than it should be. Like mm-hmm. there's some element of evil there that gives it gives Cujo when he's rabid this additional foresight. Yeah. But we can that's like neither here nor there. I really like the Cujo chapters, and I do think you're supposed to think this is the dog's realistic thought processes. Um, I, it's a known fact that Stephen King is a huge fan of Watership Down and so am I. And so Mm. I really love when he goes into animal (laughs) POV, which I think he does more in later books and he kind of just like dips in there sometimes. Mm. Um, and I, I love that stuff. Um, I love the capitalization of his Trinity as the back of the book calls it, like Mm. the boy, the woman, the man. Um, I think he does a really good job of, of making the language simplistic, but still captivating when you're a dog. Um, it reminds me, there's this great short story that I can't remember the name of, but I just love the way different authors treat going into dogs' minds in this short story. Like, you'd expect the dogs to be really excited or whatever, this dog just swears all the time. And he's like, <laughs> I'm the fucking fastest dog that ever fucking lived. And, like, you better run because you can't keep up with me because I'm fucking great. And like I love that. That's great. Um, but I, I think I, I really liked it, and I mm. think he... I think King really likes animals. Like oh, I, oh, I don't totally. know
4: where oh, I get this from, yeah. but he loves he, he loves his, he's, he's got his corgi, corgi or his Twitter page. Molly Thing of the Evil. Thing of Evil, thing yeah. Of evil. Um, Micah, I. The, I uh, the thing is, the the problem I have with the dog chapters is pretty much the same thing with with Mel and that's that it does confirm things. Mm-hmm. Is that it gets a little bit too, like specific with the thoughts of how far the the the, the, the rabid disease can be mm-hmm. well you know like or what the it kind of the, the higher intelligence of the disease where i don't think you really need to do that where it just starts confirming a lot of fears that donna has that were just on her own thoughts mm-hmm. and the the matches that you make of those like i just think it's more effective for donna to think oh i'm i'm seeing this dog this dog is staring at me and we're actually seeing each other on a spiritual level i think it's more effective to see it from her eyes mm-hmm. and to to know if that's a fear that she's having as opposed to then hearing it from Kuja going like, yeah, I am staring at him when I to like, like <laughs> the thing. <laughs> fuck you. So on the so i the fastest I'm going to eat you alive. That aside, like I do like being able to kind of have those shifting perspectives mm. because it is cool. And especially it's great to use as a medium to kind of break up the tension. You know, like when she comes around outside of the, the, the door and Kuja's like, you know, sitting underneath the hood, mm. um, that's a great scene to kind of use for pacing, even though it gets a little too, you know, um, it gets a little too precious for me with just like the way that he's able to kind of get into the specifics of what the dog's actually breaking this down. From, yeah. From, yeah.
0: I, but I also think, I think that, that the reason he did that, what that we have the POV stuff for the dog is because if we didn't, it'd be really easy to just, you know, see this as a supernatural thing. Mm-hmm. And, but I feel like when we do go to the dog, it's just like, oh, this dog's just sick. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it doesn't understand what's going on and is just kind of like at his wits end. And it's like the over explaining. It's like in the instance where less is more, I feel like he was trying to prove that this is just a dog like that, here's his actual thought process and he's just going after. It. And like, I, I see what you're saying Mel with the, like there might be some other force at work kind of guiding mm-hmm. him. Uh, I never looked at it like that, but I can kind of see that now. But I, I do think that those POV shots, <laughs> if you will, are there because um, he's trying to uh, once again, dispel the idea that some, there is something supernatural at work.
3: And I think overall though, what worked was even though we're going back and forth between the human perspectives, no matter where they are and Cujo, even though you get these Kudra chapters for me that kind of like say, okay, well, this is just a rabbit dog. Just like the other people involved, there are still moments where you're like, well, maybe there is something else going on here. And I do like how the book is structured in such a way King can't tell us this, obviously, because he was drunk. But, you know, that kind of goes back <laughs> and forth between is this real? Could this really be happening or is this all just because the work of like a, a fantastical supernatural uh, element? And uh, so that, that would work. So, yeah, long story short, I like the Cujo chapters, and they could have been an absolute disaster. The Hills of Ice part two is a good example of that, where he, <laughs> you, they cut to a dog having a flashback from the first movie. <laughs> Wait, really? Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Great moments of early 80s horror films right there. Um, but let's get into the humans, and we'll obviously be talking about Cujo on and off, as we <laughs> are inevitably going to have to do. Let's talk about the Trentons Donna, Tad, and Papa Vic. Uh, where do we want to start off with with that tree, with that holy Trinity right there, Donna perhaps let's start with donna d t donna Trenton um, she 's great uh, <laughs> yeah the lover uh, the- okay, moving on Tad was a little boy no
0: <laughs> no i, I uh, um, like Mel mentioned earlier that about like just going into the female characters a little bit more and fleshing them out more or I guess the most in this because you have charity and Donna, I think they spend, we spend a lot of time with them And their points of view. Uh, and I really, I, the whole storyline between her and Vic and Steve is very, um, satisfying to me. I think we really get into that and I, I, she's a really complicated character cause I don't feel like she's ever been, she's ever made out to be this person. Like we're supposed to demonize. Like she's no. very, we really get in touch with even Vic too, just like the human aspect of these characters and, and you know. It's complicated, you know, like she's a good mom, you know, and just made some bad decisions. And, you know, I, I think a lot of almost everybody's like that in the real world and can can connect to that. And I really uh, connected with Donna. I think uh, it was just well written.
3: I think yeah, if you break down the the, the charity and Donna characters mm-hmm. is that they're both fiercely protective over their children and then we see that in the book in two totally different ways. That's yeah. that's a good breakdown. But um, Mel, did you?
5: We've been talking about kind of the book being bleak and a little bit, you know, involved with senselessness. And I think one other side of that coin is that a lot of the people here that have made bad decisions are blameless. Like this is a thing that happened and it's not their fault. Mm-hmm. And like you said, we're not supposed to demonize Donna for cheating. Like she goes into her reasons for it. And even though we sympathize with... Vic feeling really really hurt and like his uh marriage is falling apart and when you get her reasoning you're like god yeah that does sound like a shitty life and like everyone's done the thing where they're like I'm gonna sleep with this person but like oh god no they're terrible they're terrible (laughs) (laughs) afterwards you realize they're like a terrible person um so I really, I, I really liked her. And she even deals with the fact that, like, I think it's hinted at that Tad kind of likes Vic more than her. Like, he's more of a daddy's boy. Oh, he, totally. He comes up with the monster words. Yeah. He's, like, the guy who's comforting him about the closet. And Donna has to, I don't know, like, I don't want to say earn her stripes, but she becomes this, like, fearsome, protective mom in that car. And everything she does is for Tad. Like, yeah. she doesn't ever think of herself yeah. in that situation.
0: Yeah, because there's moments where she's going to... She's like, I could go for the bat. I could go for this. And she's like, I can't leave Tad alone. Yeah, mm-hmm. the well, risk like, is... Like, she talks bad. about,
4: yeah, how, it, how the situation would fare so much differently if it was just her in the car. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of it is, yeah, the sacrifices that you make, f- that mothers make uh, while rearing children. I mean, I think it's a lot of that. I mean, like, the it's no... I mean, this is a very mathematical book. When you really think about all the different variables that are circling around each other, and the fact that you have Charity and Donna as the these two figures that are really the main characters of the two parallel stories mm-hmm. that are going on, and you have like Vic, and uh, that's in between in this sense. But um, you know, the idea that you have Charity comes from this really miserable, like not very nurturing family uh, with Joe that just is a miserable person. And then you have Vic who is nurturing, but at the same time it shows that like it's the grass is always greener in different s- situations. Like that whole saying just like, Oh yeah, the grass is always green. But it's like, well, it doesn't matter which situation you're in. Sometimes you're going to have these, you're going to have like issues. You're going to have problems. There's going to be demons. There's going to be these awful things that, that are uh, going to just th- thwart your existence. And for me, it was like watching both women being able to kind of wrestle with these things while also knowing that they have, that they're a mother Mm -hmm. and knowing what children kind of tie them down to their respective identities also. And like, how do you continue to have and maintain your own identity when there's these, it's not even just the societal expectations, but just, I think expectations just in general from your own family of, well, you are the maternal figure. You need to do this. You need to over, you know, you need to protect and, you know, and how you can maintain that sort of individuality, I think, a lot of it. I mean because there's a lot of discussion with Donna, especially with why she went with with um, with Kemp and, and and why she hates her time in Castle Rock and there's a lot of like even when they when Vic's trying to figure out, where donna could be and she's like oh well maybe they're at the tupperware party he's like no donna's not gonna go to tupperware party it's bullshit stuff like and and it's interesting to like see like so she it's you have two women that are really trying to figure out like how who they can be and like there's this in, in in this in these respective situations and i think that's i don't know for me like i thought that was one of the most interesting meditations in the book because you have I don't know if there, there are no answers at that. Like, I mean, I don't think there is ever really an answer in this book about that for, but I mean, most, both of them, I think have to settle with whatever demons they've had on the table. I mean, like Charity's pretty much stuck at the end and Donna now is experiencing the loss and grief of her kid. I mean, it's just, it, it's kind of in that sense, when you look at like just in their own sort of ways of figuring out this kind of like, existential crises for these two women and it's like the, the conclusions are pretty haunting to me yeah, i mean right. I, I thought that was pretty terrifying at the end it's just like they're trapped i mean really and now donna's really trapped i feel because i mean whatever she feeling she had with vic is definitely i mean there's this like i feel like this insistence that they kind of have to be together maybe now because so, yeah, of
0: this i, I felt like, like almost the opposite oh, at, really? the, at the end at, at least the end. Okay. i felt like because even even King says that the last paragraph with with Donna and Vic says you know like by the time the leaves turned that things were a little better a little and I think that that's saying that like they will get through it they things will get better as long as they're like communicating with each other and they're there because they are very real with each other there at the end oh yeah we talk about yeah. that and then they're like okay I'm gonna go make tea and it's just like. That would never have happened before that. Stri- but, I,
3: striving for normal. But I, and I, the then end. even
0: charity, like they take the money. they they're like kind of better off. They get the new dog. It's like they're they're moving on. And it might not be a grand situation, but, you know, in a way, they're kind of saved because Joe's dead. I mean, it's <laughs> sad that he dies the way he dies, but I think, you know, even Brett, you know, he's he's like, he's not under that spell anymore, you know, now she's the influence.
4: But well, I think, but I, th- I also think that it's, it's almost like this Hemingway sort of Hills Like White Elephants thing where you, yes, there is some sort of, there, there's changes and stuff, but they're still in this, like, I mean, she's still going to have to, like, Charity herself is going to have to work her ass off to keep a place that she wanted to escape now, you know? Like, that's a fucked up, like thing that, she, in, you know, in the, in the end. Like, I mean, that's... that's I, I, of, think, but I
0: think she was trying to escape the marriage, not necessarily where she was, yeah. or the farm, or anything like that, or whatever. Or, or I mean, the, the like the auto house, or whatever, you know? I, I, I just... The way she
4: I saw that she was looking at her sister, and how her sister was able to get out and do something, that's what I
3: felt... I thought that she looked at... We'll jump... Yeah, we'll just Sorry charity. to talk about... It. No, I, no, no let's cool, though. But no, I, just, I think with Charity and Holly, ha- I think that the whole thing there was, just because her sister's really well off, and... <laughs> has like a nice house and is living in a nice neighborhood doesn't necessarily mean that she has all the answers and it doesn't necessarily mean that that's what charity has to do in order to be happy because the whole thing with um with Brett also earlier on she's talking about how her fear is as good as Brett's doing in school right now like like um Joe will convince him or force him to just take mechanical classes and he'll just be just like his father. But I feel like now that Joe's not in the picture, he can keep going to school at Castle Rock. Yeah. But he can do whatever he wants in school, and maybe he'll be able to get out that way. I, I do think it was more of a – she wanted to escape under Joe's thumb and Joe's mm-hmm. way of thinking, Joe's parenthood, um, and let Brett become – reach his full potential in that, in that way. And then oh, and as for the Donna stuff, though, at the end, yeah, I think it's one of those instances of, well, they're still together here. But, again, as the whole book has taught us, there's no happy endings. We don't know what's going to happen. I was so
5: surprised that they stuck together and the ending was happy in a way where I think they – Vic says, like, you know, there was an hour maybe where I doubted that we'd be together forever and that I love you. But that was after the Kemp thing. But now I know it's, like, us for good. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, okay. And it's as happy as an ending you can get, I guess. I would have thought
0: something – I would would have thought something different but just that last bit that little exchange between them where she says she actually says out loud I love you too and he's like I think I needed that and it's like you know if she hadn't said anything it would have been like a little bit more ominous like maybe they're not maybe they're just kind of doomed and this thing will never really go away but I don't think any of that kind of stuff ever goes away you just have to live with it and deal with it well I'll tell you
3: I've got a thousand pages of fucking notes here and I cannot find (laughs) this one piece of note I wanted to really read here is a throwaway line and Roger is regretting um, or Roger really wants to leave with Vic to go back to Castle Rock because Vic has just found out about his family being gone. And Roger's saying, you know, I can't, I can't do this, man. I can't, I can't do this presentation knowing what you're going through, blah, blah, blah. And then Vic, before he leaves, just says, listen, man, you know, you, all this stuff's going on, blah, 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 but you just got to try. I thought that was really like the whole point of this book. It was like the marriage, like, well, you know, you got to try. You got to try push through. And if it works, it works. If it doesn't, it doesn't. But if you don't try then what the fuck's the point of any of this?
5: What's interesting you know? because Roger is presented as this sort of fat sad sack who has also <laughs> lost a kid like he their their child died. Yeah. They have another yeah. one, but but Vic muses on that fact and it's just like yeah, they were never really the same and like especially uh, the wife is now an alcoholic and like mm-hmm. we're we're sort of made to think that maybe that family is a little bit of a lost cause, especially with the ad stuff going down the tubes too. Um, so then it's interesting that he ends up in the same place, but maybe it's, he's discovering, you know, life doesn't end when your child's life ends.
3: Yeah. The world totally moves on, you know, with or without you. It's like weirdly saves their marriage in a weird way. Well, it's such, it's like the worst possible that, thing that could possibly happen to them when you think about it. Is right. if child I, 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 you know? I, I still don't see it as saving the marriage. I really, I oh, am no, maybe I'm saying, it's just don't because I'm cynical, but yeah. I, I,
4: I see it as a way of saying like, yeah, they're coping together. And it's, and it's really like, I mean, yeah, you put, you can put all your demons on the table, but at the end of the day, like those are there and they're going to always haunt you. I mean, I think think even like looking at like, look at the Frank Dodd thing. Yeah. I see it as like that metaphor of like, you know, they killed Frank Dodd. They got rid of him. Mm -hmm. Dodd still kind of affects this town Mm -hmm. and it's still something that's changed this town. And what was this kind of happy getaway sort of. American life, Norman Rockwell yeah. bullshit, whatever. Um, they, it is now poisoned. Literally every facet of the town, yeah. and I feel like these this little story is kind of like a parallel to that idea that like whatever monsters are out there, they don't, they can't be vanquished, they can't be killed, they will just kind of permeate into something else. And I feel <laughs> like whatever ailments that they were going through before in their marriage has now. They're all on the open table, and yes, there are. There, are, I, I do. I agree with the communication thing for sure. I, I just think that, like, I don't. I mean, yeah, I guess this is like it, w- tying it with the, the fairy tale thing with like once upon a time in the beginning, and then kind of ending it with like the happiest ending that you could do. Mm-hmm. I still think that it is like there. This is just a miserable situation. Well, oh, I, oh, yeah, well, it's about,
5: Donna has a through line where she talks about there's a like sewage pipe running underneath every marriage in America, mm. and that also ties into the image of her mother who's so obsessed with putting forth a good face for these dinner parties. But at one point this green goop explodes out of the sink and and splatters the ceiling. Like it's all about repression. It's all about not talking about things. I think a great Testament to how well done these characters are is, is the argument she eventually has with Vic about cheating where you're, you're. I feel like I'm totally on both of their sides. Like she's oh, really okay. trying to express herself, and he's like, "So what? You're scared of getting old? Like that's what this is about?" And you're like, "Yeah, Vic. I guess I would say that if I had been presented with all this information." But also, donna totally get where you're coming from, girl. <laughs>
4: um, yeah, like that was that was probably my favorite part about this book is the fact that you don't have you see the the the, the, the both sides of the picture, yeah. which is kind of. I mean, we talked about this with it last year, last week with the movie, and like how like that's a great thing that Stephen King's able to do is he's able to kind of uh, like kind of make you understand understand why these characters go to this way it's not just never as black and white as like mm-hmm. oh this is a person that's bad this is a person that's good like you know know that like no there is like a multifaceted reason for why they do these things and like, yeah i never never once does it occur to me like oh this is a bad like she this is a bad this i mean i guess in a sense that it's a bad decision but you understand why and yeah. like, i mean and i, I think that th- the the thing that drives me nuts so much with with a lot of Dramas and melodramas is that they always make it as like this sin and like <laughs> sin is what caused you know it's like it's like them sinning and like they're this the, the the demon like caused this and it's like no it's like you're human you have these errors but at the same time like you have your own reasoning for them and I, I don't know well it's but, like the whole like all
3: this happened because you did this as opposed to all this happened because stuff happens chaos you know what I mean? <laughs> but I think it's a testament to the the kind of open-ended nature of the book where we all have four pretty different well some of us have more similar views but we've got different perspectives as to what that ending means and it's a good way of being open-ended that I actually liked I don't need a, a button on that saying yeah and they live the next 40 years together and they die in each other's <laughs> yeah, arms exactly. you know what I mean it's still kind of like well do they still have each other is it just for comfort's sake is it just because of familiarity who knows but this story is over you know <laughs> yeah um so, yeah, so with, we'll talk a little bit more about Don as we talk about these other characters, but I think we need to talk about good old Tad. And Ted. look, he's not as major a character as Danny Torrance or Charlie from Firestarter, but this is one of the more, for me, like, believable instances of childhood dialogue in mm-hmm. this book that he didn't quite nail yeah. even in The Shining. No, I'm not going to say not, he's a powerful not, as Definitely not in The Shining. As, yeah, because like, we, we, you make the joke, Mike, about the, In The Shining, how like sometimes Danny sounds like a 40 year old man. <laughs> I mean, I know he's got The Shine, but you know. But well, yeah. I, I believed, and I think because King had been a father for a long time up until this point, so I, I think he had a little bit more of a reference point as to how a, like a four or five year old would, would
0: talk well, to their parents. He just builds the, the character really well. And, or just, I love that, even just that weird, it's not weird, just that little bit of story we get where like Tad's playing all the games, mm-hmm. and he has that one game, that, uh, the no name game where he like just sets up all of his cars in a row mm-hmm. and then, and they're like sitting there and then, and then it says something like if, if Tad had the vocab, he like, he basically th- he doesn't just say it as from Tad's, you know, you know, Danny point of view. He's like, well, if, if Tad had the know-how and vocabulary, he would say that this is like centering his chi, you know, like this is yeah. his meditation game or whatever. Uh, which is funny. Cause I feel like old King would have just been like written from Tad's point of view. Yeah, like be this, like is, this is me. This centering is my, my med- team, This is my meditation. Yeah. Um, but could uh, you
3: see like King and Tabitha King sitting down watching Joe Hill doing that very thing like a couple years earlier? <laughs> oh, I mean, yeah. It, it yeah. just seems like, just like based like, on what experience, is, you like, know, what is Joe like a doing? fire
4: truck or something. <laughs> yeah. oh, I like firemen. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I feel like Taz
5: is super realistic. Mm-hmm. But in that sense, he's also just not super interesting. He's meant to represent yeah. potential yeah. and innocence and something to. Protect and I think he's written very well, but yeah. he's a four year old, so. he's not that. like the
3: center of the story, like you say. He's yeah. not like Charlie or Danny, where they're going to take up a third of the book. He's just there to kind of you're protecting Tad. You're existing. To, you know, is here to protect the boy and save the boy, and we have to think about the boy when it comes to our marriage and all of that. And we stuff. get
5: frustrations associated with him too. Like if she's frustrated about the Pinto and he's crying, and she's like, "Oh my God, shut up!" And
3: but that's so, realistic too. Yeah, yeah. that's totally, what I liked about that. Totally. It's just like the just you're going to snap. And they do a good point of the breaking points in this, but not just Tad, obviously, but with Donna and that Pinto. And mm-hmm. you're not going to be a hero the entire time. It's impossible. It's not real. Yeah, You're going to snap and you're going to have your breaking points and you're going to have to take it on somebody and why to take it on this kid. This
0: little stupid fucking kid next to you. No, well, it's name Tad. Uh, Tad.
5: Yeah, yeah. Is that short for something? Is it just <laughs> I think Tad?
0: Like Tadius? Tad is like Tad, Tad the, like Tad Theaterman. Uh, Tad Theaterman. Tad the uh, old uh, grunge. That's room. a really
3: deep reference, man. Good I old know, grunge. Man.
0: Good old sex, wieners and boobs. That's a play. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a play. Uh, yeah. All right. I also just like seeing the closet from Tad's point of view because I definitely felt like that when I was that that age. Oh yeah. Wow. I mean and 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 spot on. I mean, you you see things that aren't there. And I also love the just like the little bit of the little parallels where, you know, I think even Donna talks at one point about being in the closet and and thinking she was going to see this this girl that she used to know like with no head. And so it's like, yeah, even though Tad's only four and, and these things don't exist, like even as an adult, you still have those thoughts and feelings. What's well, the, the suggestion? And yeah, know. and I, I just, I kind of dug, I kind of dug the, seeing Tad's point of view and then the adults and the, some of the adults, they still kind of believe in the other, the other. Yeah. But, and then of course with good old Tad, we've
3: got to talk about what we talked about a little bit earlier is him dying. Because, Mel, you had never seen the movie before, even before you read the book.
5: No, totally did not expect Ted to die, especially in the way that he did. And I, I mean, I don't want to say I love that, but I love that ending. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. It totally caught me off guard. And I was like, all right, he did commit. Totally bleak book. Great. I feel very upset.
3: Well, I, I don't want to spoil the movie for you, but in the movie, he does not die. He yeah. doesn't die in the movie. So I yeah. saw the movie first So when I was reading the book I was really like <laughs> Yeah uh, Okay this she's gonna Take him into the house And she's gonna do Mouth to mouth I can't believe Like waiting for resuscitation oh, no. And it just yeah. doesn't happen Well I well. thought
5: I thought even when I thought Vic was wrong When he was like How long has he been dead yeah. And there's the point Where she's giving him Mouth to mouth And it's saying mm-hmm. like She breathed for her son And I'm like okay He's gonna come back mm-hmm. No And the whole thing He keeps repeating Like Tad Who was still dead Like under the sheet Like he says He's still dead A couple times And mm-hmm. it, it's just really Worked on me um, and they take him away. And, it's just like, and the point there's a point where Kujo is attacking Donna in that, like final fight or whatever. And Tad wakes up. and I feel like his mind sort of breaks because he sees the monster from his closet, like going mm-hmm. after his mom. And like that even even then, I was like, oh my God, like this kid's never gonna be the same If he does survive this, That's a sanity. Destroying blow Seeing that She even mentions yeah.
3: that Really early on He's like oh my god He's he's gonna be affected by this For years to come She actually yeah. says that in the book Or mm-hmm. you, you hear her interior monologue going, no, I so. don't know He could have been a cool kid
0: yeah. <laughs> Well it's funny though Because like it, Like ah dog Who cares We live It lived. does make <laughs> you think about All of that stuff Just in terms of like Age and like Because I don't really have Any concrete memories Before I was Maybe you know Five or six yeah. Like I can't really I remember like images But not like real concrete memories but going through something like that does that jog your mind into some kind of state of, you know, like I'm not say, I'm not saying hey do whatever you want because your kids aren't going to remember it until they're five or six because because seriously because they do and the, somewhere in your brain that's uh, those images those experiences are stored and they do affect how you continue to grow so whether or not he remembers Cujo growing up. He's he would have still been totally. Scarred well, I think by there's that.
3: two outcomes with that. Likely outcomes would be either one, like extreme repression, where you can't, where you're just totally just avoiding totally that, but it that, affects yeah. you. It ultimately, will really affect you, or you're just haunted by it the rest of your yeah. life and you can't get it out of your mind. I don't think there's like a a good outcome from being a, stuck in a car for a couple of days, being attacked by a a huge Saint His Bernard. His death
5: is still really slow and torturous. Mm. Oh, it's just, that's just but it's awful. so
3: it's so slow and torturous where you're convinced that. He's going to make it through. <laughs> There's just no way we're going to keep going down here. But no, he's that little boy dies at the end of this book. And a lot of times, especially with something like God, um, – what is it And Sometimes They Come Back where I feel it's too grim? Oh, yeah. Well, Sometimes They Come Back, the ending of Sometimes They Come Back. I feel it's a little too grim. This uh, is obviously like very demon, grim, yeah. but it fits in with the overall narrative. I didn't feel like he was like just trying to really be like, oh, now this is really fucked up, isn't it? I felt like it, it, it matched up with what I've been reading the entire time and the whole – the theme of the inevitability and and the thing that, that that things happen, really bad things happen all the time. Um, those are the Trentons. Now we have to talk about the other side of the coin, or well, we didn't like? really talk about Vic. Well, we're going to talk about Vic and Roger too, yes. Yeah. But um, uh, like just well, just I just guess say. in your eyes they're not a Trenton then. So uh, <laughs> Who are you talking about oh Vic? Uh, Vic. Well, Vic, we'll, we'll talk about Vic and Roger because they're a tag team in this. They're together yeah. most of the book. Yeah, that's true. Yeah,
4: but we'll just go. We'll talk about Vic and Raj Go ahead. I thought Vic was pretty cool. <laughs>
5: Well, he is an advertising genius. Yeah, <laughs>
0: um, you know, you AdWorks definitely see uh, John Hamm as as Vic. Um, oh, no question about it. <laughs> Absolutely, he's got some great ideas.
4: I I loved. I'm a huge fan of uh, the uh, the old school New York in the, the yeah. late '70s and early '80s. So I like seeing two guys just kind of hit the town together. No, I'm just oh. joking. I I I really was enjoying the fact that. Um, you just saw two friends that knew how to share a pastrami sandwich. And
3: uh, just, those, this is really memorable. <laughs> you know, a lot friends are me. comfortable enough to eat, like watching a baseball game in their underwear together, you know? Yeah.
5: Are we supposed to see Vic and Roger as like the more um, well centered and, uh, I mean, they kind of make a go of it on their own, right? They're like, we're not going to be the big corporate guys. Yeah. We're going to be ad works, like just by ourselves. We're going to do right yeah. by everybody or whatever. And then you've got Joe and Gary, like just living these terrible, sad
4: lives. I didn't even think about that. That's a
3: good. That's Wanting to go
5: to Boston and like I don't know, bang some prostitutes or whatever they're going to do in Boston. Maybe
3: catch a game. Yeah. Yeah. Go hunting. Interesting.
4: There really are parallels to everything in this. Then. Yeah. Because you, yeah, because you have like you have Brett and Tad. My like, Tad mm-hmm. wins over Brett. God, I hate him. Um, can't stand Brett. Um, but yeah. He's okay now. He, he grew up to be Don, fine. I'm, I'm convinced. He's Charity, fine. Roger, and. Yeah. Oh, man, I didn't
0: even think about that. That's oh, yeah. crazy. Yeah. There's,
3: yeah. there's layers to this shit, as somebody once said.
0: <laughs> and then uh, Cujo and Steve. <laughs> oh, actually, one's,
3: they're both radical. Oh, wow.
4: That is true, though, actually. Yeah. Really good point.
0: Uh, but who yeah, think, so who no, do you think would win in a fight? Steve, Steve or uh, Cujo? Cujo. Yeah, is this is this is this is this the Kujo we all know and love that owns the oh, house? Oh, Owns the house on uh, King. King's okay, screen? I'll put it this way: I think Kemp would would sadly kill
3: um, normal Kujo, but rabid Kujo would take care of Steve Kemp. No,
4: no questions asked. Okay. Oh yeah. Yeah, because then like Kemp would do that stupid like, all right, now I'm gonna do my final order, and he's just he would just you know start masturbating, yeah. <laughs> and that's when he, and, uh, oh Cujo yeah, would be, do with attack. He would be like he, Kujo's like, he be, like, be
0: being mauled by Cujo, and it would be like you know, and and he was rock hard. You know? Yeah, that's right. Unless, unless he like his van has some spectral magic
4: to
3: him, and uh, he can you know oh, conjure up God. some cool. Oh, it's Steve black Kemp magic. has a cat, which is an opposite of a dog.
0: <laughs> I guess we kind of are. started talking about Kemp here. <laughs>
5: Like yeah, there's just like no black and white in this book. Everyone has multitudes, and then we get to Steve fucking yeah. Kemp, oh, that who is just weird. a piece of well, shit. Who is the most
0: monstrous of them all? He is the most like bipolar character. Like, and he even says like like when he comes out of that. I think after he wrecks the house, and then he like comes to and is like, oh my god, like I really like, I, I, I probably should get out of here. Like, it, like it, it's like it's such a switch, you know that. It's, I mean, he it's and he still jerks
3: off on the yeah. On the I know. Bed too. It's very
0: clear that he. There's is, is no. He had a bipolar. Yeah, I well, I mean, he was
3: bipolar.
4: Someone who struggled with bipolarism. I, I uh, it, well, you're like it, that. Is a <laughs> well, no, no. no but the, there is that. That's sort of. It's not to get uh, a little sexual here, but mm. it is like an orgasm in the sense, like you have this like this anxiety and and like rage that just builds up sometimes, and you're just like it just like goes and then you just unleash on some on just something. It just like whether you say something that you don't want to like that you you just unleash a bunch of like craziness that you just say like you know like fuck this the no this is shit blah 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 like you just go nuts or like you know there's been situations where i just like will like rip up a book or something like that or just like you just get really angry and then like punching a wall thing but then afterwards you're just like what the fuck did i do that for and like you just like and then you go in this whole remorse period or you go on for a while there and like it's like acute anxiety like disorders Mm -hmm. like you have and like i think that's what you probably have like it's in a sense is that that whole sort of like build up and the fact that King actually ends it with him ejaculating. That felt very real to me. Mm-hmm. Um but uh it, it never unlike all the other characters, I never really understood why he was so like beholden to this like thing. Like why he there was no ever th- there was never an instance where I thought that Steve understood the situation. He, in, oh he's an app, he's an app. It's no. really
5: weird because he has this very limited understanding of himself where he yeah. knows he knows like I'm not gonna shake the person's hand if I if I lose in a tennis match and he like knows that about himself. Mm-hmm. He's not proud of it, but he also doesn't have a problem with it. Yeah. Well that's the like, difference
3: between like somebody's bipolar who can be a very nice person and then it kicks in and they become like you said, like you just lose it. But I think the thing with Steve Kemp though is not only does he you know kind of lose it when he's bipolar, but he just he's an asshole to begin with. Oh sure, he's a garbage <laughs> so, you know, you know, his remorse stage
5: is just like, oh am I gonna get caught? Yes like well, I need to And get the whole thing is,
3: you know, with the whole Donna thing is this is all because he got rejected. Yeah. He got emasculated. He was rejected.
0: Yeah. And he was told no, and this is—he seems like the kind of guy they can kind of talk about how he's always I, had kind well, of success he, in that regard. And he's like a vagabond a little bit, like you know, he just picks up and leaves and yeah. goes wherever. I mean, like his profession, you can do that anywhere. And then, like when he does act out, he leaves, and then he ends up coming back eventually. But like also, you know, this is also a time where you know, I don't, no one knew what bipolar was, you know, and mm. like like he, it was probably super undiagnosed, and he didn't know, and he just people just thought he was an <laughs> asshole for getting here. Well, he know? was definitely but, an asshole but, to begin with, though. The, well, yeah, but like you know, like, he's probably living that his whole life, so. So like, mm. how do you turn out when you don't know that you have a condition? You know, I'm not trying to. Ma- I mean, I'm making excuses for him. Well, there's was a I, of defense
3: I, attorney for uh, Steve Kemp during the home invasion
4: yeah, uh, trial and, back uh, in '83, and I
0: won. Uh, no.
4: <laughs> no, I, I do uh, love that he's a tennis instructor, also. Which, uh, if you recall from Night Shift, uh, the ledge. Oh, uh, yeah. there's another infidelity uh, sort of situation going on well, there. He's more of and a hero, and he is a more of a hero, yeah. but he's also still a tennis instructor. Who's having an affair <laughs> must have been a thing of the times. Like well, I don't. That's too, I mean,
0: uh, um, um, I'll save that for later.
3: Oh, oh, wait, Max wait, got wait, some wait. more of a. Ma- I think Max got some Kings, Dominion, King's Dominion room ter- oh, room two thirty seven mm. stuff for later on in this. Yeah, I, I, there are a lot of echoes
4: to to the, some of the tropes that he that he wires into this. Um, oh, definitely. You know, like for example, even when you're when Brett is talking or Charity's worried about Brett and Joe and how Brett's taking on more of Joe's things. There is the hunting trip. Uh, that that you know, like oh, you probably go on a hunting trip with Joe and like learn awful things, like enrage when they when when you,
3: when King uh, yeah. brings and he that goes, up also. That's right. Um, so it's interesting how he always kind of has echoes to it. What's right? Because he doesn't both. specifically say the term toxic masculinity, but he says something masculinity, yes, in, as as, yeah. in, as in it being too much at times, and he does. He wants and Charity wants Brett to to definitely avoid that. Mac is crossing off names with a yeah. red marker right now. Like, yeah, have, we uh, talked about it Steve then. We
5: Kemp about is then. also ostensibly hot. But all we get about him is that he has this disgusting beard.
3: Yeah, he's going gray, isn't he too? Don't they talk about that a little bit? He's he's showing signs of going gray, and it, uh, yeah. it also puts him off a little bit too. But he's a um, you know what I think? I think Steve Kemp's the real monster of this book.
0: Hot well, take, you know. And, and, and I'll I'll bring this up <laughs> now. I, I had this in in pound cake, but I feel like because we're talking about Kemp uh, and like his like there's a, a page forty of the signet uh, books edition. <laughs> uh, she Adana's talking and says it occurred to her suddenly that although she had seen his penis close up, had had it in her mouth, she had never really seen what his face looked like. Mm. And I feel like he is—he is a bit of a monster. He's like you know—he's—he's he's the other Cujo in this, and I, I like the fact that. She's had a lot, I mean, physical, intense physical contact with this person still has no idea what he's capable of right. he I think is. I was also just about
3: Don not having an emotional connection with him at all. And yeah, never yeah. did to begin with. There was, there was no like, well, oh, maybe I love it this man. It wasn't about he's that.
5: He's a poet. He's like got this weird sensitive farce going on. Like what do his poems look like? It's almost what like a What does a, a Steve beard. Kemp haiku look like?
3: Oh,
4: God. We should, we should. Uh... Everyone
5: write your Steve Kemp. Yeah, yeah.
4: That's very, yeah. Uh,
5: Villanelle. <laughs>
4: Get your stanzas in order. Uh, constant listeners, I think that, uh, you heard that right there. Yeah. You,
3: you gotta go write your, uh... I need a Kempism immediately. Kempi
5: he does write that great letter, which...
3: <laughs> I'm yeah, sorry, let's... Really well, oh, the let's read the letter. Is, I, I was gonna say This, this is the most... Cake, this but, is like a second grade letter. <laughs> like, oh yeah, well, All right, yeah. Um,
5: hello, Vic. Nice wife you've got there. I enjoyed fucking the shit out of her. What's that mole just above her pubic hair look like to you? To me, it looks like a question mark. Do you have any questions?
3: Do you have any questions? What an David S. really Pumpkins. poetic, great. Just maybe he was deliberately doing that because they, if it was well written, they'd be like, you know, that sounds a lot like that great writing from Steve Kemp.
0: <laughs> we should go check him out yeah. real quick. Yeah, Mac, did you uh, have something you found there at the encouge? Uh, no, I was just the, the, just the page. Like when he does <laughs> come out of it, and he's like, "Why did I do that? What what was I thinking?" Uh, and he even walks outside and like this this. This, this kid on roller skates Zips by and says hi And he's like hey And just yeah. totally like Nothing happened I kind of wish he punched normal. the kid It's just very weird Was he on it's a skateboard? Like, yeah if he was uh, on No skateboard. it said roller
4: skates ah, That's all right That's fine No, no fine. but if you like You know did like a Biff Tannen thing Or just
3: like pushed him And then just, what like, we can got do in the car we can do <laughs> um, um, it, A fun fact um, Mac and I have a, a great uncle Whose name is Kemp Oh That's true Moving on <laughs> um, <laughs> Is he so, is Sean Kemp? Sean Kemp, yeah, yes, that's uh, right, uh, of the Seattle yeah. Supersonics. <laughs> my great uncle, Sean Kemp, who's maybe my, a little older than me. Isn't
5: that uh, Young yeah. Freedstein, Inspector Kemp?
3: Oh, I had a, a, good, a third,
0: third grade teacher, Mr. Kemp. Oh, yeah. you know, there's a lot of Kemp's out there. Hopefully they're not as bad as Steve Kemp. Yeah. If your name's Kemp jerk. and you listen to the podcast, we'd love to hear what you think about
3: Kemp's around the world. And how it's what's been like being associated with Steve Kemp your entire life? The legendary character that is Steve Yeah, because
0: everybody, everybody knows Steve Kemp from Cujo. Um, absolutely. Anybody have anything
3: else to say about the Trentons? I mean, we're going to inevitably talk about them a little bit more later on. Um, or should we move on to the the Camber storyline? Move on to the old Cambers. Let's do it. Let's talk about the Joe, Charity,
1: and Brett triumphant.
5: I said Camber.
1: Oh, is it Camber? I Camber. 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 Hello, this is Jason, co host of the All 80s Movies Podcast, with a message from Factor Meals. Warmer, sunnier days are calling. Fuel up for them with Factor's no prep, no mess meals. Meet your wellness goals in time for summer thanks to the menu of chef crafted meals with options like Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Factors fresh, never frozen meals are dietitian approved and ready to eat in just two minutes. So no matter how busy you are, you will always have time to enjoy nutritious, great tasting meals. With 35 different meals and more than 60 add-ons to choose from every week, you will always have new flavors to explore. Treat yourself to restaurant quality meals that feature premium ingredients like filet mignon, shrimp, and blackened salmon. Head to factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 and use code 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month. That's code 80smovies50 at factormeals.com slash 80smovies50 to get 50% off your first box plus 20% off your next month while your subscription is active.
0: Yeah. Camber? Joe is great. Uh- <laughs>
3: <laughs> steve if you're listening, I know you maybe don't remember how you were pronouncing when you were writing it, but this is really
5: know. important.
0: Yeah. Uh no, I mean well where do you want to start with the with the with the cambers? Let's uh, we, I think we did. we got to talk about Charity the character. I think yeah. for me
3: at the end of the book Charity is as close to a a victor as you're going to get despite everything that happened in that book she kind of comes out the best.
5: But she's she's a victor by circumstance only. Mm-hmm. I feel like she's yeah. so jaded it's so depressing to me. I just have, you know, from page 75 is like sums up her whole life the meaning of her life is to protect Brett, right? And she yeah. says she supposed that sooner or later Brett would go with them, and that would be the end of him for her. Uh, with them, in terms of the camping trip, he would join their club, and ever after she would be little more than a kitchen drudge that kept the clubhouse neat. Yes, that day would come, and she knew it, and she grieved for it. But at least she had been able to stave it off for another year.
3: That's yeah, I so know. Sad. sad. Well, I agree with you. With that That's why I said she's the victim. She's not. She's the uh, the victor to a certain extent because. The only reason that that Brett maybe has a chance is because Cujo went crazy and got rabies and killed Joe, <laughs> you know. But I think if everybody at the end of the day, she has the happiest ending because they they're no longer having to worry about Joe. Yeah. But that says this is a pretty bleak book, obviously. So if, you know, you're like stretching for victors in this thing, you know, of survivors, of true survivors. Anybody, anybody no, else about
0: Charlie? She just has that, that moment where she talks about that that Dylan Thomas poem when she says um, something about moving through dooms of love.
2: Mm, uh, yeah. What else
0: did you call that heavy-duty, invisible rubber band, if not love? Mm. And I feel like Cujo's the, the, the one that, you know, breaks that band. Yeah. I, I would say what's
4: interesting about the Camber family um, is that they all, with the exception of Joe, are pretty aware that this is a miserable sort of kind of existence. Mm-hmm. And even Brett, regardless of the fact that he is really worried about, you know, Cujo and then like kind of takes a liking to his dad. He's aware that they're like ills that are in this family. I mean, like there's this section or the, on page one seventy one, um, he, they're about to leave, um, at the bus station. I think it was at the bus station that, that he, that, uh, Joe drops them off. And, he like Joe makes that weird sick ass, uh, like comment. And it's like, I guess I just have to chase you down and drag you back with my new chain fall or whatever, which is like really like, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> great <good> joke, dad. <laughs> um, but, but then Brett has this interesting thing where, um, you know, the, the two of them embrace and Joe's like, uh, you're getting pretty damn big. Probably you ain't got a kiss to give your old man. And Brett says, I guess I do, daddy. And and it says, Brett said he hugged his father tight and kissed his stubbly cheek, smelling sour sweat and phantom of last night's vodka. He was surprised and overwhelmed by his love for his father. A feeling that sometimes still came always when it was least expected, but less and less often over the last two or three years, something his mother did not know and would not have believed if told. I'm sure she would have loved to have heard about that actually. Um, uh, and said he had to give him a goddamn guilt trip all the time. Brett. uh, it was a love that had nothing to do with Joe Camber's day-to-day behavior toward him or his mother. It was a brute biological thing that he would never be free of, a phenomenon with many illusory element, uh, references of sort which haunt for him for a lifetime, the smell of cigarette smoke, the look of a double-edged razor reflected in a mirror, pants hung over a chair, certain cursed words. I mean, that was th- that. for me was a great passage mm-hmm. because I feel like that summarizes why we cope with certain elements in broken families yeah. and it's this in intrinsic inherent feeling that you're supposed to love this person and that they are your paternal. And I wonder you know. how much
3: of um, that had to do with King and his own relationship with his father who he didn't really know. Yeah. And how, and the whole thing about just, you are just, you're tied to that person, like no matter what in the way, no matter how yeah. you truly feel deep down, it's just the, the biological nature of it all. And the thing with Joe, also, he's no Steve Kemp. I mean, look, he's a bad dad. It sounds like he's pretty abusive, you know, well, very, as well. Yeah. But they even say like, you know, he he wouldn't necessarily admit it, but he loves Cujo, and he obviously does in his own way love his son. And who knows how he felt, who or how he ever felt about Charity? But um, there's so there's a human element to Joe. Not that he's necessarily a good guy, but that he's a real person that in this book, at least. That's not for me.
5: I don't get why he doesn't charge people very good prices for his <laughs> mechanic service. Like like he seems a, like such an asshole, but he's yeah. like, yeah, I'll do it for like five bucks.
3: I feels like a folksy thing, too. So They yeah. talk about that like, you know, well, uh, I'll I'll do this for you if you take care of this for me. At the, or like if you give me a discount yeah. at the grocery store or that type of thing later on. And that's like a little, little Castle rocka way of life. you know. Yeah. But, um, oh, but anyway, long story short, I mean, I, I really did like... And as somebody who saw the movie first, I was not expecting the big Camber, Comber, Comber, Gamber, whatever the hell you want. To yeah, because they never go back to them, really. They don't. Once in the, the movie, it's well, the movie's it's it's presented as just a horror movie, essentially. It's yes, but the, it's. The it's
4: well, I was actually surprised revisiting. Not to get into the adaptation or anything, but I was really surprised that they even brought up the whole thing with you know dropping the kids off. And I, mean, I get that you have to yeah. set it up that they leave, but they start digging into some of those themes that and then they're in this they leave book, and, it's and just then the they pinto. then yeah. it's just gone which I is wonder. reading this book and knowing that the film was there. I, I didn't even remember them actually being in the film. Um, yeah, so I, mean, I, I was surprised to see these, this story in the book and how long they lingered with it. I mean, Mac, we talked about this like a few weeks ago. Was just, we were oh, like, yeah. Why do they keep going back and forth to this, like th- this thing? And like, and at the end I, I did, have that and i was complaining a lot of the times reading it just being like oh my god why do we keep going back to this like but at the end it does drive it home and then then all the themes actually kind of tie together with that because we and,
3: briefly talked about a couple like a week or two ago but you weren't done reading it so i was like just we'll just keep reading it cuz yeah. I, I swear it'll pay off a little before you, you know yeah
4: so i mean really it, it, like <laughs> it does have a payoff there are i wish they could have found different sections to to insert the actual well i just i don't know how many times i needed to hear about Charity getting upset about Brett talking about the credit card thing. Like, you know, there's nothing else to talk about. Quite like, a few times. Oh, there's like yeah. so many different times that she would keep meditating on that. I'm
3: like, I guess it's a fear of, of um, I, yeah, it's too I think admittedly, I, I love all the, like the side stories ultimately, but I think you could have possibly chopped off one or two interludes with Roger and Vic or one or two interludes with, with oh, charity yeah. and um, and Brett well, I get, charity I get and Brett,
0: I didn't mind as much yeah. because I felt like they were directly you know related to Cujo and they were still checking in, and I thought, all right, maybe maybe they're going to be the ones that alert the police or you know what I mean like mm-hmm. you, you were kind of of that mind, but man, Vic and Raj. I think that there was one point where they went back and, and then they spent like pages. Talking about their strategy, yeah, about the ad, the goddamn ad. And at that point, I was like, yeah, you know, we get it. We don't need. We could check back in with them, but we don't need to sit here and go through like the actual meeting that they're having. It, to me, yeah. it was, it was the town. <laughs> it was the town hall meeting situation you know, in the funny, stand. Like, I was like, thing. we I don't need um, to sit here for the whole where meeting. Whereas in the stand, I had an ad hoc.
3: Issue. You guys sound like you've got an ad works issue.
4: Don't don't put me. I actually, um, as someone uh, who would have loved to have been on Madison uh, Avenue at that time, I uh, I definitely like uh, the, the ad stuff. Uh, for I some did reason.
3: honestly. I wasn't because I was Somehow I was not that bored. I was. I don't know like, why, but because even reading, really I was like. Why am I complaining about meetings in the stamp? I don't care about the sharp meetings. With I know. Well, on paper, I absolutely, absolutely should hate this. Yeah.
4: But I, for some reason,
0: because I was You know what I think it, it is? It. They
3: didn't spend 200 straight pages. They spent maybe 15 pages, maybe 15 pages at a time.
0: That's probably even being generous. Probably because like there, five or six because pages. there are no chapter breaks or anything like that. Yeah. I just, I didn't, I, whenever we got to those points, I was like, oh Christ. Like, how long are we going to be with these guys? I, yeah, there were. And also, yeah, were, having watched the movie this last year, and they, because they're, they're really not in it, very much. Not much. As much. No,
2: not really and, much. Neither,
0: and then obviously, you know, charity and then they just disappear. Mm. I was just like, really. And because I was just like, well, if this wasn't important enough to, to put in the movie at all, like, why are we spending so much time with them? Well, I don't, think, I, think, it was, Santa I don't think it was
3: necessarily important. I think it was just they had to, they had to cut things for 90 right. before a 90 minute movie in 1983. And right.
0: That. And I guess I was just, because that story was so fresh in my mind, it was hard to to get through those parts because I was just like, I just wanted to get through the book Yeah, I, I, and, 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 I, and I was like, I, I, I just, I was so, away. it's kind of like, you know, when you, you, you watch any movie before you see, you read the book. It's like, it's almost hard to read the book. Cause you are like, well, I know where this is going, so I don't have the drive to read this. Like I don't, I know everything that's going to happen. So it's like, I don't, I don't, I, don't, I, I have trouble doing that sometimes. So,
4: mm-hmm.
0: um, so uh, th- that's why when we're, while we're doing this, I'm not I'm not, wa- re- not watching these movies until after I read the books. Oh, yeah. Uh, or at least re-watching them or anything like that. But, um, yeah. I, I think it honestly boils down to my fascination with
4: cereal. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> like, I'm not even joking. Like, I, I, I love cereal so much and I've always been... I, look, and this is actually ties in a lot with, like, the writing in general. Like, this came out in the early 80s, mm-hmm. 1981, I think mm-hmm. it was. And so commercialism was really starting to boil at an all-time high, which is why you have, like, references to Star Wars, you have references to McDonald's, you have references to all this sort of, like, advertising that was weighing in on kids and just American life in general. And as someone who came – I mean, we all came out of the 80s, so, like, I I remember being – absolutely victim victim like i just was absolutely, absolutely one of those those kids that were totally sucker for that shit like i would see commercials and be like oh my gosh mom let's go to the grocery store i want to get that that's like cool french toast crunch like, yeah french toast crunch and then you know i know like it's also chubbs rothman so i was just like oh i gotta get this cereal i want to get like everything and so like like reading this for some reason i really do think that like kind of keyed into it, it was like oh man cool commercials because like the commercials are so important at that time and so like there was there was a part of me that was fascinated with kings uh like just king wrestling with that 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 sort of thing that was becoming prominent and like i do think that it's interesting that star wars is mentioned so much in here because i really do think like the impact of star wars changed the the way kids in america grew up because then all of a sudden there was this type of commercialism that was just rampant it wasn't just like I mean, I'm I'm like even trying to figure out before Star Wars, like what kids were really obsessed and buying into, other than like sports army and man. like army and man like or Wild, whatever. And like, or it, it became like this sort of like fascination with this sort of branding that became a lifestyle almost. I mean, I think that at one point they say like something like Star Wars is gay t shirt or or no Vader is Darth Vader is gay t shirt. I think that was on. In one section That's when or somebody's wearing a t-shirt.
3: They, they allude to that, yeah. But, it,
4: but again, it, it all welds into this whole thing that's like commercialism exists and informs us. And for some reason, I feel like there was some weird, subtle commentary
3: going on in this book about that. What well, was and the whole nope, nothing wrong here thing? Yeah, yeah. But yeah. I really This reread I really took to, like I was really focusing in on that, especially with all the advertising stuff. And on. I
0: think that that is, I think that's the, and, and, and I don't mind that. I just think, the, like again, like how we were talking, this book's called Cujo. If it was called Castle Rock, Sure, but mm-hmm. it's like it's called Cujo. So I, I just felt like whenever we left, especially at those moments, those crucial moments, like you said, like when she gets out of the car, and then all of a sudden we're back with Vic and Raj talking about like what are they going to do when they go into this meeting. Like I was just like, who gives a shit. Well, that's
3: why I said earlier, like, like you think if it was called, I don't know what the uh, the alternate yeah, title could have I don't been. Know. It would have you know it would have been a whole different. I,
0: yeah, absolutely, because it, it. it really is kind of like a little <laughs> bit like here's all here's these two different fam- or Here's all these people that live in Castle Rock, and here's their lives. And is just one of those characters. I, yeah. I just felt like, to just name it Kujo, it is a little bit misleading the, and a little weird.
5: I feel like the cell phone thing is actually relevant to this. Because I feel like us reading this, like, I was constantly like, call her, call her. You're not in contact with her. But the thinking of the time is he's like, well, I'm going to call her every other day. And even that's a little much. Like, she'd get freaked out if I called her every day. Like, we, in our minds, have this need to be in constant contact oh, with the yeah. people that we care about. Yeah. And... So it was like normal for him to be like, no, I have to go to this meeting and then I'll call her maybe before dinner. And it's just a totally different way of moving in the world.
3: But even What's just the whole aspect just, of checking in is just so weird well, now. Because it only know? takes place over what, two days? I think it's Monday, yeah, it's, Tuesday, it's like an afternoon, and then, overnight, and then maybe
0: one more overnight at over. But this over. is also something that's almost completely forgotten long distance calling. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, it was a situation where, like, okay, well, I'm sure it was probably, like, expensive to call from you know, New York. Somebody's whatever, working in a hotel, you know especially, I mean? especially like, those things were expensive. You, so so they're like, we've got to plan these calls. And, you know, it's just totally different mentality. And if you can't put yourself in that mentality, like, when you read these books...
5: And they just they you know? just they just had the conversation where she admits to cheating on him. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. we would be texting yeah. the entire where time like, are during you? the meeting. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah. how are you feeling? <laughs> yeah. What's going on? Yeah.
3: Yeah, Take a picture of where really you are point. and send it to me immediately with a timestamp on. But yeah, so again, that's, that goes back to the whole: could this book have possibly come out today? Unless unless you have a literal, like I said, I made a little joke earlier about the dead zone, but unless she was in the area where she was not receiving calls. Most of this book could not happen no. today. And I, but I feel like if they did remake it, they'd absolutely set it today. You know, they would. You think they'd set it today? As Foolishly, they would set it today. I do think they would. I I don't know.
4: I mean, You've got to set it in
0: the 80s. You got to.
4: It has to be set in like the early 80s and yeah. the late 70s. Or just before
3: fucking cell phones.
4: I, I, I don't know. <laughs> just
0: before cell
3: phones.
4: But well, if, you know
0: if, what? You can easily set it today and just be like, Donna's cell phone didn't work before... You know, or a battery Vic died, left. that's possible too you could do the Before whole. Before Vic left, thing. so Vic would never think to call her cell phone thinking it was just the, the cell phone wasn't working. And then, you know, you're out there in the middle of the 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 farm or whatever, you have no reception. So this well, that's is what no, yeah, saying, I was saying. mean, like, yeah. But the rest yeah, of but the then stuff you got those, going
4: on. You got all those drones wandering around. They'll they'll catch Cujo and. <laughs> <Drones> <laughs> <a>
3: f- <laughs> drones, Cujo was his man's best thousand. friend.
4: <laughs> like, yeah, the, you know. the
0: shops has been surveying yeah, the, the uh, countryside. I
4: don't want to stray too much off of this, but because uh, I, I want to get back to just one more uh, zero and villain. Uh, oh, I, I we got to get a shout out to Gary. I mean, this guy.
3: This guy was went just the war. he was just
4: enjoying oh, his screwdriver. And in the way that King describes his sloppy, like, ah, oh, pouring more orange juice and slapping on some vodka and, like... Like it was disgusting, I just it like, <laughs> was just like I just imagined like dirty fingers like holding these like this mug that's never been clean. They' do his, a really good his job house of capturing like
5: a swamp
4: yeah
3: oh, uh. gross He just he's the kind of guy I just gave up carrying, like thirty five years earlier, you
4: know? I could not get over the fact that it was like screwdrivers that he was he was making it too, and not like you Ugh. know like six packs or like beers I was just like there's something about the idea that he had like orange juice with, which has to be refrigerated for the most part and i, I just can't even imagine doing that cuz you
3: think about like and just like, popping open in a can it's yeah. like going in the fridge unscrewing it like, yeah. doing the orange juice like, methodically in, doing this doing the vodka and
4: then the, So yeah oh. that, that stuck with me and i i actually thought his death was very interesting because he kind of opened up the world for us a little bit too cuz if you see this outsider's perspective on Cujo as well. And like mm-hmm. the fact that this was this family dog that was always friendly. He liked the dog too. And he liked the dog and the dog mm-hmm. was wandering around, probably checking him on, checking up on him. Yeah. And I knew a lot of like actually outdoor dogs, uh, you know, growing up in South Florida, there were a lot of dogs that would just be kind of wandering around outdoors. Mm-hmm. And we always be, Oh, look at this dog. And you know, that's kind of cute. And, um, that, that act, like, I feel like his death was probably the most terrifying for me.
3: Hmm. Cause well, um, you didn't know what to expect also. Yeah. And how vicious it was going to be. Cause it's the first one. Yeah. so.
4: um Yeah, I thought his, his, I just thought his character was, uh, was kind of uh, fun. I just like he's like the, to- the
3: total like just archetype. Gross. Like, King revisits these characters. Low life his that, novels. Yeah. He it's just like loves gross. And
4: I just love how like far King can go with like making him like a
3: schlub. Oh,
5: we always see yeah, yeah. these characters yeah. use the bathroom. Yes. Oh, talks yeah. about how he urinates. And oh. It's like,
3: oh well we'll yeah. talk Lately about George Mira later, later too. Yeah. <laughs> but George like, Mira has got some uh, flatulence issues we'll talk about yeah. later on in the in the program. So yeah. keep an
0: ear out folks. But Just in the whole introduction of George he just keeps saying things like you know and George didn't give a shit He keeps repeating that Over and over again Like George is this guy Who just doesn't give a shit Are you talking about shit. The mailman George Are you talking about Gary Are you talking about Gary Oh I'm sorry Gary Gary, Gary, yeah, 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 yeah. Gary
4: yeah. yeah Gary doesn't give a shit So much that That's why he dies um, That's very true Yeah you Because know, um, he doesn't even Close the door If he would have closed the door None of this would have happened
3: That's true Hey folks If you're out there Listen Close your doors you know, Just close them Lock up it's, a safe, it's an unsafe roller. I mean, let's around. be
4: honest. If, if this dog is running after
3: you, mm-hmm. you get inside the house. You're not going to close the door. Well, I guess he just had it was a screen door, right? Which, but the dog yeah. easily break through it. But no, I agree with you. I'm like, just close the door. Yeah. And this whole the book's a novella, a novella, and it's over. Yeah.
0: Well, well, I, mean, um, I love, love
3: Gary. Gary, <laughs> What a wonderful person. He lived his full life. We need to talk about our boy George Bannerman. And his importance, not only in this story, but in terms of what King would do throughout the rest of it, what King has continued to do throughout the rest of his career. George Bannerman is the first instance of a returning character to a King book. And he had been writing for about, publishing for about six, seven years at this point.
0: Well, so is, is this also the first time we? I mean, we. I know we, this is the next Castle Rock book. Yeah, this is the first time we're returning so a, to, return a to a pre-existing location. location. Yeah,
3: yeah. 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 and it's the first returning
0: like a book. fictional
4: town. And, and a Castle town. Rock's it's like Banger also, has been in a bunch.
0: Yeah, yeah. And Castle Rock's also a character that. He's <laughs> <laughs> it's like the it's like a character of its own, you know, Castle Rock.
3: But so the thing with Bannerman, um, unfortunately, I'd seen the movie beforehand, so I kind of knew what was going to happen you know, at the very end. Is that Bannerman in the movie though? Yeah,
0: it's, it's Bannerman. On his oh, it does it? Yeah, okay, just, okay. But he's not. They Tom Nobody ever. Yeah, t- I wish no, they did. Tom Skerritt had come back.
3: But it would have been a bigger role for him, yeah. obviously, in the movie. he yeah. wouldn't have died. Instead of just uh, dog food. Um, but um, <laughs> so yeah, you're reading Bannerman. There's a couple points in this. Where you're just like, oh, Bannerman! I remember Bannerman. He was the guy that kind of saved everybody. Well, essentially, led Johnny to saving the day in the dead zone. He's going to be the one that is going to show up at this garage and kill Cujo and save them. It's going to be him. I mean, there's even the part where they set it up where, um, uh, what's his name, Mason, that obnoxious, yeah,
5: the hot shot, the hot
3: shot detective or FBI, whatever. Um, he goes, um, oh, who's uh in the movie? Played by Our deep good throw. friend Deep Throw from X Files. Yeah. yeah. Um he's he asks he sarcastically asks Banner if he can handle checking out the camera place, and Banner responds, It's my town. And he leaves. You're like, Oh yeah, you're goddamn right, Banner. You show him up, you show him how much of a town that it, it's your town. You've lived there, you're the one that saves the day, and then dead. Like, yeah. Just dies, just gets killed by kucho It's just, just Mauled. Mauled to death and then and then just you, you hear him and see him eating later on. His so death gonna, is the way it's written
4: is just amazing.
3: It's amazing. It's the moments for a dying part. Yeah. And he it's an italics. This is what he's thinking. He says, should have called in first. That's procedure. You never argue with procedure. But if I believe that, I never would have called Smith in the Dodd case. Love that he mentioned Vicky, Smith. Vicky, Katrina, I'm sorry. And then it's just, he loses I it. I
4: love that he references Smith. And the, yeah. just the knowledge, because like Johnny Smith is one of my favorite characters in, in, in all the Stephen King books. And the mm-hmm. fact that like you get, you get that like hint, like, oh, God, I remember that hero. What? I just start wondering like, I, I, like Smith is dead at this point.
3: Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah.
4: Like, this doesn't take place before the ending of.
3: No, no. This is this is years after. Okay. No, it's years after. okay. And the thing also is, because, you know, it's Smith four, doesn't it, live. They
0: say it's four years later, I think.
3: Yeah, in the beginning okay. of the book. Yeah. The, like, Johnny Smith, for instance, he didn't live in Castle Rock. He was just visiting there mm-hmm. to try to solve his case. But if anybody was going to be made a hero of the case, the town hero would have been Bannerman. After yeah. That. Oh, totally. And so he's like the silver lining of all that. Like, okay, we've got a good sheriff in town. He's going to protect us. This dot thing will never happen again. And then once again, to be unceremoniously mauled to death by a, a rabid I mean, St. Bernard. holding
4: his intestines as he's, cr- as he's trying, trying to crawl to get back. back to
3: the car. God. It's just, once again, it's just grim. <laughs> you know, it's just
5: Yeah, doubly horrifying. grim because like we know him from before and yeah. Johnny Smith helped out and he got the supernatural on his side. And this time, no.
3: We figure like, okay, it's either going to be Mason. The way we're tr- tr- like in King novels, like Mason or Vix to show up at the last second. Or Bannerman's going well, to uh, save the day. But no, it's it's going to be Don at this entire time. Well, he
4: also drives home the point. I mean, Bannerman's death drives home the idea that it is Frank Dodd.
3: See, I don't think – I think that's just once again a case of like not being able to let go of this 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 evil that came yeah, to this I small do too, town. Yeah, I but it, it is – He looks him in the eyes and says – I think I got that too. He's yeah. like, for
4: some reason I thought of the of, of the spirit of Frank Dodd or like his eyes staring at me. In this,
3: I, I just yeah, you know, I still thing. think it's Frank Dodd though.
5: You think it's Frank Dodd?
3: I don't think it's Frank. You oh, don't? you don't think? Oh, okay. No, I really, don't. I still think that's just a case of the it's like urban legend,
0: of, the urban legend thing. Yeah, I, think yeah. I like that also. Town. I like
3: that read better,
4: but yeah. I like
0: that it's it's created this 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 strange folklore in the town, and that exactly people are always going to contribute that. Mm-hmm. Th- and, and I want to. I was wondering, and I haven't read needful things, but that takes place in Castle Rock it as well. Does. Do they mention Frank Dodd? Absolutely. That? See, and the thing I is, and that's and
3: this book starts off with the whole once upon a time. Yeah. There's a, there was a man named Frank Dodd, you know, and it's just the idea that these things, you can't escape these things, especially if you've never experienced them before.
4: Well, I like the idea that it was Frank Dodd also because he's my second favorite character in The King And I'm just
3: joking now. He's awful. He's disgusting. This is the lead scene where he's trying to um, get Cujo off of him. But all of a sudden, Cujo is draped with a black raincoat. And he well, can't
4: get a handle on him. I, I don't know if you remember this, but there was like an actual like cut chapter from Cujo in which uh, you see like this like character in a rain jacket that's stumbling down a really dark hallway. And um, this actor comes around the corner and is just like, we'll send you back if you can kill as many people as you can as a St. Bernard, you can have your life I like again. how it's an actor. Yeah. <laughs> this
0: actor it's comes back. Well, I was thinking, I, I don't know if like you've, Sam Beckett No, at the no. <laughs> it's
4: more like that 1991 film with Ellen Barkin and Switch, uh, in, which, in <laughs> which... Blake Edwards <laughs> movie? <laughs> All right. In which the character is sent back to Earth after he's d- died as a horrible human being. is a misogynist. To, and is in is the a body misogynist, of Ellen and he has to be in the body of Ellen Barkin. And he has to prove that someone loves him. As, and Jimmy Smith loves. Jimmy Smith loves, but it, I, I would, I would, I would love to, to see if like Frank Dodd actually got sent back as uh, as Cujo. I don't well, know. You know him. what?
3: <laughs> Cujo Two, Jobs War. We're going to see it. Yeah. Um, Destroy. So there's a lot. of – I think there's a lot of strong characters in this that that all <laughs> serve a pretty good point. Um, again, Frank Dodd is the the one thing that connects all of them in a way because everybody knows who Frank Dodd is in that town, and um, this is the beginning of, once again. King, as, as time goes on, will continue to return to pre-existing characters and pre-existing towns. And this is a, this is a good example of that to, to start things off. Um, we've talked about the characters, but where do you guys think that uh, Jill, Camber, Gary, and, and Bannerman end up? Uh, I think they end up in is the cemetery.
0: <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's right, Mel. Underground. But where underground? What location?
5: Like a, like a grave. I'm waiting for you to say it. <laughs> can, can, Mel, you, a it here? Mel, a One grave. One grave, then a mass well, wait, grave. wait, wait, wait. hold
3: <laughs> Mel, you said a grave? Yeah. Like, in a cemetery? What's the bottom of the truth? Well,
2: sometimes, that is better. The person you put up there ain't the person that comes back. It may look like that person, but it ain't that person. Because... Whatever
3: lives in the ground, beyond that cemetery, a human at all. Well, as we well established, we are now in the cemetery. <laughs> Flawless.
0: Who wants to kick things off with some spooky parts of Cujo? Uh, I will. Uh, page four of the Signet Book edition. Uh, it says, the monster never dies. Came to Castle Rock again in the summer of 1980. Um. There's a lot of cemetery stuff for, for me, at least. There's a lot of spooky stuff, and I, I was surprised that I, I mean, the bulk of my notes are all scary things. Well, we'll go around, we'll, we'll each do an um, instance,
3: and then if we don't, so we don't double up or anything,
0: yeah, yeah. Um, I've got here, okay, so on page 57, um, Aunt Evie Chalmers has a premonition, uh, it's just and somewhere she heard a child crying, mm-hmm. and for a moment it seemed that the cries were joyful. But as she went out, suddenly propelled as if by a hard but not unkind push from behind, it seemed to her that the child was screaming in fear, in agony, then she was gone. And she's referencing Tad. Tad, I think. Was, was that the was that, Chalmers? I mean, uh, well, the... Nearby. Uh, and, uh, not the Chalmers, I'm sorry, the Cambers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I just thought that was really it's, it's some, That was a really vague but creepy kind of, you know, premonition and, and of obviously of, you know, foreshadowing. Yeah, I like that. I like that. Mike, did you have something? Yeah, I really,
4: you know, I've been sitting here uh, dogging, uh, no pun intended, uh, <laughs> this uh, monster uh, narrative with the closet, but... Well, give us something to chew on. I, uh, <laughs> well, <thanks. clears throat> I really did like when Donna uh, uses the closet to her, it's like her own portal <laughs> uh, to her own just like inner demons uh, on page... 92 to 93. This is the
3: awful edition that we have, by the way.
4: Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think there's just some eerie stuff. I mean, it's a long narrative. Just go read it. Um, <laughs> it's great. Go read it. No, but there's just some... Uh, the way that she kind of looks into the closet is very scary, and it kind of gives some sort of backstory to herself and also the closet in general um, of just what that means to us as, over the years and, and how that uh, died, the fear of the closet as a kid and how that kind of transmits to s- some other things.
0: Um, yeah, no piggyback off that i think it's like page 91 in my edition she she scares herself thinking that of like the ghost of like i mentioned this earlier the ghost of joan mm-hmm. brady will come out of the closet and it's just like everyone has a boogeyman and yeah. it's creepy to think that even these full-grown adults mm-hmm. still have these little these fears these un, totally unfounded fears that something else might be in the closet yeah. that's cool uh, mel you have something
5: Well, I don't want to steal Mike's thunder because I think he was talking about the uh, scene where Cujo gets Gary is really scary. So if you want to do that... No, go for it. No, 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 go for it. Um, A lot of mine in the cemetery are are based in body horror because I think, I mean, getting mauled by a rabbit dog is both disgusting and terrifying. Mm -hmm. Um, So on 177, we've got... As he reached the first splintery step of his porch, 200 pounds of St. Bernard hit him like a locomotive, knocking him flat and driving the wind from him. The dog went for the back of his neck, Gary tried to scramble up. The dog was over him, the thick fur of its underbelly nearly suffocating him, and it knocked him back down easily. Gary screamed. Cujo bit him high on the shoulder, his powerful jaws closing and crunching through the bare skin, pulling tendons like wires. Mm. Yeah, and well, then when he does, he gets his throat out. That's also that's also gross. Yeah, well,
3: yeah, that's that goes back to the whole. I think that's why I was so affected by, for instance, Tad dying at the end because it was such a realistic way of dying. You know, as opposed to a vi- a vampire biting you and taking you over. Mm-hmm. Same with Gary. You know, this isn't the same as again a vampire coming out and killing you, or you know, a, a supernatural hotel murdering you. Yeah. This is just a rabid dog. Devouring you and, and eating your throat
0: out. You and know, there's and a couple. And, there's a couple of instances where people are like very aware of what's happening to them. And Gary even says like, "Dear God, that's that's mine." In response to like his own blood, seeing and seeing and feeling his, blood, his own yeah. blood. Uh, it's just I've awful. got um, something here. Another Kujo
3: attack that I think is a man that's affected me a little bit. I'll say it. Um, it's a good little stinger at the end of the part. Here he goes. Uh, Joe says, he remembered Gary. He covered his throat with one hand and tried to grapple with Cujo with the other. Cujo backed off momentarily, snapping. His muzzle wrinkled back in a great humorless grin that showed teeth like a row of slightly yellowed fence spikes. Then he came again. And this time he came for Joe Camber's balls. And I just remember not enjoying that passage. <laughs> <laughs> novel. Uh, ooh, I just remember. I didn't uh, reread it. <laughs> Put it that way. Sick balls. Sick balls. Yeah. What's um, it, I do you remember that's from. No. Stand by me. Oh, you know,
4: that's um, based on a, one of The a Stephen
0: King short story. It is based it. on a, a Novella. Know. Did you know that, Mike? Yeah. Uh, Mac, do you have another passage? Uh, yeah. Page, um, and we've talked about Dodd quite a bit, but mm. page 58, um, where basically Dodd becomes the boogeyman mm. through like a garbled account that Ted has of the Castle Rock murders. Like, a, like Tad overheard at some point Pride something about the Castle campaign. Rock murders and like he... Like has this pretty concrete image of you know Dodd in the in the rain slicker like standing in the closet, and sometimes that'll like shift to this thing he calls like the beast, which mm-hmm. is obviously like probably kudos, you know, uh, with the red eyes in the closet. Um, and I think there's, there's a dream he has about Dodd. I think it's um, page one thirty. Well, the, I think it's the I baseball
3: think. bat dream, and it and it, turn, it transforms into that the Dodd image. Yeah,
0: it's creepy. Yeah, yeah, it does, and that is just that's. Yeah, it's super creepy. Mike, did you have another passage you want to read? Yeah, I liked when
4: um, we had mentioned, kind of hinted at it earlier, but when the when Cougar's staring at Donna, mm. um, and it's almost like reminds me of like Michael Myers. Um, it's on page two thirty nine, uh, and a moment later. Cujo's foam-covered, twisted face popped up outside her window, only inches away, like a horror movie monster that has decided to give the audience the ultimate thrill by coming right out of the screen, which you had mentioned before, yeah. and we had been discussing about how this is, is like, almost like a software horror movie. Um, she could see his huge, heavy teeth. And again, there was that swooning, terrible feeling that the dog was looking at her—not at a woman who just happened to be trapped in her car with a little boy, but at Donna Trenton, as if he had just been hanging around waiting for her to show up. Mm. This is like kind of eerie. Just yeah. the, this this idea that like you get into her own like mindset, just her own fears, and just how she's actually taking on all her um, just biggest, greatest fears and putting them on this dog mm-hmm. and making the dog even more terrifying yeah. um, for me and. Uh, it just yeah, that's just the idea of this dog just continuing to stare like Michael Myers. And you figure like, it's
3: going to die. It's just not going to die. It it's feels not like going to die. It's like the boogeyman. You can't yeah. kill the boogeyman, you know? Yeah. Um, Mel, do you have another? Oh,
5: yeah. Um, I have always been scared, not of sleepwalking, but of sleepwalkers. Mm. And if I ever encountered a sleepwalker, I would scream and wake them up and do everything in my power to stop them <laughs> from sleepwalking because it's so creepy. And so when Charity is watching Brett on page 291... Um, his face went through a slow-motion pantomime of sorrow. He spoke then, muttering the words as sleepers so often do, gutturally, rapidly, almost unintelligibly. And with no emotion in the words themselves, that was on side, held in the cocoon of whatever dream had been vivid enough to make him nightwalk again after two quiet years. There was nothing inherently melodramatic about the words, spoken all of a rush in a quick-sleeping sigh. But Charity's hand went to her throat anyway. The flesh there was cold, cold. Cujo's not hungry no more, Brett said, the words riding out on that sigh. He stood up again, now holding the gravy boat cradled to his chest. Not no more, not no more.
0: Mm. I want to piggyback off that because I I wrote that down too. That incident's creepy as hell. And um, my best friend sleepwalks a lot. Um, When we were living together in college, I remember I woke up like 3 o'clock in the morning and went to the bathroom and we had this long hallway between our our rooms. No. And he was standing in the hallway just staring at the wall. Mm. And I remember asking, I mean, he scared the hell out of me. And I guess, you know, you don't expect anybody to just be standing there in the hallway randomly. And I remember his girlfriend at the time came out at the same time because she realized what was going on and kind of ushered him back into his room. And it was really creepy. And there's a lot of incidents like that. And He likes to deny it, it doesn't happen, but it's true. Chris, you're a sleepwalker. <laughs> yeah, this, um, he's like, takes actual actions. and it's, it, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, this thing
3: with Brett is totally believable because this is, this mirrored some but of the But I
0: love, I love the fact that it's, Super cujo centric, too. And the thing mm. that he's, oh, he's not hungry anymore because, like, he, and he's not. Nice. Get like, he's getting his fill of, you know, the, these people. Um, let's see here. Oh, here's a bit of a sadder part
3: that just kind of terrified me more than horrified me or anything. This is um, uh, Tad near the end of his time, I believe it says. I think you alluded to this earlier, Mel. Uh, Tad woke up. He saw his mother being driven back toward the Pinto's center count- council. There was something in his mother's lap, something terrible, hairy thing with red eyes, and he knew what it was. Oh, yes, it was the thing from his closet, the thing that had promised to come a little closer and a little closer until it finally arrived right by your bed, Tad. And yes, here it was, all right. Here it was. The monster words had failed. The monster was here now and was murdering his mommy. He began to scream, his hands clapped over his eyes. And it's just hard to read that. Like this, you should, As a four-year-old, you should still believe that these words can protect you. You know, It's, it's the whole loss of innocence thing that we talked about with Tad earlier. Um, really comes
0: into play here and that that made me uh, that bothered me a little bit reading that. Yeah, right. um, this is a totally different. It's not a cujo centric thing, but um, there's a moment, and, and as every man can can attest to this, there's a moment where Steve Kemp almost zips up his penis. And I just thought that was absolutely terrifying. I was like, I said, said, he almost zipped his pe- the head of his penis, and I just all I could think of was something about Mary. Yeah, but the I just thought, this. I thought, oh god, that yeah. is just uh, like the most ooh. horrifying thing I could think of.
3: And he wouldn't even realize it he's so fucking crazy too. Uh, Mike, you me another one. You want to read over?
4: Yeah, I mean, it goes into this one was more of the way that King is able to weave in like short stories and just mm-hmm. like other narratives, and I, that's one of my favorite things about him as a writer. Um, something that he really did start doing with like Salem's lot and where you can kind of go off in these tangents that also expand the world. I love like right when Cujo starts first appearing with Gary, he goes on that little tangent where Gary starts talking about the other rabid dog that he had seen mm-hmm. at like the gas station, like years, years ago to in kind of war. set the tone or the rules for what, you know, rabid dogs might do. Um, I thought that was really eerie. Mm-hmm. Um, this thing just kind of like wandering into like a gas station how they had to like shoot it. And, um, totally little side stories like that that are great. Um, there's another, They
3: shoot at first, but they just blow off his back leg or something like so, that. And yeah. still alive. Oh, yeah. gross. Yeah, it's
4: terrifying. Yeah, it just kind of sets its own for that and for the, just the whole rabid, the ribidity. I don't know if that's a word.
0: Sure, um, <laughs> but, That's going to uh, be a, a t-shirt. Yeah. But that's
5: also why it seems a little supernatural to me because rabid dogs, they just wander around. They're not yeah. they're not lying in wait for you. No. Yeah. They just wander around and right. foam. And
3: Oh, sorry, Mel? Do you want, oh, to you want Um... To you?
5: um I don't know. We already talked about Bannerman. I won't do him, even though getting disemboweled is is gross, and I don't like hearing about it. Um, When Cujo gets Donna's leg.
4: (sighs) I was just looking at that. Yeah. Yeah.
5: Um, She slammed the door on Cujo's head again and again, her screams melting into tads, melting into a gray shock world as Cujo worked on her leg, turning it into something else, something that was red and muddy and churned up. The yeah. dog's head was plastered with thick, sticky blood as black as insect blood in the chancy starlight.
3: Mm. That's a good example of revulsion in King's uh, three uh, modes of, of Ooh, the horror. Oh, yeah. Very... Yeah, I had that too, Mel. <laughs> I just crossed it off thinking, oh, God, that's disgusting. Um, here's something that's just disturbing. And these are... When you look back, I, I look back to make sure I was right, but these are actually Tad's last words in the book. Ugh. And you know, he keeps having those fantasies to try to take himself out of the situation mm-hmm. about the duck pond. So his last words are... Ducks, he said gutturally. Go see the ducks. Monster words, daddy. Uh, uh, That's the last (laughs) words. (laughs) Like, just Uh, gross. Monster words, daddy. Yeah, and then he dies later on. Shortly thereafter, so. Any other uh, tombstones to hit upon over here? I, I mean, I know
4: it's, this is my, these are directly in my notes right here. I say, uh. On page four seventy one, uh, King overdoes it with the explanation of the monster words metaphor and how it has it was no different than his own lies in advertising. Was this all just some sick long winded allegory against marketing and advertising? Oh wait, wait, no, wait, no, this is before. Oh no, no, this was page four forty nine. Uh, he writes. Uh, uh, Vic hearing voice from closet uh, with the doors opening and you hear Tad's voice and the bear starts talking and the closet latch breaking open. I write, all of this is pretty stupid, but it's eerie. <laughs> <laughs>
3: it's like if this was a different story, this would be yeah. really eerie because maybe this is happening.
0: Yeah, but I, I yeah. still
4: was just like, eh, whatever. But the idea of this kind of happening is still kind of creepy. Well, like in like well, the middle of the day, know,
0: upstairs by yourself. Sure. And so. I felt the same thing like when um, on page two, 292 of the Signet Books edition where Donna kind of becomes Cujo like when <laughs> like it she says like um, she bared her teeth and growled soundlessly at him wouldn't let uh, her let oh, wouldn't let end, Vic yeah. near Tad after and it was just kind of like this weird like are we going there but then they obviously don't but it's just obviously just in the, in the throes of what's just happened she's just kind of lost it like, and a I, sequel to I felt like it yeah I did I felt like it was very creepy to me but I was also kind of like this is a little silly the
4: uh, the parallel of dead ends um, mm-hmm. cause I've, I mean, again, it goes into the whole independence day thing of like dead ends, dead ends and roads. Ron's, oh, that was Monsters part of the, dead the ends. big thing
3: in the be- Yeah, It yeah, is yeah, still,
4: yeah. but like the, the concept of dead ends has always kind of creeped me out. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like the end of the street, you can't go anywhere. There's no escape of where you, with, you know, regardless, unless you're the way you came in, mm-hmm. um, is kind of eerie. Uh, for some reason that was just a haunting image for me. Just like the idea that they are at the end of this road that. Nobody ever really goes down anyway. Yeah. And it kind of feels well, like I mean, hell.
3: Tolkien writes about it, and I think it's Lord of the Rings. He writes roads go ever, ever on, but he's a fucking liar.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I I also had another. Well, again, we, we talked about Bannerman and the and the, the intestines and stuff, and I and I was I was like what? I, there's a, there's an instance with intestines, and and I really wanted to bring it up, and I just remembered it's. It's actually from Running Man, so we have to, <laughs> you'll have to wait for the next uh, the Running next Man book, will be the uh, next podcast. Running
3: Man will be the next book. Yeah. Well, I'm not sure if it's the next episode after Kuja, but it will be the next book. So yeah. definitely he, keep an eye out for that one.
5: The concept too of Donna not knowing if that door is open and if mm-hmm. she could have saved everyone's life but just like running in there.
3: Yeah, it's just
5: some
0: some good tension.
3: Oh yeah, yeah. And, and, could, and, and again, she would have given it. She probably would have chanced it if it wasn't for Tad being. And in the with,
0: car. with but with the whole the whole thing with Tad. Dying at the end, anyways. It's mm. like, had she taken Ugh. that chance, maybe <laughs> things would might have been different too.
4: Well, th- that's what's kind of terrifying about the ending for me is that it's just they sit on a bed of what ifs now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and everybody does. Yeah, I mean everyone really does. And and Vic. Ed, talks about that at the very end where it's just like no you couldn't have done this you couldn't have done that doesn't matter what you have but it doesn't matter how many times he reassures her it's she's always going to ask those questions Mm -hmm. and that was really the most like haunting thing at the end there because what if the the what if question is probably the most haunting thing as a human and to have like a litany of them with the death of your son attributed to it is just
3: well there's your own personal hell for the rest of your life i'll tell you what mike that might be a really good segue does anybody else have anything else they want to add to the cemetery uh, oh, when she when
5: she pulls Dad's tongue out like a window shade, oh, oh yeah.
3: no! If and he keeps know. biting on her fingers down to the bone too. They mention that too. Oh, gross. Well, let's leave the cemetery. You know, let's um, let's plug in our laptops, let charge up, and uh, head to the word processor of the God. And we're
1: gonna make a new rule. Whenever I'm in here, you hear me typing. Whether you don't hear me typing, with the fuck you hear me doing in here when i'm in here that means that i am working that means don't come in how do you think you can handle that yeah fine
0: yeah and i was going to mention uh, i only i only have a couple things we i was going to mention the monster words but we kind of opened with that and we've talked about that to death thanks um, Justin. so yeah thank you just hey, <laughs> uh, everything, everything, everything. <laughs> but uh there's just one little passage uh it was page 59 of signet uh where it says, um, they're talking about, t- like, Tad should just go to sleep, and, you know, Donna thinks that he's kind of coddling him with the monster words and stuff, and he says, Vic, basically from Vic's point of view, says, Vic either saw more deeply or remembered more clearly about the closet door that turned into an unhinged idiot mouth in the dark of night, a place where strange things sometimes rustled, a place where hanging clothes sometimes turned into hanging men. Hmm. And That reminds me also of, like, the dream that... The uh, body uh, from Sam's lot, the hanging
3: body in the the house. The house, Hubie.
0: Yeah. Yeah, And he says, he remembered vaguely about the shadows the streetlight could throw on the wall and the endless four hours that follow the turn of the day and the creaking sounds that might have been the house settling or that might, just might, be something creeping up. And I just love, I just thought that was a very scary Mm. little passage. I also underlined that one too.
3: (laughs) You know what? That sounds pretty spooky, man. That should have been the cemetery. It could have well, been, been I
0: a was going to do <laughs> that as a, as a little intro to word processor ah, but uh, I didn't want to jump in too early.
4: You know uh I think uh, there's there's a little recurring motif here with mine. Uh, also, mm. I think, you know, one of the things I wrote about in the it review is that I think one of King's strongest suits is, are his characters and his sense of place. And that clearly speaks to his sense of place and I think this does too and this is on page 235 of the pocketbook books edition. Mm-hmm. Um when it's uh, talking about how they're, s- it's probably basically just trying to stress how far away they are from everything. Um, this is uh, this is Donna. She heard birdsong and the harsher music of a crow somewhere in the long field which stretched down the flank of the hill they had just climbed. There was the sigh of a light breeze, and the oaks that line the driveway made moving patterns of shadow around her feet. But she could not hear a single car engine, not even the faraway burp of a tractor or a bailing machine. City ears and town ears are more closely attuned to man-made sounds. Those that nature makes tend to fall outside the tightly drawn net of selective perception. A total lack of such sounds made her uneasy. I'd hear him if he was working in the barn, Donna thought. But the only sounds that registered were her own crunching footfalls on the crushed gravel of the driveway and a low humming sound, barely audible, with no conscious thought at all. Her mind placed it as the hum of a power transformer on one of the poles back by the road. Mm. And it kind of reminds me of that passage that I always reference in The Shining where when they leave... And, and, he, they just, and he just slowly just driving off, almost there. kind of like doing like the Russian T Doll thing, where you just keep going from the bigger to the smaller to the smaller to the smaller to the smaller until so you're finally where the main character is standing. And you have an absolute understanding of their whole situation, the feelings that they're having, the and that tension, the, and especially the isolation. And like um, that, just a gorgeous part for me.
3: Yeah. yeah. Uh, Mel, do you have any questions?
5: Uh, I like the bit. Um, Right before Donna charges Cujo in the final confrontation, um, just the calm that comes over her. And this is actually after she hears the, like, Dixieland music coming faintly from the town, which also contributes yeah. to her mm-hmm. sense of, like, oh, I'm here, but I can hear that. Like, it's it's close, but Oof. so far. Um, this is 361 of the pocketbooks. Her heart was a small, powerful machine flexing in her chest. Her blood was up. Her eyes seemed to move effortless, effortlessly and perfectly in their bed of moisture. Her kidneys were heavy, but not unpleasantly so. This was it. This was for keeps. The thought that it was her life she was putting on the line, her very own real life, had a heavy, silent fascination, like a great weight which has reached the outermost degree of its angle of repose. She swung the car door shut. Clunk.
3: Mm. Mm. Um, I've got a couple things. I'll read this one real quick. It's, uh, it's actually from Charity. This is after she's visiting um, her sister. And it's the middle of night. She says, she lay hot-eyed and straight in bed. And just before Brett came in, his arrival announced by Cujo's barks. And I'm sorry, this is earlier on in the book. <laughs> she lay, let's do it again. She lay hot-eyed and straight in bed. And just before Brett came in, his arrival announced by Cujo's barks and the slam of the back door screen. The moon rose in all its silvery, detached glory. Moon doesn't care, Charity thought. But the thought brought her no comfort. So again, it's just, you know, everything's going to keep going on. Things around you are going to happen. Doesn't yeah. you know, Nothing truly matters. That's really grim, um,
0: and uh, okay, uh, Matt. Do you have anything else? Uh, I don't. That was the only good right. part of writing in this book. No, I'm <laughs> now I, I, I don't have anything else. We, right. we talked a lot about. It's kind of they've kind of come up already. So. Yeah, they have, they have. Mike, did you have anything else?
4: I mean, I just thought the death of Bannerman is just brilliant uh, yeah, writing right yeah. there, and just the way that he's able to kind of you know weave all those details in, and also do those the whole Al- Creek Bridge sort of death. Makes it even that much more impacting. Where he His thinks last that he's thoughts are still, get away.
3: he's still puzzled as to how this could possibly happen. Yeah, you know. like he doesn't
4: even know fair? where the source of pain. He, I mean, he guess he knows where the source of pain is coming, but he's like, "What is he doing to me?" Is like what's kind of mm. also terrifying. That whole thing is just really gets into the whole horror of what Cujo can do to a yeah. human being.
0: You know, I actually had when he when he realized again, it's like he realizes what's going on. He says, w- w- "What's he done to me down there? Oh my god, what's he done, Vicky? Vicky." Like, as if Vicky's there and he's... I don't know, it's just creepy. You're calling out for your loved ones at yeah, that yeah. point, too. Um, Mel, do you have anything else? No, to
5: I, I totally agree with everything that was said there. And just yeah. the whole the abject of, like, something that's supposed to be inside is out. Like, mm. That's so yeah, terrible. Yeah. But you don't know exactly what's going on, and then you reach down and you feel something that's not supposed Oof. to be there.
3: It's gross. Well, to put a button on this section of the episode, um, this goes back to what you were saying um, about Vic trying to console Donna. This is really, really well written here. It says... Um, Logic or Vic thinks this logic could not blunt her terrible sense of personal failure. Only time could do those things and time would do an imperfect job. So it's again, like time doesn't necessarily heal all wounds. You know, you'll get past it. You can move on, but nothing's going to necessarily be the same. Nothing's going to necessarily have an happy outcome. Nothing necessarily has to get solved. And I thought that was a really nice piece of writing there by our, by psychic.
4: Well, kind of Papa king. There's an inference to that, that sense of time that, It it kinda it's almost like cyclical in a way. It's like, well, we've seen, we put everything that we can on the table. How do we slowly put it back into the closet Mm -hmm. and try to move on from this? You know, and try to not think about this and try to go on. I, I feel like that's kinda what's gonna happen. You know, you take these things, you look at the awful shit that's going on in life, and then you go, All right, well, we gotta move on from this. Time to stow them away, back in the closet. Like, and you I feel like such you know, a
5: negative outlook on this. I, I'm <laughs> just,
4: I, I'm just so cynical. About it no, but I, like, that's it, again, no, the opening it.
3: nature of it. it it's good. Yeah. You have so many different interpretations. Yeah, of it yeah. But, I yeah. just,
4: I just, I just imagine that's what's going to happen, though. Yeah. I mean, that's. Just, I feel like that's. I don't know. I just feel like well, it's. Well, it's funny because thing. there's more.
3: There's more concrete endings in King books later on, and then you learn about what happened to those characters in future books. And it's not what you think, you know, in like a negative way. So it's yeah. what you're saying is a very good possibility. But just think about it, though. They're both reminders of the kid that
4: they lost. I and mean, that's always going to be the case. Like, yeah. it doesn't matter how far they get ahead of that. It's always going to be a reminder. And that's one of the reasons why you see in a lot of situations where marriages break up when they lose a kid because it is such a reminder. You can't just have another kid and just and go mm-hmm. from there. It's always going to be like, I've, I, I know just even growing up, there are a lot of families that were, I remember their kids were lost and, and the families just fell apart. Well, like, that's why yeah. I was so
5: surprised that they actually do end up yeah. together. And Vic never once has any thought of blaming.
4: Don. no. He no. never
5: thinks like, well, you should have gone for the door or well. <laughs> Why did you bring him in the car? Like, I, Could as, you imagine as an ending? imperfect human, I would have those thoughts. <laughs> yeah. like, it's my, I will
3: it's say, my I mean, because they I cut mean, to the ending a little while after the main events of the book, so it's possible he did have those angry thoughts and they're, they're kind of now we're joining them near the end, picking it up. Kind of wish Vic was they are. a little bit like Marshall Bell in standby Man. It like, uh, should have been you, Donna. Should have been, been you. <laughs> um, um, no,
4: no, no, I don't actually.
3: But oh, um, so, any, yeah. Um, really oh, sorry. I just got a knock at the door. It's George Mary. He's got a really bad case of the farts. So let's go to the pound cake. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
5: After all you've been talking everyone Harris. in bed, Mama, everything in the sin. Come to your closet and pray. Ask to be forgiven. He's a nice boy, Mama. You like
2: him. You really like him, Mama.
3: All right. So who wants to um, serve up the first
0: slice? Mac. Um, page four, I think we talk about Tad's. Uh, what happens on page four in the signal edition? Uh, I think we talk about Tad's scrotum crawling. Mm. That's a, that's a way of King always weird. doing that because he did that with Dick Halloran. Is it during a bad dream he's having? He mentions well, yeah, you get his your, scrotum crawling, and I just thought yeah, he's four years old. It's just weird. It's just gross.
5: This is a thing I will never experience. Well,
0: Yeah, it's just, it's just a, that's nothing
1: a weird, a about that. that's
0: about that's weird about that. No, not like a, that's nothing weird about that. It, it was frightened. a little gross. We're talking about pound cake. This is gross All right, writing. All right, anyway, all, right, all, right. Uh, all right all right all right well how about this uh gary pervier and page 34 he said sometimes he can still get a pretty respectable bone on that's that, yeah <laughs> that's <laughs> a bone on. i love that well
3: because i think he's down to one testicle right because yeah like, yeah he's down that. to yeah. one
0: testy and uh and stephen king is still trying to make a point that sometimes gary can still get it on
3: all right I mean, that's
0: all right <laughs> I'm, not,
3: I'm not as offended by that though all right well yeah mike
4: uh, well, three three pages later. Uh, um, <laughs> Page seven, no. Gary, uh, Gary goes, oh, uh, uh, Cujo picked up the dog biscuit and ate it. That's better, Gary said. Well, he ain't going to kill you. Ain't gonna kill me either, but it bitches the shit out of my hemorrhoids. Well, I don't give a shit if they get as big as fucking golf balls. You know it. He swatted a mo- mosquito. <laughs> swatted <like>, a mosquito. <laughs> like, like just adding the mosquito in there just to be like, but like, it's just like again, it goes to show like how despic, like this gro- despicable, like this grossly, Gross. like <laughs> oh look, he's got
3: hemorrhoids also. Like it's just uh, he's always fucked.
5: like you know it to a dog. Yeah,
3: <laughs> like. It's like also highlights just how lonely this guy is. He's like talk about his hemorrhage to some dog, St. Bernard. Okay, uh, Mel. <laughs> like,
5: sure. Next, um, next serving,
3: Mel. <laughs> K- Koo- 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 just stares. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Shut up, Gary. <laughs> yeah.
5: I don't know. I just This was a great um, – I just love how bad this this successful ad is. Um, he's talking about one of Vic's uh, successful ads for a cookie guy who's a western – he's like a sheriff that shoots guns that are full of cookies, um, <laughs> which is already really bad. This is page forty. Well, the bad guys got away, he'd tell millions of Americans every day or so. But I got the cookies. Best cookies in the West. Or anywhere else, I reckon. The sharpshooter bites into a cookie. His expression suggests that he is experiencing the gastronomic equivalent of a boy's first orgasm, fade
0: out. <laughs> Sounds like a bit I of mean, an epic. You buy cam-
5: those cookies, right? Like- oh, yeah.
0: Sounds like the Cookie or the Cujo's uh, Cookie Crisp campaign. I think campaign. that's how we have to end every pound cake with fade out. <laughs> fade out,
3: yeah. Uh, a child had a boner, fade out. Um, <laughs> here's a little bit of uh, King's um, odd description of the opposite sex, right? So, yeah. Um, Probably at this very moment Lisa, who is beautiful, just 21, and almost totally breathless. <laughs> yeah. what? that I had that uh, moment uh, too because
5: it's Vic who's like normally like okay, yeah. but then he thinks it's this shit about right? Lisa. Yeah, and he also says like, "Oh, you couldn't get a secretary to stay until the stroke of five anymore." As far as Vic was concerned, it was just another sign of the continuing decay of Western Sims. <laughs> <civs. laughs>
3: like, okay,
5: Vic, the women old, are gonna go do fashioned. their
0: things. Um, and when
5: he, when Don cheats on him, he's just like, "My wife, my property." Yeah, you know uh,
0: he's man, he's man. he's very upset. <laughs> he's very upset. Um, oh, Max another, another brilliant description of Castle rock Ooh. where uh vic uh, is talking about how he and Rod used to go like eat by this pond and as vic had noted a decaying rat floating amid the condoms and gum wrappers at the edge of the pond and i just thought oh jesus like what town is this like like the river's edge <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, hey, mike you have another one? oh we already
4: mentioned the one how like uh she had seen his penis close up, had had it in her mouth. Okay.
3: Um, yeah, 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 that's
4: not really. I guess that's much. That's not pound cake, really. No, that's, um, just, uh, that's well done. But this, be, but this is, but this is pound much. cake, <laughs> and this is a few pages after the one that you mentioned, Justin. Um, <laughs> it's uh, with um, God. What, what characters actually, I can't even find the character names on it. Either way, it's on page one twenty-five. Uh, the images. Oh yeah, here it is. Um, the images began to unreal again. Crumpled sheets, straining bodies, soft sounds. Ugly phrases Terrible turns Kept uh, crowding up Like a bunch of freaks Looking at an accident Nookie Hair pie Gross Put the the boots to her Shot my load I don't fuck for fortune And I don't fuck for fame But the way I fuck your mama Is a goddamn shame My turtle in your mud Bang for the gang Stoop for the troops Inside my wife he thought agonized hands and oh, that's punching right. That's right. inside yeah, my causes. wife. I remember that now. Yeah, it's, it's Vic. It's Vic yeah. like, can't fake. get it out He's freaking out about you yeah. it yeah. his wife. just look. like the the just like the, the could very be any you know, in Donnie Darko they say like cellar door is like the most gorgeous like <laughs> pairing of words. Hair pie. Could Ugh. there any... There, that's like one of the most disgusting oh, so. open face
3: sandwich. That sounds disgusting. Oh, that's yeah. how I
4: think of... That's why I think of uh, every time I look at Larry Bird. He looks like an open face sandwich. <laughs> um, but anyway. No more um, yeah, hoops talk here. Yeah. Uh,
3: oh, Mel. Um,
5: speaking of Donna, we get a description of her. <laughs> mm. A pretty dark-haired woman of 29, tall, gray-eyed. She somehow managed to look tolerably fresh in spite of the relentless heat. <laughs> her tad-printed blouse, and the Academy gray shorts that felt pasted to her hips and fanny.
3: Sounds like a John Mellencamp song. 29! <laughs> it's a good thing
5: she's tolerably fresh. Yeah, thank 29 God. 29 and tolerably fresh.
1: She got that fanny <laughs> up on the
3: dress. <laughs> Academy pants. Um, know, know. We should record that as soon as possible. Yeah. Uh, right go right I've up, got go. a couple instances of Pound Cake, literally, that take place in this book. Oh. Um uh, Mac, I'll name one. I'll do one of them. If you want to do the other one, yeah. Did you get two of them, Mac, or did I you just get one. one? Okay. Well, which one? You read yours first, well, and I'll, I'll have read to do mine. do it to wrap it up. Okay. All right. There we go. Well, you know, I'll skip that. In, 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 I'll skip oh. that. Um, let's get to George Mira, the mailman's issues. Oh. Um, and there's a little King's Dominion in here, by the way. So let me read this. George Mira, the mailman, lifted one leg clad in blue-gray post office issue and farted. Just lately, he farted a great deal. He was mildly worried about it. Didn't seem to matter what he had been eating. Last night, he and his wife had cream cod on toast, and he had farted. This morning, Kellogg's product 19, huh, mm. with a banana cut up in it, and he had farted. This noon down at the Mellow Tiger in town, two cheeseburgers with mayonnaise, ditto farts.
0: <laughs> Thanks. Oh, I had another one on page uh, 195 where it said, George lifted his leg and farted again. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Is it like sometimes they come back again? <laughs>
0: That's great. All right, Mac, um, go ahead. Uh oh um all right, I'll jump around here a little bit. <laughs> uh, page two eighteen of the signet. Um, uh, Donna's recalling uh, having Tad. She says the horrible squelching gutty sound of the afterbirth coming out of her. I'm puking up his life support systems, Oof. and then she passed out. And I just thought that was a very visceral take on having a child. It's the miracle yeah. of life. Oh, That's the miracle. Beautiful life.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, Mike, did you have another one? I'll
4: yeah, f- I'm trying it. to find it. I uh it, it says on here I put 154 RAM left in my ramrod. I'm trying to to see. Oh, where.
0: oh, it's probably some Gary quote, right? Yeah, talking about how he still no, I think it's Steve Kemp. I think he was like he's like talking about how he still has it. He still oh. has more to do or something. Uh, okay.
3: Yeah. um We can get back to you, Mike, if you want to find something else, or did you want to uh think of another passage? Or um you guys keep going. Okay, Mel? Mel?
5: Um, I thought it was a little creepy when Charity is like l- looking at Brett. Okay, here we go. This, Thank is you. Where, this is what <laughs> we want to talk about. Thank you! All right.
3: Mel, do you have the passage uh, here? Yes. I do. I'm going to defend the it. fuck out of this. Go All ahead. Right,
5: ready? You're gonna fu- going oh, to defend the fuck out of this? I'm going to defend this. Here we go. Um, it was a moment she never forgot. She saw her son <laughs> clad only in his pajama bottoms and for a moment dimly comprehended the mystery of his boyhood so soon to be left behind. Her mother's eyes loved the slim curves of his muscles, the line of his buttocks, the clean soles of his feet. He seemed utterly perfect.
3: That, to me, is, is, is a parent looking at their child and seeing that child is no longer a child. I don't think there's anything, like, sexual about it. I'm fine with that. I see they're looking at, like, it's like, is like Take a... Take
5: out okay. the butt.
3: Okay, maybe take out the butt. But I, I, even that part, it makes sense. It's not like it it's. I don't want to get into the childhood body parts, but I mean, it makes sense that she would look at and like not even recognize that her, her like her little boy anymore, and kind of see like he's because he's growing up on her eyes. My
5: has got a fat ass. Yeah, yeah, you know,
3: if we so like, what's just the forget Paris thing? So like, I, I, that's fine. Come on, that's I Paris. Wanna, fine. I I
0: just want to think. Mel for being the one To come up with that Because this is the one That I was talking about uh, Yesterday I, No problem
3: with that no, no I have no problem With that I, you, I, I will be the first To talk about like Describing body parts In weird ways But I was like ah, That's that's fine That's I fine. don't, that's don't necessarily Have a
4: problem with this But I love the image Of Steve just Wandering around the house Breaking things With a huge heart on Oh just yeah like, <laughs> oh, I'm loving this But my heart on Like you know It's just like His oh, dick just like
0: yeah. This piston oh, That's just yeah. like Waving around Like oh, You know it's funny I'm looking God. at all The pound cake here That I have And I don't think I have any Steve Kemp stuff. Oh, I... Well, because I think most of that is... Well, it kind of makes sense. It makes sense to yeah. the
3: plot of like who he is and the, the whole... Did you we have talked a, about the climax. Did and you stuff have another earlier. one? Um, good old Gary. Oh, boy. His last release I wrote here. Um, <laughs> a terrible stomach cramp seized him as he finished voiding himself. As he finished voiding himself. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> they have been getting more common lately. As he doubled up, a large and foul-smelling flatulence purred out from between his skinny shanks. Oh, <laughs> jeez. Jeez. The, alliter- the alliteration. Oh, boy. <laughs> the alliteration's really nice there with the... The, the, the skinny shanks But come on This is another one That we argued over yesterday Oh yeah You read this too I, I'm I, not gonna I, read it
4: We don't even have to read it but no, 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 I want to hear it I, no, I want to hear it This is Alright hey, Let me Let me find it It's with Bannerman um, right It is with All right, Bannerman Alright read this fucking thing No it's, it, it's uh, a <laughs> uh, He talks about his, <laughs> his, his Daughter's breasts <laughs> On page 436 mm. And when he's dying He's just like You know Sitting there And he's just thinking That made him think of his own daughter, Katrina, who would be going into the seventh grade this year. She was getting breasts now, becoming
3: quite the little lady, piano lessons, wanted a horse. I mean, I I think you're tying in the breasts with becoming quite a little lady, but I think that's two separate things. I think it's like she's she's no longer a good girl. She's developing... And she's becoming quite a little lady As in she's kind of Developing her own thoughts And and she's not becoming A daggy's little girl Yeah, yeah. The That's how I read that No yeah That's absolutely. how I read that Absolutely And then she mentions And he mentions her ass No I'm kidding He's like yeah
5: Your daughter starts to get boobs She's a woman But what's the equivalent For a dude Oh
3: the butt Oh the butt Like I was like I looked down at Brett I couldn't believe How big his dick was No <laughs> <laughs> so I had no problem
4: with that I, I uh, do. A problem in a sense I Because it becomes This like indicator For that's It's just like Defining characteristic Again of just like <laughs> uh, like a female, it's like, oh well, she's getting breasts now, so that's. Well, you know, it's
3: it's there's so many instances. growing up. Yeah. I have no problem with that.
0: This was. I, I stand by. By the way, I, I, I love. Like, by I the way, I love Gerber Stephen Island King as a writer. <laughs> yeah. It's a Gerber Island over here. Like Gerber Island. Island. Uh, uh, yeah, this was another uh, instance of. Uh, 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 okay. Was, let me just read it Page 144 uh, It's just a little creepy It's more, probably more, more cemetery More cemetery for me Sorry uh, Donna sees a little boy She says A pot-bellied kid Of maybe two Stood in the driveway His sopping pamper Hanging below his tiny Ugh. penis His mouth hung open And is picking his, was picking his nose With one finger And his navel with another And she Ugh. like she just kind of like Ugh She's like Stop 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 like focusing on this You know but I just thought it was like It was just like this weird Instance of Coming across this it's like backwoods, like family. It's like seeing how the it was just yeah. kind yeah. of like leave hey. um
3: anybody else have anything else? Yeah, I got one more. Um where is it? Oh, um
4: there's a part where I think there's a part where Donna's beating savagely beating Kujo and where is
0: it? Shoot. Sorry, 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 sorry. Um, well, like to fill in the space while Mike's looking, there was um. Although you want to do a little, I just crack like crack? when Kemp mentioned, like when he was like, you know, when, when did your crotch turn to gold?
1: Oh yeah, yeah. What a jerk! <laughs> oh, oh, and, and, and she
0: realized right there, this guy seems like a real piece of shit. <laughs> yeah.
1: Exactly. All
4: right, Mike. What do you got? Right, so kudos, forward motion carried him into her, and this is uh. Um, Donna, and knocked her sprawling. His teeth now snapped and snarled bare inches from her neck. She put her arm up as Cujo crawled farther on top of her. His face was now oozing down the side of his face. Uh, or his eye was now oozing down the side of his face. His breath was hideous. She tried to push his muzzle up, and his jaws clamped on her forearm. This huge red rocket poured out of his nose. Uh, oh, <laughs> oh yeah, God. yeah. yeah. You know, that. that's another Steve it's Kemp funny. thing. That's no, another.
3: I'm glad we took like two minutes to yeah. find that passage. I know. the Bit.
4: <laughs> well, I, I I couldn't find it. I was like, am I going to still do this bit now or not?
0: We could cut that out. It's, but it's no, uh, that's no, no, we're, no, no. That's no. No no, no. That's no, an, we're cutting it out. That's another like Steve Kemp thing though. Like where like is getting with this hard on while he's like doing all stuff, and Steve Kemp's the same okay. way.
3: like we're still going to keep
0: it as if people it's a real have not thing. People who read this yeah.
5: book are not going to know if you yeah. guys are kidding There is no Red
3: Rocket mention in the book, if, if you're not catching up. Okay, Mac, will you please read... Oh, sorry, Mel. Wait, just, oh, one, just yeah.
5: one. I just like that Stephen King has to get a dig in it, fat people. Um, oh, yes. page
3: 69.
5: <laughs> um, this is about Donna. She could go over and see Joni Welsh, who had a little girl about Tad's age, but Joni always made her uneasy. She was three years older than Donna and 10 pounds heavier. Oh, the gross. extra 10 pounds did not seem to bother her. She said her husband liked her that way. Joni was contented with things as they were in Castle Rock. <laughs> how unthinkable. <Yeah. laughs>
0: oh, God. Oh, 10 pounds. Well, is oh obviously a very real, real human being. In that case. But uneasy. they also, I remember there's She's
3: also, they talk about Roger, how Roger doesn't have like a waist anymore. just like his, where he doesn't have a lap anymore or something weird like that. Because yeah. of the biggest. Okay, Mac. All
0: right. Yeah, so a I was l- just going to wrap last. it up where King became, uh, if King was here, he would say this to us. Uh, we could tell them to take their lousy pound cake yeah. and pound it up their asses <laughs> that 's a line from the book that's, that's crazy. A line from the book I mean
3: yeah. that 's a good one to end on.: Well then earlier <laughs> on, Gracie takes a sharp pound cake from the freezer I, <laughs> <laughs> I noticed it I
5: adjusted I oh, <laughs> That's had to pretty
3: have it. good. Um, so we had a lot of fun with some pound cake, but let's um, always do. Obviously this book has a lot of ties to other Stephen King works, so no, why not, not enter into king's dominion?
5: There's another world out there. I know there is.
0: Who wants to kick off the old King's Dominion? I mean, just the obvious ones. I mean, we've got Castle Rock and Frank Dodd and Sheriff Bannerman. We've got um, Tad seeing the Boogeyman from Mm Night Shift, possibly. Um, A little carryover. Uh, uh, Oh, um... We've got page 270. Uh, Cujo stared at the man from the blue car with rising hate. It was the man who had caused all his pain. And I said that that was kind of like a Frank Dodd you know, connection mm. to Bannerman. Um, but that was all I had for, for Kings Dominion. Did you guys come up with anything else? Um, George Mira
3: frequents the Mellow Tiger Bar, and that's a bar that pops up in other... Stephen King's Wait, short what stories. Kind of t- what is it? The Mellow Tiger oh, Bar. Mellow Ti- I
0: thought you said Yellow Tiger. Oh, and that's, I thought, that's really Dead Zone. Dead Zone.
3: No, but that, book, that, that bar pops up in other King books and to come um, in the 80s. Uh, again, we've really talked a lot about Frank Dodd and George Panderman, yeah. and that's, that's the crux of the King's Dominion right there. It's the first example of oh, yeah. returning to a, a pre-existing uh, location. Uh, I do have some a bullshit one here, if I read <laughs> that one. Cool. Uh, Donna recounts a dream to Vic, and she says, I thought for just a second there that Joan Brady would come out of Tad's closet and her head would be gone. I think you mentioned this. Yeah. But did you highlight the fact that um, that Joan would say to her, I died in a car crash when I was 19. No. Coming back from Sammy's Pizza. So there you go. It
5: is an age that people can <laughs> <Yeah>. be.
3: <laughs> Allegedly, people get to the age of 19. Well, Nobody's written a song about if it. If we're anything.
0: going uh, 237, oh, here we go. uh, if we're going down that route, <laughs> I've got a couple of good ones here. Uh, um, just to cite the same line I just said, uh, Cujo stared at the man from the blue car with rising hate. It was the man who had caused all his pain. Blofeld, you know, ca- you know, the, the author of all of James Bond's pain. Maybe this is connected to the James Bond universe. Uh, oh, so wait, hold on, I'm gonna make this clear.
3: <laughs> so, for anybody out there who remembers the teaser trailer to Spectre, will understand what the fuck you're talking about right now.
0: Okay, okay, okay all right, right. Right, right. let me let me bring it back to some more king centric uh, 237. <laughs> Room 237. All right, um Aunt Evie Chalmers. Mm-hmm. The description says that she was she was pushed into death, and I thought maybe that was kind of like a reference to the pusher from the, oh, the, dark, the, from tower. the dark Tower. Oh, okay, uh, that's that, that's, that's, a, that's more of a connection and not as much as a leap, but yeah, that's, uh, that's definitely in Room uh, Two Three. Seven, but it's that's definitely Room Two Three. three that's true.
4: <laughs> um, anybody else have any specific Kings of Minions? We're going to be talking about Castle Rock a lot uh, over the next few books, so I think. We've, you know, we've talked about Bannerman a lot. Mm-hmm. We've talked about his ties to Johnny Smith. I think that's enough with King of Dominion.
3: I think we're going to... Wow, we were here. We are at the end of our rope here. We're going to now give our overall thoughts. So I've got some stuff here from Allison, Randall, and Dan, who are not here. But uh, Mel, Mel has to actually get going here. We, we've gone really long on this episode. Yeah, we really have. But Mel definitely wanted to give her final thoughts. So Mel,
5: oh, where do um, you stand
3: on Cujo, the book?
5: I loved it, and I didn't expect to love it, and so it was a very pleasant surprise. Mm-hmm. Um, I really like stories that are um, have intimate settings, like in this case, the Pinto. Much of the terror is just in this isolated area. In, the, in a car, you're stuck with two people, one of whom doesn't really talk for most of it. Um, the, inter- the interiority of these characters is really well-developed. I thought the... Um, the book is just like brimming with tragedy from the very beginning. Like you just know things are going to go so wrong for people that don't deserve it. And for a dog that doesn't deserve it. Hmm. And I thought everything was not everything. Like there's pound cake in here, but um, (laughs) um, it it was really well done. I thought I am going to give it, I'm going to give it four bright
3: red Pennywise Mm -hmm. clown noses. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, Mel, thanks again for being here. Do you need to run off, or do you want to hear our opinions? Too? Oh, I,
5: re- I really want to hear. I want to uh, stick around for a second.
3: Okay, okay no, no yeah. problem. Um, who wants to go for it next? Uh, Mike, do you want to go next? Okay, okay. Thank go <laughs> ahead. Uh, I
4: actually uh, I had some you know trouble with this one uh, just going in there, just because I think that there are a lot of great ideas. That I think the premise is is exceptional. Mm-hmm. I think it's a genius premise, and especially knowing how he came up with it now after reading it is really interesting, and in how he was able to kind of pull it into something. I think a lot of the themes that he kind of meditates on in this book are put to greater use and effect in pet cemetery. Um, even though it's a, it's a far more supernatural book in that. Um, and I think listening to the three of you, like go over a lot of these, these ideas and us being able to wrestle with it, I've come to respect the book a little bit more cause it is it, to our point. Like it is a little bit more realistic, <laughs> especially over pet cemetery where, you know, animals come back to life, um, including human beings. But for me, there's still just a lot of like, unnecessary sections that just kind of slowed and dragged me down a little bit. And just from a writing standpoint, just a lot of the foreshadowing just still bothers me because I think that when he does it, put it to great use, it's one of his strong suits. And then when he kind of leans it to it too much, it's not only just his weaker elements as a writer, but it also kind of hampers a lot of his stronger elements as Mm -hmm. a writer. And for me, I, I, I don't know. I, I still enjoyed it. I still loved the, um, I love the horror of it. I loved a lot of the characters. I think where the revelation that there are parallels to all the different characters while we were talking about this makes me like this a lot um, and so i you know for me it it's it 's got a lot of interesting things about addiction and 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 guilt and 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 the reality of life um with the disappointments and the you know where we go but So for me, I would probably go with around three and a half. Three Mm -hmm. and a half. I want to go three and a half.
0: uh, Mm -hmm. Bright way, bright web, (laughs) anyway. Very good, Uh, Mac. Yeah, I I agree with Mike. We were talking about this earlier, and I was kind of talking to Mike while he was reading the rest of it, and I I had all the same complaints that he did about some of the um, what I felt were superfluous storylines. However, having read the whole thing. (laughs) At this point, and talking to everybody today, I, I do agree. I think I think originally I had about three red bright red, yeah, red pennywise clown noses, but after talking about it at length today, I I do think it's it's been bumped to a three and a half for me. Mm. Um, I do like a lot of the parallels. I do like what it's trying to say. And um, Justin, what's the slogan of the of the new book coming out? Nope, again?
3: nothing wrong here.
0: Nope, nothing wrong here. And honestly, there really there really isn't. Uh, I liked the book Cujo, and I'm going to give it a three and a half noses.
3: It's funny because I, I think I would actually still just give it three and a half out of. I wouldn't say just because three and a half to me is it means it's a good novel. I think it's a good novel. Um, this is a it's second out of five, right? It's mm-hmm. out of five. Yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, good. Yes, please. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, please. Yeah. Um, I, I would give it a three and a half bright red pennywise clown noses. Um, I've I've re- this book a couple times over the years, but again, I approached it from this whole new angle of the Nope, nothing wrong here, and I really liked all the subtext about avoidance, like you said, Mike, about addiction, and we've talked about the the dual um, perspective of of the protect the fiercely protective mother and Donna, and the fiercely protective mother and Charity. Um, I just liked a lot of the the undercurrent going throughout the book, and of course, I also liked all the the stuff happening at the at the garage with the dog named Cujo. Um, I have to give it three and a half because I, I I also gave Salem's Lot and The Shining and Carrie I think four out of five and I can't mm-hmm. quite put Cujo on that level for yeah, me keep personally. In mind,
5: I'm coming off of Roadwork and
2: Firestarter. That's another
3: good point though, because once again, like it, for us, like like Firestarter, I don't speak for all of us, but like Firestarter and Roadwork is just so base. There's just not a lot to talk about besides what's actually on the page. But I feel like we've as is evidenced by this very lengthy episode, we had a lot to talk about yeah. and there's a yeah. lot to dive into. And so I really, I really like it for all of that. And so it was a fascinating reread for me. I uh, three and a half out of five. And we do have some uh, notes here from losers who are not here today. Uh, the first from Allison Shoemaker. And for the book, she says three clown noses, three and a half depending on my mood. <laughs> um, I think mean, that's fair. I mean, that's yeah, kind of where we're at. Yeah. That, uh, Randall says the book I read twenty years ago, but I give it three and a half noses. <laughs> Love. I'm going to read this I's he's embarrassed. Love the guy jerking off in the bed. <laughs> 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 um, he says, but he goes, no, but I do remember Cooja having a surprisingly deep and interesting ensemble for it being a quote-unquote killer dog book. it's a good point. Uh, I remember it also being tremendously sad. And I just can't because I can't deal with dead dogs. <laughs> and it's, just, it's a good point. It's all sad. Um, Dan has a very uh, lengthy one here. He, he gives it four. Like you, Mel, he gives it four mm. out of five and he says da, 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 and here we go upon rereading Kujo closest literary relative seems to be Jaws Have we talked about oh okay. wow. yeah, interesting each work uses the threat of a ferocious yet very realistic animal to magnify marital unrest and the feeling of being smothered by a small town like Jaws the fight against the titular beast ends up being what saves the marriage the twins are only truly ready to work on themselves after Donna's trauma and the loss of their son that's an interesting perspective on the outcome too once again it's open ended so you can really interpret it however you want to but Kujo has a leg up on Jaws. Pun very much intended. Uh, he writes, uh um, he feels there's a compelling parallel structure going on between the trends and the cambers. Absolutely. Um, it's a very long review, Dan. I, I ask you. I asked you just like, like, like a text length here. He thinks Steve Kemp is is perhaps the most realistic and frightening example of a different kind of monster. We made jokes about that, but it's true. He's just a he's a, a monster of the human kind. Um and he kind of agrees that We were kind of going back and forth On this It leans a little too evident fo- Foreshadowing The mailman farts too much And he's not quite sure King really pulls out The implication That Cujo may be possessed By Frank Dodd And I think we were kind of Definitely mm-hmm. going back and forth On that um, He loves the ballsiness Of killing off both Bar- Bannerman and Tad And he feels But he feels really sorry For the dog um, Four bright Pennywise clown noses for this old dog he Four says. He gives a four Wow it's probably because so, he owns a dog that's a killer dog. So, I mean, that's a very good point, <laughs> I think, actually. I think, too,
5: I was just very much fooled, like, the whole Once Upon a Time thing. And, again, coming off from road work, list, yeah. I just feel like I totally got taken in. Totally worked on me. I yeah. stick by four. 3.5 seems fair.
3: <laughs> Let me do the math really quickly in my head here. So, how many of us gave it three and a half, then? We'll do Allison with three and a half, too. So, it's five of us gave it three and a half. 17.5, yeah. 20.25. 20. So, that's, like, a 4.7. Well, like a, th- a three point seven. It's a three point five 6. Oh. 3. six. out of three point six bright red Pennywise clown noses. Yeah,
0: so if you can picture a three point <laughs> six. six, so draw like three clown, clown noses. noses and
3: then like six tenths of a clown nose, and that's what you got here—the <laughs> official rating for this book. So <laughs> my uh, GPA in high school. <laughs> oh oh yeah. wow, Mike no. just put on his sunglasses. Mike put on his sunglasses uh, <laughs> and announced so lame. that. So all right, no, well no. just a second—we're going to jump into the uh, the film adaptation, but we do want to say, uh, Mel, thanks a lot for being here once again. Um, great time by all And we will see you soon Mel My first episode Thanks. with Mel yes. This is Mike's first oh, episode right. with Mel wow. We didn't so. kill each other We did not Wait, kill each other okay. It worked out okay <laughs> <laughs> We survived yeah. you know, I feel like the three of you Ganged up on me personally about <laughs> yeah, we did <full, laughs> uh, Brett's ass and What's wrong and, with Brett's and, ass When, when, when you have a kid
4: I'm going to just warn your wife And be like hey just <laughs> let you know like He, he really he likes really, these kid's asses. He's kind of sweet
3: On that note Mel We'll see you again soon
1: Bye bye
0: Don't worry mom I know all
2: about cannibalism.
1: I saw it on TV. See? It's okay.
3: You saw it on the television. Well, get out your popcorn and your dog biscuits, depending on whether or not you're a human or a dog, and maybe you like dog biscuits. Who knows? We're taking a trip to the cinema to talk about 1983's adaptation of Stephen King's Cujo. (laughs)
4: well justin i do love dog biscuits. Mm. i'm like martin riggs and lethal weapon 3 i like mm. to eat them all the time and uh it's to, it's a way for me to not smoke and uh you know run around like a homicidal maniac. Well,
0: there's a character named Raj
3: in Cujo. Oh, there is, yeah. it's not the same.
4: I
0: also, when I I was a child, would eat dog food sometimes. Mm. So uh, I'm on board with this. That's confirmed. True story, my dad actually had to eat
4: dog food to get into his fraternity. Um, And uh, also true story, my dad's a fucking idiot.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So 1983's Cujo. um, So here's a little bit of the -the behind-the-scenes story. It was a troubled production. And there's a writer named Lee Gambon who we were hoping to have on this episode, but time caught up to us. He wrote a behind-the-scenes um, uh, book about the making of Cujo called Nothing. Nope, nothing wrong here, The Making mm-hmm. of Cujo. And he's working on a Christine behind-the-scenes uh, book. We do hope to have him on to oh, talk we're gonna, about we're both of di- those. We'll have We're already in touch, and we, we're looking forward to that. But um, here's just some little information I picked up on my own. A couple days, or shortly into filming... Uh, the original director Peter Medic, who directed future episodes of *Carnival on the Wire* as well as *The Changeling*, oh man, was going to direct this film, and he and his do his, uh, his cinematographer were, were fired or left or fired, who knows what it was. Shortly after filming began, and they were replaced by uh, director Louis Teague, who had directed *Alligator*, which is a which is a cool, little fun, gross gator movie. And he would later direct Stephen King's *Cat's Eye* adaptation. And oh. but most importantly, he brought it with him. A pretty good uh, cinematographer at the time named Jan de Bont, who oh, would go on wow. to direct Speed and Twister. Twister. Isn't that crazy? Can you name the three other movies that Jan de Bont directed? He's only directed five movies. Did he do...
4: Um, oh, God, there's a huge big big blockbuster one that I'm totally forgetting. I know he was, he's, he was supposed to do Meg. Um, no. I know they didn't. Uh, I, I, I can don't,
0: tell you. What are they?
4: Speed Two, Cruise Control. He did Speed oh, Two he also. Did wow.
0: Um, that's how they feel like the same franchise still. Well, yeah, yeah. that was that right. was we on uh, that was on HBO last night, and I oh, skipped over it. Great
3: movie, <laughs> good job. Uh, the Haunting. Remake. Oh, that's what it was. Yeah, remake. that's oh, what right. I was thinking hey. of. Hey. And Tomb Raider: The Cradle of Life, the sequel to the, the Tomb Raider with Angelina Jolie. So uh, he that's it? he
0: just kept going up. Yeah,
3: <clears <clears throat> <clears throat> that's crazy though to think that he only of all those successful movies he had because yeah. I mean Speed and Twist are huge, and that's just Jan D'Abond. That's
4: Jean D'Abond.
0: Yeah.
3: Um, the composer of this film, Charles Bernstein, what was his biggest claim to fame? Uh being brothers with Elmer Bernstein. That's not right, Mike. Is that right, actually? I don't know, actually. Well, who what? knows? But I will say this it's strange because just asked me who composed Nightmare on Elm Street. It was Charles Bernstein. Oh, interesting. Oh. You
0: did ask that. Um,
3: because so what, get into what it.
0: were we watching that I felt oh, was a maniac cop? <laughs> yeah, something like that. that I of, felt in, like the, the 80s, score was yeah. very similar.
3: Um, so let's get into this. What do we like? What do we like about the Kuja adaptation? Like, what do you think they did good? To start off the bat, <sighs> I, I think that it's a fairly
4: true adaptation. Mm-hmm. You know, when you're actually looking at the book as a whole and seeing it as a horror movie, as a lot of the book really is, mm-hmm. it definitely takes that out and it gets to the. I think this is this film is largely responsible for making it seem as if like Stephen King is just you know. Great at coming up with just horror stories, um, you know. Yeah, it, it's distilled. It's like I capsule, mean, capsule horror, where you're like, oh, this is the one with the dog. This is the one with the car. Yeah, you know, this is kind of the beginning of that. And I, I think the film does a really good job in making it seem like it's more than just about the dog, you know, because they they, they do kind of. I mean, the one downfall is they don't really have the Camber storyline. Oh, line, that's gone. Yeah, um, which really, so, and they also don't kill Tad, which kind of really changes the whole theme of yeah. the book. Um, but at the whole, like there is like a hopefulness to it that is very Spielberg-esque, you know, um, there's I, I hammered movie. that a bunch in this, in this episode with the allusions to jaws and everything. But, you know, the, the idea that like the last shot of this film is a family embracing mm-hmm. is very Spielberg, Spielberg- and true. Yeah, um,
3: but it, it and it's works. of course, starring Dee Wallace, Wallace, who was in E.T.
4: Yeah. So only like a the year mom. before. Yeah. Um, so I, I do think that there is the The survival nature of this mother who has to fight for her child in the midst of this of her crumbling marriage and then for them to all come back together, there is a hopefulness that does not exist in no, this book no. whatsoever. um so there's a standalone thing. I like that because I yeah. like when the adaptations kind of diverge in ways that make sense for the narrative still um this is kind of like another what if like you know
0: uh, well and i agree I agree with you because when I was watching this and I, and I knew about the book ending before watching the movie. And so watching the movie, I, it was very satisfying to me to see Tad live mm-hmm. because it was one of those situations where it's like, you know, when you go back and you re let's say you reread Cujo and you're like, God, I just, I really, I know what's coming and I wish it was different. And so and in, 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 it's like depending depending on your mood, you can go to the movie and watch that and get that ending mm-hmm. and feel like uh satisfied, you know
1: yeah, I think in um, the movie I so don't I, think it
3: would have worked as well, and the movie that we were given, I don't think at the eighty five minute mark of this movie, if tad had died, it would have. Would have fit with well. What it, came it, before, it would have had to know?
0: gone on longer, and they would have had to show the aftermath. They would have had to show, and yeah. they would have had to work yeah. back in the cambers and stuff well, to make it really work. And but I, I do love the film for the fact that it feels so real. The claustrophobic atmosphere of the the car of them in the car. The they heat. look like they're dying in the heat i mean like whoever did the 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 set dressing for you know just like the overall and like we're saying the cinematography just all that stuff just really came together i feel for this film and really made you feel like there were just there's just no out for them well i mean like d wallace just brings
4: it i mean this is is her best performance i think even over et because she just captures that 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 sort of miserable experience of just n- not knowing what the outcome is going to be. I mean, mm-hmm. her terror is just genuine in this movie. And like, I think it, it happens early on, too. Like, I mean, her transformation, they describe her in the book as, um, oh God, what was it like a peach or something? Like a rotten, like almost like a rotten peach or something like that. And they capture that in the film with her face just changes so. Fast with these, with this, this gripping situation. Like you, you see her, and her eyes are just these like radiant blue. But by the end of the movie, it's like almost like this dusty blue, and her face around it is just so disheveled. And and she just really, it looks like they just dragged her through the ringer on this. Cool. And it's it, it's similar to like almost like the role with um, was it Kathy in Texas Chainsaw Massacre? By the end of that movie, she just like just looks like she just went through hell. Well, that's I mean, the thing.
3: Like the first thing I think about when I think about the movie is just the shot just the multiple shots of her in the car with Tad and just that su- beads of sweat. Yeah. And the, like the, just heat. the dirt and then the, and eventually kind of like the blood on them. You feel the heat yeah. in this movie. I'm not talking about the heat around the corner. From yeah. heat. I'm talking about real heat. <laughs> well, I mean, you
4: look at Tad and yeah. Tad is just like, you, you feel like the kid is going to die. Yeah. I mean, there's that scene where he's like crumpled in the back and there's like the sun beaming in through like mm-hmm. the back of the hatchback oh, on him. You, like can't the, the, you can't yeah. escape yeah. You can't sun go sun anywhere.
3: It's just shining through wherever you go. You're in that closed space. And, and that claustrophobia,
4: there's this wonderful shot that's like 360 that just keeps going around and around and yeah. around faster and it just captures the mania and the hysteria of this situation. It's right
3: after like, she gets bit. Yeah. And she just gets him out of the car and she's kind of losing focus. He's just crying, screaming. You see like the dog on the other side of the car barking and then the, the camera starts to spin, 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 spin. But yeah, the movie wouldn't work if if Dee Wallace wasn't as amazing as she is in this. I mean, and, and also Krez got to go to Danny Pintaro as, as Tad. That's a, mm-hmm. that's, that's, that's yeah, a great yeah. childhood performance in that movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she is yanking him around and he's having to play. He's unconscious. He's really sweet and cute. Like there's an instance early on in the movie when he's trying to time turning off the, the switch to, to turn off the lights in the beginning and to oh, run to yeah, his bedtime. Yeah. And he misses it the first time. So he's got to go back again. And then turn off the lights and yeah. run to bed. It's just little touches like that. I really. Do they stretch the liked. room? I th- I don't I don't think it's a, I think it's a camera trick. Okay, but that's the thing about. It Louis looks like this too. The, the, is that this isn't just like a point and shoot thing? This isn't somebody just coming onto a project. I mean, there's a couple of shots of like the camera going upside down, and kind of following him, going Dutch angle, following Tad to the bed because he's afraid of the monster in the closet. Um, Just from a technical standpoint, it's a it's a pretty Mm -hmm. it's a tight movie. It's under ninety minutes. It's just it reminds me of that bygone era of just kind of like quick, efficient horror movies Mm -hmm. that aren't like they're definitely not classics, but just good old video rentals from back in the day. You know, Um, some more people in the cast we got to talk about. This is something incredible that I've always always amazed by is the actor who plays Kemp is Christopher Stone, and he also plays. Um, T. Wallace's character in the Howling, um, her husband in the Howling. Oh, interesting. Who cheats on her and becomes oh, a werewolf wow. and everything else? I didn't
0: even pick up on. But him.
3: in reality, they were married in real life. Oh, really? They were married. So she was married to these two awful people from the movies, <laughs> but they were married until his death in uh, 1995. Oh, yeah, oh, that's sad. And um, this is a testament to how good of an actor he was as well yeah. to be to, to appear to be this total dickhead. But it's funny because they actually um, worked together in another dog's a dog a centric project called The New Lassie. They were both in that together. The new Lassie. So, oh, wow. is it N U Lassie? It was like new Metal. Like, oh, like, he yeah. loves like, you know, corn and limp biscuits. I, I
4: King says <laughs> that uh D Wallace should have won an Academy Award or been nominated at the very least. You know, and I agree.
0: She is amazing in this. And yeah. you know, it just reminds me of those just a couple scenes in E. T where it won me over with her. I, I wish she was in more stuff. I, I was really happy to see her pop up in Lords of Salem. Um, yeah. but I I hey, D like We'd love to have you on.
3: <laughs> That's the thing about Rob Zombie. We shit on his movies, but he does bring back these like legitimately good actors from yeah, the 70s and 80s yeah. that you just don't see anymore because they're not given the opportunity. Yeah, like Meg Foster. Um, Meg is a great yeah. example of that. Um, another terrific uh, character actor pops up in this, um, Ed Lauder, who died love, a couple years ago. Who was also in Golden Years. Who was in Golden Years and somebody from the shop, I guess, in that. Mm-hmm. He's been in a million... He's one of those that guy people.
4: Yeah.
3: Um, he did a great random roles on the AV Club a couple years ago before he passed away. Um... He's nothing like he is in these movies at all. He's just very joyful, like loves talking about his experiences and who he worked with. He worked with Clint Eastwood a lot. Um, He's really good as Joe in this. And again, like we said, the Cambers are the rest of the family. Charity and and Brett are are pretty much non-existent in this. Although I should point out that the actor who plays Brett later appeared as Parker Lewis's best friend and Parker Lewis Can't Lose. Oh, you're right. Starring... Harold Louder himself. Harold Louder. Weird. Nor- Cora yeah. Yeah, yeah, That's Randall's favorite actor. Has.
0: Synchronized watches. Oh,
3: he, well, he's amazing, <laughs> let's be honest. Um, some other things. Oh, he, I also need to point out that um, I didn't know, but I did not know this. They do a really good job in the movie, but it's not just the dog that you see. Some of these, I guess, were actually shot with like a man in a dog suit. Now, I'm assuming after watching it again, it's just the scenes where he's kind of on his, his legs yeah. up against her. Mm-hmm. But again, even watching it, knowing that, I could not pick out. No. Because of, it, there, was a lot of, there was a lot of quick cuts in those instances and extreme close-ups, I think. And that's when you're able to see it. If you go online and Google it, you can, you'll see like a picture of the director next to the guy oh, in the really? dog suit. Um, I know we're going faster, but...
0: No, but I didn't pick up on the, that at all. The yeah. um,
3: the dog in this movie... Is phenomenal. It's unbelievable. There's a scene... Okay, it's, it's, it's hard enough to convince you that... This sweet St. Bernard has all of a sudden become rabid. But there's actually a specific a specific scene where Cujo is, I think, looking at either the... I think he's looking at the car or the house, and the camera's coming up behind him, and then it goes right up next to his face, and the dog is still looking straight ahead at the house. Like, I don't know how you train the dog to not yeah. all of a sudden see this camera all of a sudden up to your left and not look at... And not have the instinct to look at that camera. It's the little things like that I was looking at in the movie and just thinking, that's it's tough. Because, again... You could have used, like, bad models or something like that of this dog, but and they doing an incredible
4: job. And there's a great sequence where you see the dog. I mean, there's a lot of physical performance from this dog. I mean, the physical performance of this dog is incredible. Mm. I mean, there's a shot where the St. Bernard is on the top of the car, and it's trying to claw its way in, but then it uses, it, like, wedges its paw in the the window that's kind of only, like, a um, 75% of the way, like, rolled up. And it, like, wedges its paw, and then it falls over, and with the paw in and then it keeps kind of trying to get in. It's like I don't know how, what they, they must, we were talking about joking about it earlier. They must put like piles of dog food at, like the <laughs> you've got yeah. like, to get like if they didn't feed the it,
3: dog for like 3 days or something. But it's just
4: really like you really believe that this dog is rabid and 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 is going to get
0: into this car and is you know very methodical and about it. And that speaks it. a lot to like just just the, the makeup and what they did to the, to the dog's face because you could have mm. a, an essentially like just like really jovial dog just trying to play but you slap slop on its face, you uh, slap blood makeup or whatever it is foam. on this yeah, foam. It's it's truly terrifying because you don't it's this it's the same exact kind of playful ma- nature, but it just totally different intention and it's just creepy. Um know?
3: there's a really I think the scariest part of the movie, the biggest the best jumps here for me is there there have already been a couple point of views, um, or POV angles of Kuja like approaching people. So there's a part where the Trentons get to the garage, and she's trying to get him out of the seatbelt, and the camera creeps up behind them, and you think it's right behind Donna, and all of a sudden it jumps out on the passenger side trying yeah. to get in. I thought that was a great piece of direction there. I, I, I it was it was totally fooled. Oh yeah, I really like yeah, that yeah. part yeah. a
4: lot. The whole when she looks underneath the car, the way they handle that where she can't see where Cujo is, mm-hmm. and she kind of like you know hits the ground to kind of see where she, the Cujo might be, and then Cujo just actually is right behind her and then just ravages her i mean it's that that whole sequence of how she's just des- just des- decimated by this dog is pretty horrendous it is. and it's very real and
3: um very true to the book. Like that's, I mean, I hadn't seen uh, this movie in a while, and they reading cut this book out a lot. And, but the things that actually happen in the movie really do happen yeah. in the book, with ex, with the exception of you know Tad, I mean, yeah. But <laughs> well,
0: well, even even the ending though, where like Cujo jumps through the window into the house, that's <laughs> like the you know? that's your classic eighties. Like, yeah, that's your format. classic eighties yeah. horror. Yeah. But I, I still really liked that though. You know, I mean, like it was like even if they did get inside the house. This thing is just is, and that was another like thing where you're like, all right, well, maybe this this dog is supernatural. Like you just can't kill this dog. Well, in the
4: book, she wedges a baseball bat and in Cujo's eye, Ugh. and he's still alive, still coming yeah. at her. Yeah, you know? Oh, know. So there there is elements of that still in the book, but yeah, the the, the window thing is total classic like last scare sort of thing. Um, very Friday. was first. like, I'll only do it if I can have the dog uh, yeah, jump is there through, a through very window at the window. Very Friday the Thirteenth part two. Oh well, well yes, absolutely, yeah, love it. The you know, obviously, the biggest di- difference between we've already discussed this is the f- the film and the book is that Tad doesn't die, mm-hmm. um, and I guess Teague thought it was going to be too much of a letdown if uh, and and then the emotionality of what would come would be just too much to handle. That's what
1: I felt like. Um, yeah, it, just,
3: it wouldn't have resonated. It wouldn't have felt the same as when you are reading the book.
4: Yeah, I mean, like it says here in the the Stephen King universe uh, book is like. King agreed to Teague's change, just realizing that most movies work on a much simpler and far more direct emotional level than his novels. And I guess he probably really thought it worked. I'm interested to know because I guess he wrote the initial script to this and then it was later credited um, to the two screenwriters, uh, Lauren Currier and Don Carlos Dunaway. Hmm. I'm interested in knowing that initial script if Ted did die. I feel like it probably there was
3: probably a draft of him dying. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, that's like the big ending of the book. You feel like that probably would have been the case. Or what
4: if they kept him the freeze frame ending? But it's like, <laughs> when did he die?
3: What? <laughs> and and then just it just died. ends.
4: <laughs> oh God! It ends up her
3: screaming or something. Yeah. Like.
4: Um. Some fun facts about the movie though. Oh, if you got I, some got, more. I got, I got some, I got some. Oh, there you go. Um. So, uh, let's see, um the there's a tree i guess that was uh that was right on the, the location i mean there's a bunch of trees but either way they took one of them um and they made 250 custom-made guitars at the time and they dubbed it the cujo guitars and they were manufactured by taylor guitars and what they did is they took all the wood from this one tree and then they made the guitars and then king signed one each one of them and they uh were priced at a $3,498. I don't know why now they got to just that. That is so
0: but. bizarre to me because Taylor is like a great guitar uh, producer. And and this and is, is a great that, idea. The fact <laughs> that they did this is just kind of bizarre to me because they're like the top end, you know... Uh, at least acoustic wise, and uh, it's just kind of crazy. Uh, there's also just nothing
4: in this movie that re- like really re- refers to guitars or rock and roll. Yeah, it's or
0: like so. it's it's like it's like Fender doing an it guitar now. <laughs> it's like what what, what why? Yeah, it makes what, no what, sense. What, do you think uh, uh, it has no relation to like rock and roll? Like I, I could see like, if they, they did Christine, Larry Underwood, they did like or, Christine yeah. or something like that? Because it's like rock and roll oriented, yeah. or I guess. Or if like, like Vic extent, was you know? like trying
3: to do advertising for a band or something. Yeah, like that, yeah, right?
0: but it's like what? No.
3: Well, they probably uh, looked at the. They probably looked was like. Well, we got to chop these trees down. We might as well make mm-hmm. guitars out of them.
0: I, I can see them doing like a Kujo cereal because that's that's. Oh, that would have been good. Kujo's cookies. Kujo's woofs or something. <laughs> um, but uh, um, if anyone has uh, access to one of those guitars or wants to donate it to the losers' club, uh, just uh, email us and uh, send us the guitar. And I guess this is more of a fact about the book itself, but King
4: did own a Ford Pinto.
3: I, I like that too, though. I did too. Make, I mean, it makes sense, you know. A mm-hmm. um, couple uh, other little points here. I'd like to uh, discuss here as I talk and talk and talk until I find what I'm looking for. Here it is. I do like how there's only about 10 seconds in New York City with Vic and Roger. <laughs> yeah. And I have it here. New York is represented by uh, symphonic music, lobster dinners, and sirens. Yeah. <laughs> like they're like, really, how do we represent it? This is New York for 10 yeah. seconds here. We're clearly filming uh, on The, the lobster like, dinner I thought was hilarious. Was and then like, the way the look on their face is like, we're living the life. Like, <laughs> I could do this in. Yeah. It's like, I feel like we're in a New York minute here. <laughs> Um, I, I also like in terms of the structure when when Gary and Joe die, they're pretty vicious deaths and they're kind of creepy, I guess, in a way. But there's not a lot of terror behind them. No. But the uh, but the rest of the movie with the whole with the Trenton experience is a totally different. Uh, it's just more terrifying. than It's horrifying. You, 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 do, you know, do you know what I mean by that? There's like actual little legitimate like scares there, whereas it's, it's just this force of nature tearing through Alice and killing Joe and and uh, and Gary. Mm. Um, Bannerman's in this Actually
4: the truest version of Bannerman We've seen on film Because, because he looks
3: like the character's um, written He now. doesn't look
4: like a hunk like Tom Skerritt And you look <laughs> at Tom Skerritt and you're like Man this guy is a fucking gorgeous man He's an old Bannerman's not He's an bad. old fox Bannerman sits there and eats chili That's right Late at night Late at night And this is you know, You're not going to imagine Tom Skerritt eating chili I don't even imagine Tom Skerritt eating anything I could see for- him eating chili
0: But it would be like
4: Cool chili. It would be like cold cool chili. chili that's been sitting there after he's been like staring at the screen, like, um, like an alien. Uh, Ripley, come up to the dock. We just like he's, he he like takes a bite and then oh, it's cold. <laughs> Vichy
0: I don't know. <laughs> I just, I always bed. have scarred in my head from you know Parent Trap too. Uh, that's you know. Wait, wait, is he in Parent in Tra Trap? Trap? He's, he's, FBI, very, he's trying to hook him up. he's, yeah, a, he's like movie. one of the love
4: interests yeah. in Parent wow. Trap 2. The original one or the remake? The two? sequel with it's no, with the sequel. What's your name? Haley Mills. Mills. wow.
0: Check it she, out. she's Trap Check it uh, out, that, everybody. She has a daughter. Oh. She sure does. And they're twins, right?
4: Well, it's good to know that Scarrett's version of Panterman would live on and uh, River Runs through it. I remember the last sermon I heard him give
1: not long before his own death. Each one of us here today will,
0: at one time in our lives, look upon a loved one who is in need and ask the same question. We are willing to help, Lord,
3: but what, if anything, is needed? no <laughs> Jesus Christ <laughs> directed by Robert Redford yeah um, one last little piece before we go around and give our uh, noses for the movie I, there's a great moment there's a lot of music throughout the film it's good music it's like you know typical music to be honest with you but there's a great part where it's night and Cujo jumps on the hood of the car and stares at her no music's playing when this yeah. happens he just jumps on the car and he just stares at her and they stare back and forth and I think she says dear God get us out of here or something like that and then the music kind of kicks in but that was these days it would have been a total sting sting. Yeah. And as a matter of fact, let's talk about that, about Cujo. Should it be remade? Will it be remade? What do you think? I don't think it'll be remade. You don't think so?
4: I I I mean I think it's it's one of the most popular king properties, but at the same time, there's not a lot that you can really I guess you can, but I, I don't know. It just seems well, like it was such a literal adaptation that I mean, down to even like the, the, at one point, Gary's drinking a screwdriver in the movie that mm-hmm. Gary and uh, and Joe are, um, and then that's how detailed they got. I mean, she even says "fuck you" to the dog, just like uh, when she's trying to leave, just yeah. like in the book. Also, I mean, there's like it's a pretty literal adaptation, but I just think it's of a, it's so much of a time. That I don't know how you can really appeal. Like, I mean, the simplicity of just a dog being this scary thing, a- it's just not a type of horror movie well, anymore. I
0: think that it's absolutely going to be remade. Yeah. <laughs> and it's going to be remade with CG. Because well, that's the question. Sh- is the question
3: was should it be remade and will it be
0: remade? It so, will Mike, you're remade. saying it shouldn't be
3: remade, but do you think it would be remade? I, we're I entering just don't know because
4: weird- I, I just don't know what the box office dollars for that would be. You mm-hmm. know, because like when was the last time we saw like a, something so singular in, in, in like
3: like a bottled story like this? And that wasn't just like an indie horror
4: movie. Yeah.
0: You know? Yeah, no, Mike, I, you're saying? I was just saying that it's going to be remade. The problem is, is these days. There's a lot more attention put on treatment of animals in the processes of movies and things, and I just I just can't see them using a real dog to do some of these things. And and you can't—they're not going to have a guy in a dog suit this time around. You know, they're gonna just like felt. It's gonna be super CG, and it's just—it's not going to be good. And anyone that makes a good Cujo movie. I will. I will eat my words, but I don't see it I, happening. I, I don't I see it happening, but I don't see it being good. I don't think it should happen, and I think that if it were to happen, they
3: would really ramp up the fact. They would make it a point to say that no, Cujo is in fact possessed. Yeah, they or wouldn't just have it him be. They had it would be rabbit, but there'd be something else. Like you would see some yeah. bullshit. I don't know. They wouldn't necessarily mention Frank Da because he would necessarily be a known property in this book when you're watching the film, but they would make it some like. Spirit of some killer took over a dog. I'm not kidding. Oh, hey, like, and you know and, and of course, there'd be a bunch of CGI that would just rip me. The right
0: only up. way they make that work, and, and I can see them doing this, is if they do Cujo, actually mention Frank Dodd, and then this is one it would be one of the only prequels I would be like, yeah, you have my blessing, is if they treat Dead Zone as a prequel to Cujo. No, because I think they're definitely going to. Well, we'll talk about Dead Zone in the future.
3: <laughs> I think they'll probably remake Dead Zone. Yeah, yeah, they might. Yeah, but um, what do you guys think about the movie overall? How many uh, bright red pithy white clown noses would you give it, Mac? Uh,
0: I'd give it. I'd probably give it a three, three and a half. Mm-hmm. I'd say three and a half. I, I enjoyed. I enjoyed the movie. I yeah. mean, even though it is, it takes a lot of liberties or it cuts out a lot of stuff from the book but i I still really enjoyed it, and i the the intense claustrophobic feeling of the car and just the heat and the mm. it still was really effective and um and again i was i really needed something good to happen at the end, <laughs> so I kind of i actually i i give it the pass yeah. uh for for tad living so I give it a, a three and a half bright red pennywise clown noses mike uh d wallace
4: upgrades this mm. immensely for me i am a huge fan of uh you mentioned this earlier. It's just it's just a simple horror movie that's just great and something that you want when you when you look for a ninety minute horror movie. This goes back to one of the classics of being able to rent from Blockbuster that you get it. This is your first time watching it. You are going to be finished and you'd be like, God, that was so so such a good. Fucking movie to like watch on a Friday night with your friends. Like it's a good, it's a great sleepover movie. It's you one don't have to make time ones. for it. Yeah, you don't you know? have to make any time for it. You don't have to really think about it too much. You just have, you're just really in the moment and like you're there in the in the front seat with uh, with Donna and Tad the entire time, and you never. And like th- there is such a release that comes from the ending. I mean, I'm I'm going to give it four. I, I, oh, I yeah. think I think it's a really solid horror movie, and um, the simplicity of it, like you know, speaks wonders to me. Do I think it's? You know, I think it's a pretty good adaptation too. So.
3: Yeah, I agree with everything both of you said, actually, yeah. and I'm really looking forward now after watching the movie again um, to reading uh, Lee Gammon's behind the scenes. Yeah, me too. Where he talks to like a bunch of cast and crew from the movie. Uh, I, I would also give it a three and a half out of five. I think it's a solid. It's just a solid, good horror movie that you just. It's hard to find these days. Um, the set design. I can't say enough about the set design yeah. either. Nothing ever really felt like you were in a set. No, the practicality of it is yes. great. It's just great. There's yeah. a lot of effort put into a lot of things and. This could have easily been a disaster. Like I said, you know, you, oh, you replace yeah. these. We talk about like the Star Wars franchise. We replacing these directors, like bef- as the movie's beginning and stuff like that. Usually, it's a catastrophe. But people you know, put their own stamps on. Jan de Dubond is a great moment where the sun's rising in this yeah. movie. It just st- little things like that. I really
0: appreciate the these evening. Things, the first know?
3: evening that yeah. they spend on the farm is and gorgeous. The heat again is
4: just yeah.
0: Incredible. Uh, speaking of Star Wars, this one little thing I forgot to mention about the book was I thought it was very really strange that Tad's favorite character was Greedo. Yeah, what a loser. Well, he's a—he's not your normal kid,
3: as we all know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I uh, the and it holds up. That's
4: another reason why yeah. I'm yeah, right. it does it's hold up high. I never watched it and, and thought. Oh, this is dated. It doesn't feel dated to me. I mean, other than the freeze frame, I guess at the end. But even yeah. then, it's where you're going to go from there anyway. But we
3: talked about in our in our in the uh, in our adaptations feature, we talked about how bad the freeze frame is in the Langoliers. Yeah, where they jump in the air like in mid cheer, and it's like the street fighter ending. But the, the ending of this, it's just that's more of like a of its time. Like if it was made today, yeah. I, the freeze frame ending probably wouldn't have. Probably wouldn't have happened.
0: Well boys. Any other uh, words on the old Cujo? Just to to one last quote to to wrap that up. Uh as Donna said, you know, Cujo was his name and his bite was death. Oh Jesus. Well.
3: You said it, Mac I'm not gonna uh, beat it. These dog days are over. Oh god okay anything else anybody do one more one
4: line do you got another one come on let's um, keep
0: the puns going uh oh my god kujo's gone rabid and that's just after gary saw droppings in his house just knew kujo gone rabid
3: well know. no because he knew about the uh, know, just, um there's a great reviewer by publishers weekly <laughs> a biting novel of gut twisting terror and suspense okay listen <laughs> we are entering into like heat territory links so yeah. let me wrap this up um Thanks again to all of our constant listeners for continuing to check out the Losers Club podcast week by week. Please be sure to spread word about the podcast if you haven't already. And if you haven't already, what's your problem? (laughs) Come on, if you love something, tell people about it. Uh, Be sure to leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. Our next book, not necessarily our next episode, but our next book to read after Cujo uh, will be Richard Bachman's The Running Man. So make sure to run to your nearest used bookstore, or let's be honest, Buy a used copy on Amazon. Um, until then, beware the monster in your closet, the rabid dog outside your pinto, and long days and pleasant nights. Barks. Woof. Woof. Oh,
1: woof,
2: woof. oh. I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends. I got some hot friends.